Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast hosted by GrandTheftWorld.com. This week's show is action and fact-packed. We're going to be talking more about antibody-dependent enhancement. Uh, we heard a little bit about it last week. This week, we're going to get into some more clips and developing information in that area. We've got Fauci versus Rand Paul. Uh, I think this is part 12, round 12. It's like Rocky versus uh, Clubber Lang and Rocky Three. We're going to see who starts to gain some footholds with facts in that situation. And last but not least, we've got many examples of uh, the, the recent national breakout of chanting for Let's Go Brandon. There's this guy, Brandon. A lot of people want to help him. We might have a couple LGB songs in tonight's show card. So uh, before we get too deep into what else is in the show, let's just start the show. We're going to go Luke Radowski with his report from earlier this afternoon. And uh, that also, I guess we should play the song and then tie into the report. Let's, let's go that way. Let's go L let's go Brandon. And then we'll tie into uh, Luke's first report from earlier today. If that's not too much of an audible for the control room, let's see how it works out. L G B L G B L G B L G B They say L G B everywhere I go L G B on the main I don't know L G B whatever it is Let's go, Brandon. Right? L-G-B. This means let's go, Brandon. No. L-G-B. Sounds like let's go, Brandon. I guess. L-G-B. All right. Let's go, Brandon. I am Cornelio. Chant. L-G-B. Right wing and left wing. L-G-B. Oh, you know the thing. L-G-B. If you don't sing that back. L-G-B. And you ain't black. L-G-B. Let's go, Brandon. L-G-B. Let's go, Brandon. L-G-B. Let's go, Brandon. F-J-B. Let's go, Brandon. I'm Joe Biden, and I forgot this message. That was a pretty epic composite. Took a lot of work to put that together. It's a very elegant work of art. That's art in the, the Biden era. That's the new art. Uh, I hope Brandon is doing well. And uh, maybe we can catch up with Brandon in this uh, next video from Luke Radowski. We are change and thebestpoliticalt-shirts.com. Maybe it's just thebestpoliticalshirts.com. You'll have to try it. Maybe it's trial and error. Let's go to Luke. In American history. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. This is Lukardowski here of WeAreChange.org. And holy cow, do we have a lot of crazy news to get into today. As of course, right now, there are massive disruptions happening in our economy, which are likened to worsen. How will this translate? How will this affect you? Well, we're going to be talking about that plus a lot more. As of course, even some major airline pilots are singing the praises of LGB, which of course also is one of many music videos making the rounds on the internet right now that are becoming more popular by the minute. The track that we played is by Lars Von Retriever, 
And after someone sent me this video, I, I, I just had to play it in the introduction. I'm new to this person's channel, but this video is brilliant. It's definitely worth a follow and a subscribe. And that's why we are linking his channel down in the description below if you want to watch more videos from this user. Truly uh, great artistic work that I love to share that uh, we definitely need more of during these very difficult times. As of course, it's important to bring up that the mainline corporate media establishment is not there to inform you. It's not even there to misinform you. It's pretty much there to demoralize you. As of course, them and the, the intelligence agencies that they work with in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and even the, the 2000s were caught doing absolutely immoral, horrible things, which even acknowledge and even though nobody was ever punished for those horrible things no one was held accountable there was no reforms made still you have to trust these very same institutions or your conspiracy theorists. And one perfect conspiracy theory that became true was of course the saga of Jeffrey Epstein, which the corporate media establishment along with the intelligence agencies, almost with every aspect of our government was aiding and abetting an international child trafficking and extortion operation for over 30 years. This entire saga is coming to a crescendo moment, especially with Prince Andrew facing charges in civil court from many accusers, which he previously said that he had no recollection of meeting. Prince Andrew, the Queen's son, was asked point blank, hey, there's this person accusing you of really horrible illegal things with minors, with children. Prince Andrew's response, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea who this person is. This is what he said in November of 2019 and now today. It looks like his memory somehow magically came back as he's accusing the same person that he has no recollection of meeting as being the mastermind and the real trafficker of small children for the unspeakable things that many powerful people were able to do with them. Yes, Prince Andrew's legal team on behalf of him, representing him, speaking for him, have just filed a motion where they're accusing the accused victim here, Virginia Roberts Dufresne, of being the person that was the trafficker here and the one allegedly profiting. This in an official court motion and statement that she was the one procuring underage girls here. This as of course, not one single person has come forward to collaborate Prince Andrew's alibi, as of course his previous official version of events has absolutely been flawed and fact-checked to be completely incorrect. Now add on top of this, this kind of victim blaming, lying, when previously Prince Andrew had no recollection of this person, shows you just how far the Queen's attorneys are willing to go to try to prevent any accountability for her beloved son. It's also important to note here that the royal family has many extensive connections to people who have done unspeakable things to children, but yet that's another video for yet another day. Now, as this story makes the rounds on the mainstream media, don't forget that many multinational billionaires and super powerful elites playing by a different set of rules is not important to you. Trivial physical differences amongst each other are the real issues that we should be talking about as of course there has been a major push for a divide and conquer agenda especially here in the united states within the last few years that have absolutely captivated this country pushing what i would only describe as a mental disorder that is pinning people against each other based on trivial differences this kind of delusion is promoted by many mainline institutions like rutgers university that has failed to condemn 
one of their professors who said, quote, we got to take these mother effers out when specifically talking about all white people. As she described all white people as villains, and she expressed her desire to, quote, take them out. Rutgers University at this time is still standing behind this comment, and as of right now, deems it acceptable for their, quote, academic institution. In related race hoax news, we also just recently found out that the Lincoln Project was behind, allegedly, orchestrating a viral hoax, a false flag stunt trying to smear the Virginia Republican governor candidate with a set of actors that were supposed to be racists holding tiki torches for the Republican candidate in that state. Why is a alleged right-wing group perpetrating frauds to go after conservative Republican candidates when they're running against Democrats? Why are they trying to create outright racist lies? Why aren't they facing any repercussions for this. Also, in related news, a half-white guy compared a major multi-billion dollar sports industry that pays its stars millions of dollars, equating it to, quote, slavery. And Mark Zuckerberg also came out with an announcement that now Facebook will be called Meta and that it will be predominantly focusing on virtual reality digital spaces, which many people have compared to the Matrix, while also saying that during the announcement, he looked like a, quote, animated breadstick. By the way, that savory appetizer is also depicted on one of our shirts, which you could exclusively get on thebestpoliticalshirts.com, as seen I would we get I, I, we get subtitle uh is there is there more to it oh yeah yeah there, there is more to it no there is i'm sorry i i jumped the control room i already had notes on what to talk to from that first bit there's a second bit to this isn't there is that what you guys are telling me there's a second bit yep yeah yeah let's get to that i'll, ta I'll keep taking notes and listening quietly this is good let's say when people aren't cheering the praises of lgb they're also now talking about Biden and his latest trip to Europe in order to allegedly fight global warming. There's a lot of weird accusations of what he's been up to in Europe, but uh, I would say nothing says fighting global warming like making a 10,000 mile return trip that generates 2.2 million pounds of carbon while having an 85 car motorcade. Yes, you heard that correctly. An 85 car motorcade driving around in Rome, all of course in the name of climate justice. Let's not also forget that some of the biggest proponents of climate justice, like ruling elites who want to force you to eat fake GMO soy meat, are also doing their best to help the environment, as of course Jeff Bezos was just partying with Bill Gates for his 66th birthday on a $2 million a week private yacht, along of course with all of their billionaire buddies, before they helicoptered to an exclusive resort in Turkey. It's so good to know that these benevolent dictators, corporate globalists who care so much about the planet, are doing their best to show you what not to do to the planet. And as Biden tells your school children to wear masks for the entire day, he of course was seen maskless during many of these meetings. All of course, as he's implementing some of the most strictest, ridiculous, mandates and protocols for sickness which he clearly isn't taking seriously himself all of this causing of course huge economic havoc 
labor shortages, supply shortages, manufacturing shortages, resource shortages, all of this directly aggregated by the government's policies and actions, which are becoming more restrictive of capital and free individuals to live their lives. The supply chain train wreck, as coined by CNBC, is only beginning. I hope you guys are prepared. This, of course, will only be made worse and exacerbated by mandates, which are firing employees in droves all throughout the country by, of course, executive decree by Mr. Biden himself. This, of course, is going to affect New York City soon, as it is estimated that over 28% of FDNY firemen in New York City are about to be let go, all in the name of, quote, public health. 24% of sanitation workers in New York City, 16% of ambulance paramedics, 16% of the NYPD. And of course, this equates to tens of thousands of individuals that are being fired without any unemployment benefits, as viciously decreed by the governor of New York that promised no support, no guaranteed benefits, to anyone who doesn't comply by the whims of this government. In New York City, just a few moments ago, hundreds of firefighters took a sick leave. A large number of firehouses in New York City were completely shut down. Some estimate a total of 26 New York firehouses that were forced to close. This, this of course, had and will continue to have a huge, extremely negative consequence on the people living in New York City, that every day their access to help and services is being denied and curtailed by a government that cares more about compliance than it does about helping its own citizenry. It's also important to note that many New York City workers have been demonstrating in New York City in record numbers, going against these decrees, mandates, and wills of an ever-so-growing government I, uh, that wants LD, to control almost every aspect of their existence. And seeing these droves of, of public service workers coming together and saying, this is ridiculous. This violates our freedoms. This violates our autonomy. This violates our contracts. This violates everything that they stand for. It is a very surprising sight to see, especially in places like New York City. Now, this mandate that will fire these service workers is supposed to be put in play just a few hours from now, officially on Monday. There are estimates that some city services will lose as much as 35% of their employees, and I think it's only fair to assess that this will put a lot of people in danger recklessly, all based on absolutely no science at all, as of course, even in New Jersey, a hospital just announced that they are mandating a third procedure. As of course, it's coming out that this 100% safe and effective procedure as the media, as the government, as the establishment was telling us, isn't that safe and effective. It's also important to note here that there has been very little to absolutely almost no conversation about natural immunity here, which I believe definitely deserves to be talked about if this was genuinely being done about health, but many people assess that this is being done for acquiescence, compliance, and for full obedience of the government. New York City is not the only area affected by this, as of course American Airlines is also dealing with what many people are calling a quote, freedom flu, as they just canceled 1,200 flights all across the United States during Halloween weekend. Southwest just canceled 175 planes, all because of, quote, what we're being told in the media is more bad weather. As, of course, 
Truly, it is a lot of staffing shortages. These staffing shortages will only be made worse. I hope you're prepared for them. As of course, this is not only devastating our financial sector, but the long-term consequences of this will of course be felt economically for weeks, months, and even years to come, as this is absolutely devastating. And according to many people, this is only the beginning of things to come. As it looks like the lines are being drawn People are moving into place with one rallying call of obedience while another one sings the ethos of let's go, Brandon. Which side are you on? I would be very interested to find out. I, I think I already know, but for uh, the sake of discussion, let me know down in the comment section below. I always appreciate constructive criticism. I appreciate your feedback. I'm not perfect. I don't get things always right, but I appreciate the conversation and being able to have an honest and real one, which is becoming rarer by the day. So I'm extremely grateful for being able to do that today. If you liked this video, click the like button, share this video with your friends and family members. It occurs to me that maybe, <clears throat> maybe Luke's taking this too seriously. Maybe he's thinking too much about these things. You know, what, what are you even thinking for Luke? You know, maybe if we just wait two weeks to slow the spread, everything's going to work out. <laughs> Can you uh, define two weeks? Well, that's the whole problem. They keep re refining <laughs> what two weeks is and they keep starting it over, you know? Yeah, so I didn't we, know we got a groundhog stay with it. It seems a little yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so let's let's dig in because there's a lot there. And I don't think you should watch these videos and be like, okay, and move on with your day. You might write down some questions and th some things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I need some information here. First off, at the end of the video, all those people lined up in the in the airports, Luke, Come on, man. People just don't want to fly anymore. That's why they're canceling these flights. You know, how are they going to decorate for dystopia unless they have these long lines and, and close down all these things? It's it's part of their decoration. Especially right before uh, the holiday season, right? Halloween. They're going to make Halloween two weeks long, too. And it's just going to be <laughs> like the slow the spread. They're just going to do it with the dystopia right next to it. Um, so there are some disturbing things in there. The prince. So you told me all right? over the world, like essentially a day of the dead. Which is what Hall Halloween represents. Especially they picture it more cultures. like the purge. They picture uh, it more like the purge. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. They got plans. They, that's part of dystopian uh, decorations too. The purge mm. type thing. Those are yeah. uh, uh, popular costumes this year. If you go out there, you might <clears> see they really dressed up as the purge. Um, I got uh, this Prince Andrew note here. <clears throat> uh, that dude doesn't like. He doesn't make any sense. You guys listen to what he said. I don't know the woman. No, he's like, I know the woman, but the, you know, and he's in the picture with her, but that's not her. And yet, you know, who should be in there? Cause clearly he's posing with somebody with Ghislaine in the background. And, you know, and it looks like a younger version of the woman that now is older. I mean, who claims extent. it was her. He right? claims it was so, her, right. so there's this whole thing. First off, he's being protected by his mom, which, you know, mother's going to do that, but his mom's the queen. How old okay. is his mom now? Like 98 or something? Old enough. You know? <laughs> something and crazy. Let's just put it this way. So his mom's the queen. Is, is, I don't know who his dad is. I guess, uh, is it uh, the virus guy? Prince Philip passed away? Mm. Is it, is his, what is that? The one who recently passed away. The one who said, when I die, I want to come back as a virus and take mm -hmm. out the human, human race. He said it. You know, it's in a book. You can read it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Prince, Prince Philip virus quote. So Prince Andrew, uh, his mom's like trying to keep him out of trouble. Except... His mom's also like, they were friends with Jimmy Savile. 
and help to cover that up for like, I think my, that's sort of what my entire is. lifetime, Jimmy was yeah. doing that show in the seventies, like, you know, uh, helping kids and stuff like that. And then he had access to the Royal family and they helped to cover up. And the guy who worked as the director general of the BBC, Mark Thompson is now, I think still the chairman or CEO of New York times. That's what qualified him there. He helped to run the cover up over there. So Prince mm -hmm. Andrew comes from a family with proclivities that are well known to the public for anyone who cares to look into those topics. That's a real thing. Then you got this Epstein connection, because you know, and then the Epstein connection connects to Bill Gates, and at least maybe uh, I don't know, did Bezos ever meet with Epstein? Because that was the whole pastiche being painted out. You got Bill Gates hanging out with Bezos now, because Epstein's not around anymore to hang out with. I know, right? <laughs> he's running out of a group of no, he's uh, dead evil now. Billionaires we, to hang out. Can we get that on the soundboard, LD? Can we get Bill Gates saying, "Well, you know, he's dead now. You've got to be careful." I'll add it to the list. Yes, thank That's you. That's a good one. He also, Luke had that story in there about the Lincoln project where they were doing mm, like, they yeah. thought they were, it's their version of the tea party. So instead of dressing up like native Americans and dumping tea, they were going to dress up like what they probably were doing in Charlotte. Doesn't that look like the same outfits and same tiki torches that were used in Charlotte? And what did Lincoln project exist when Charlotte happened and the tiki torch incident and that whole sort of thing? Cause that was kind of all out of scene. It's almost like vice wrote down a script went mm -hmm. there to film it. And then they had some prop actors make some stuff happen. Then somebody panicked and ran over some people that I remember that was like one of the dramatic incidents from back in the day. Um, so Lincoln project, I don't know how they're still around. Weren't they? That was uh, an organization. Another pedophile by a pedophile. organization. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's like, I don't think that was who the claimed subtext. to be conservatives or I don't know, something like that. Libertarians or some weird. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that was the intentional subtext, but as Luke's putting that together himself, he's probably, he's like, damn, there's a lot of these dudes and they're all getting into news recently. And then the other one I had was, uh, so it was going to be like, uh, the three pedophiles and a cyborg was going to be my summary of that. But, uh, the cyborg would be, uh, Mr. Meta, Mr. Zuckerberg, mm -hmm. <laughs> Like he's got this image. Reality, right? There's a public image that he's a very, not very humanistic character in this whole story. And he doesn't do anything to either make fun of himself, which would be funny or to like prove us wrong. Right. He just keeps stepping into it, like full, full into it. So he made this video and he's like, Facebook's going to be called meta and it's going to be virtual reality based and you know, all this sort of stuff. I don't trust that at all. I think that you're going to find out, you know, uh, this whole virtual reality thing that they've had planned probably is dependent somehow on this 5G infrastructure they've been putting in. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm just saying if they're putting in plumbing, they might be running water. That's and the new all. these things might power. go together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and the cause... internet of things, because that's yeah. another reason they need 5G so they can have higher surveillance and tracking on all the bits and pieces around us. Right. That's so if really they can track you, they can track Tony's jeans or Tony's shoes or Tony's shoelaces or whatever they have tracking things in. Cause they yep. make it in the, they can make it in the fabrics. Now they got some crazy tech and it's not being used for our freedom. Let's just put it that way. And then, uh, the firefighters quitting all those firehouses shut down in New York city. So part of me is like, Luke, there's nothing to worry about. They just, they, they got over fires. It's fireproofed in New York city. They no longer need all these firehouses. They don't have fires anymore. It's all good, bro. <clears throat> Let me know about the new materials they came up with that are like asbestos, but better, I guess. And I thought maybe it's a Bradbury 451 thing. No, no, <laughs> no. So yeah. So the, there's a lot of the, the thing Luke did say I mean, news, to, like the, the, yeah. the stories he's reporting on my point is are not superficial and there's a lot to be dug into and out of any of those stories that he's like briefing you on. So I, I just encouraging the audience not to be lazy and take that as, okay, now I know it's like, that's a starting point. 
and you can dig in and you can become more familiar and have some more granularity granularity and details about these topics. That's what makes Luke so great is that he actually does do a good outline that of news relevant news that you can dive into and you can find rabbit holes that go on endlessly. I mean, when he talked about uh, the BBC and uh, the royalty in England, and that could be a whole segment in and of itself, that could be multiple documentaries with yeah. uh, the pedophile islands, the Seville, um, the Royal family, uh, the well, Luke's been to Epstein's Island. Cause he not even with... just Epstein's there's pedophile islands off of Great Britain. With? He went with that's Jeff a very Berwick famous and... one. I can't remember. Off the top of it. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. He did. Yeah. yeah. But there's, yeah. there's a lot of that. That's really multiple documentaries of them, not multiple books and documentaries just on pedophilia and uh, royalty and Great Britain and all that stuff. And I noticed very slyly, he snuck in the graphic of Biden having bathroom trouble with the Vatican mm. without really calling it out and mentioning it. It was, he just <laughs> kind of put it on screen. He's like, just, just there. If you read. Well, those Italian bathrooms are kind of small, you know, we're little people. Some of the Italian bathrooms don't have toilets. They just have treads. In, in a hole. <laughs> I feel like I'm back in the Amazon in the middle of the jungle. Now setting the potty humor aside, we'll save that for later. Uh, we're going to go to the, uh, the weekly report from Christy Lee from Infowars, and uh, we'll be right back after that. Christy Lee. CNN says people vaccinated against COVID-19 less likely to die from any cause, study finds. So now it's a super vaccine. By golly, we've found the holy grail. Or he chose poorly. Next, CNN will tell us a study finds the jab will give you superpowers. You still think we're making you a superhero? We make super slaves. Bringing you what's ignored, sensationalized, unbalanced, misleading, or just plain false, here's your media malfeasance for the week. The Houston Chronicle seems to actually do a worthwhile fact check. President Joe Biden says people with COVID vaccination cannot spread it to you. This seems pretty cut and dry. False, right? No. Somehow they come up with a half-true determination. It says Biden's statement contradicts the position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, that the CDC wrote that fully vaccinated people can spread the virus to others. But Biden saying this month that people with COVID vaccination cannot spread it to you is somehow half true. That's like saying I'm half pregnant. Do we need to show them how this works? It's true or false with Christy Lee. And ignored by most of the media, he was once most frequently cited, but now many aren't interested in what this Yale epidemiologist has to say about jab mandates for children. Uh, organize with other parents to take them out of the school and create homeschooling environments. There is, there is no choice. Your child's life is on the line. It's not a high risk. Vaccination is not a high risk that's going to kill every child by doing so. However, it's enough of a risk that on the average, the benefit is higher for homeschooling than it is for, for vaccination and being in school. Never mind the Boom. FDA itself admitting they're using children as guinea pigs. We're never going to learn about how safe the vaccine is unless we start giving it. Yeah, that's just the way it goes. And how is this yeah, for ironic? The Pointer Institute prides itself in preparing journalists worldwide to hold powerful people accountable and promote honest information in the marketplace of ideas. Yet this week, it puts out an article to its eager and impressionable young journalists 
encouraging them to be careful how they frame the death of Colin Powell, saying his death should not be framed as the death of a vaccinated person, except it was the death of a fully vaccinated individual. It says to be sure to include Powell was immunocompromised. Did Pointer Institute encourage journalists to be sure to include the underlying conditions or if an unvaccinated person was immunocompromised? Why is Pointer Institute only concerned with making excuses for the vaccinated? The article concludes journalists will do a disservice if the story of his death is framed as the death of a vaccinated person. Isn't it a disservice and better yet unethical to purposely frame any story with the intention to influence the way your audience thinks? That sounds more like propaganda than journalism, Pointer Institute. Here's what the former CDC director has to say about vaccinated deaths. I happen to be the senior advisor to Governor Hogan in the state of Maryland. Uh, in the last six to eight weeks, uh, more than 40% of the people that died in Maryland were fully vaccinated. And I guess we're just supposed to ignore this as well. Illinois reports 77.7% of COVID deaths last week were vaccinated. Meanwhile, NPR notes that ERs are swamped with seriously ill patients, but most don't even have COVID. It says, even in parts of the country where COVID-19 isn't overwhelming the health system, patients are showing up to the ER sicker than they were before the pandemic. We are hearing from members in every part of the country, says Dr. Lisa Marino. The Midwest, the South, Northeast, West, they are seeing the exact same phenomenon. So there's more people showing up sicker than before the vaccine. Sounds like an immunity problem. Could it be lower antibodies? Recipients of the Pfizer vaccine, those who've had two doses, have about five to six fold lower amounts of neutralizing antibodies. Now these are the sort of gold standard private security uh, antibodies of your immune system. NPR doesn't make any note of that or that dealing with the surge in the ERs is even more difficult with less staff due to the mandates. As long as we're talking about NPR, let's end with this piece about Facebook with an interesting editor's note buried at the bottom. So an article about Facebook, sponsored by Facebook. And that's your media malfeasance for the week. For KLIM.news, I'm Christy Lee. This is not NPR, this is Facebook. I think that's what Zuckerberg's subtitles were there. All right, so um, I was glad to see former CDC director James Redfield uh, in the Halloween spirit. I really enjoyed his costume during that interview. Yeah, he was dressed up. He was dressed up as Grimace. That's what I thought. It was from the McDonald's mm -hmm. Land characters from the '70s and '80s. That's that's mm -hmm. his genre. Um, so the other topics in there, somewhat, you know, regular. It, we're almost normalizing what's happened with the stories continuing to come out and get just get a little bit crazier, a little bit crazier. What is going on in our side society? Are we at the driving? Uh, are we the driving force in the change in attitudes, values, behaviors, and beliefs? Or is maybe mainstream media doing that to people who don't pay attention so much and think that they can just become informed from watching some people on the TV instead of actually having to look stuff up, click some links, do some reading, put their reading glasses on, maybe take some notes and talk to other people to have a coherent understanding. I think that if we continue just uh, chronicling 
as journalists what's going on and taking a look at the anti-journalism and the propaganda and psychological warfare. That's important. But we're also going to have an opportunity tonight to talk about some of the solutions, and that'll come up probably in the next 20 minutes or so. We have a special guest that's going to drop by, and we're going to talk about communities and solutions and how to get together with other people in a mindset of freedom so that you can protect yourself, protect your rights, protect your families, and have the things you need because the uh, did, we, uh, did we publish the title of this episode? it's the supply lines are just yeah, the beginning you know these are not just like little hiccups that are going to be resolved readily these people plan to like wage a war of attrition and, and starve good people out we're going to make Fabius maximus look like you yeah. know child's play yeah, yeah so we'll get into some of that later on but we'll get to the solutions first so that when we get to the other news reports and things like that going on you'll have uh some optimism a little white white pill to go with the uh the red and the the blue pills. Well, I don't think anyone here is taking the blue pill. I don't think they'd listen too long. Make their ears would hurt. All right. So let's get into the show card. We're going to have to hit this Fauci flu and the Wuhan clan. Uh, this is a clip from Rand Paul. Like I said, he's like Rocky. You got, uh, you know, maybe Fauci's Drago. I bet he's always wanted to be a tall guy like that. So we're going to watch him duke it out. But I got to say at this point, short man syndrome, I'm finding Fauci less and less and less credible at this point. Like it's so hard to listen when I've read the documents and the documents go back a good 10 years at this point on this dude's involvement on predetermined. This is the solution before people even have the problem, because when you ask the question and you might want to ask this question, you know, Moderna observing Moderna facts, was uh, a cancer gene therapy company pioneering mRNA technology since 2013 with DARPA. At what point did they become a vaccine company? And was it around 2017 when NIH and EcoHealth had this other thing on the shelf and they might've needed an antidote for it? I mean, it might get that Bond villainish at, at some point here because there's a certain group of people who have operated from on high and like doubled, over doubled their wealth the super class. And at the same time, they have written checks on America's futures and given us like 1400 bucks a piece or something while they took trillions. So they've stolen trillions through the scam. And then they've indentured us to trillions through this. And they took that money and recirculated it right away. So maybe, maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe it's not just about the virus and keeping people safe and social distancing and wear your mask. Cause as long as you guys are all wearing your mask, you're not watching these people steal the entire planet and the future of humanity. Yeah, there's, I would guess, I would just you know estimate like 10 to 15 to $20 trillion in wealth dis- redistribution just happened in the past year, 18 months. And if you don't think that's enough money to bribe everybody to keep all their people silent and on the same page and special freedoms for those who go along with it and those who question it, oh, I'm sorry, you're going to be de-personed, de-platformed, censored, you know, uh, called conspiracy theorists, what have you even though time will prove you correct, people will just remember those negative stigmas that are thrown out there because it's not about the truth for them. It's about their narrative. And while we're studying one narrative judiciously as we will, they're out there creating new narratives. That's how Karl Rove put it because he said they're an empire now. This is how they run things. So They, they create yeah. history. Yeah, let's check in with Dr. Rand Paul and Dr. Tony Fauci. And I bet Rand Paul has seen a patient much more recently than Dr. Fauci, so thumbs up on that one, not being a hypocrite. Let's go to Dr. Fauci and his defense of uh, what they're doing. 
And just speaking of Rand Paul and Halloween, oh, this was him uh, 13 years ago dressed up as $10 trillion. Now we're at $30 trillion. Wow. <laughs> wow. Somebody do the drive-by on the national debt, that would have been an awful thing. You can't do that, Rand. That's like putting a billboard on your chest. People want to erase those books. Can't have all that debt in one place. All right, let's go to it. I think it's disappointing that this has become politicized. I think we should try to get to the bottom of where the COVID virus came from. There's a lot of evidence now that it came from the lab in China. This is important because we don't want this to happen again. Unfortunately, Dr. Fauci has resisted this investigation and has denied that they funded research in China that might have caused this disease. But the evidence is mounting that there's been a cover-up. The evidence is mounting that this disease did originate in a laboratory. Two big pieces of information. Number one, the wet markets where they sell these exotic animals in, uh, in Wuhan and in parts of China, they tested 80,000 animals and they didn't find any animals that were positive for COVID. So they didn't find an animal host for this. It looks like it just showed up one day in humans. That argues for this coming from a lab and not evolving and coming from animals. The other large piece of evidence is they looked at thousands of blood samples from people in China in 2019 to see if any of them had antibodies to COVID already. If this came naturally, usually it comes slowly before it comes quickly. And you'll find in the very early stages, some sporadic cases of people who had COVID in 2019. Well, they looked through, I believe, 9,000 samples and they found nobody with COVID. This argues very strongly for this disease having come from the lab as well. When we've questioned Dr. Fauci on this, though, he says, oh, we weren't doing that kind of research there and we didn't fund it. Well, it turns out that the NIH, which Dr. Fauci is a big part of, did fund research in Wuhan and continues to send money over there. Your money is going to Wuhan to fund research. In this research, they take an unknown virus from a bat cave and they combine it with another virus that can cause pandemics. And then they try to find out whether or not the new virus they create in the lab could cause illness. Well, lo and behold, they have found that it does cause illness. And Dr. Fauci still won't admit that this kind of research was gain of function, meaning the virus gained the function or gained lethality. The virus gained in dangerousness when they combined these viruses. Well, this is a crazy kind of research. We shouldn't be doing it in China. We certainly shouldn't be funding it with taxpayer money, but we also should not be doing it in America. There are two labs in America, one in Galveston and one in North Carolina, that are still doing this research, and I'm sure they're still doing this research in Wuhan. Your taxpayer dollars are still going to China. When Dr. Fauci's asked about it, he says, oh yeah, he's still in favor of sending your money to China to do this research. I think that's a terrible idea, and it may well have been the cause. We don't have proof that it was the cause, but we do think that this kind of experiments could have created the virus that is the pandemic. When Dr. Fauci was asked about this in 2012, he said, well, you know, I'm for gain-of-function research, and sure, a scientist could get infected, and we could get a pandemic, but it would be worth it. He said that it would be worth it even if we had a pandemic, because the knowledge would be worth it. I think the 5 million people have died so far, and their families probably would beg to differ with Dr. Fauci and say, you know what, maybe the knowledge you think you would have gained 
maybe wasn't worth the loss of my loved one. We have to investigate this. There hasn't been any investigation. I've asked the heads of the committees who are Democrats to investigate where this virus came from. We have not had one hearing, zero hearings on investigating where this virus came from. I'm gonna keep pushing for this. We need to, because you know what? This virus had a 1% mortality and that meant right now over 750,000 Americans have lost their lives from this. Can you imagine if this had 15% mortality or 50% mortality? Some of the viruses that they're experimenting with in these gain-of-function research that Dr. Fauci supports have 15% mortality. Some of the viruses have 50% mortality. This is alarming, it's crazy, and it should come to a stop. Everybody on the phone call should know, I stand up every day and ask the questions, how did this virus start? How did this pandemic start? And what do we do to stop it? How did the pandemic start? Well, people who say it comes from a wet market. The next question is, what was the animal host? And everyone, they don't have an answer for that. And yet, and yet that was the narrative for a good solid six months before they even started looking into maybe since there is a virus lab there. I mean, it pretty much took like John Stewart pointing it out in a very comedic way that it started to take hold out there and people started to like talk about it openly. Until then, everyone was talking about, oh, it came from the wet market because those people eat raw meat, you know, that's not, you know, clean. And that's the idea, right? It's almost a racist idea to get go from the get go to say it's the wet market and, you know, unclean eating practices or whatever comes along with that. That without substantiation of what is the animal host is absent of anything that I would consider evidence or reason or logic that would substantiate that having more weight than Here's government agencies taking billions of taxpayer dollars and using that as part of a mini lab chain system where they're creating these things, these chimeric gain of function mutations of nature. And Fauci does say stuff like, oh, it's the, the, the knowledge is worth it. You know who all said that stuff? What's the Japanese unit where they would stick dudes' arms into liquid nitrogen and shatter them with hammers and stuff to, you know, just to find out how people would tolerate the cold? Was that uh, unit 257? Has that ever been substantiated? No, 257 is lab 257. That's 257, but there's a unit in Japan that I remember Corbett talked 731? Something like that. It, he talked. This is a, a biological mm-hmm. and research unit, and it was like a. It's you know, tough because the similar to what the Nazis had, and similar to what the United yeah. States and Soviet Union had, and yeah, what exactly. the British have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of those uh, covert well, weapons development programs. Going more on developed around nations the around the world have been doing these types of experimentation, either on their own troops or on enemies or whatever, for a very long time. So. And traditionally nation states and military stayed away from biological weapons because they're very hard to control. Yeah, they, they, they relied on right. chemical weapons up until the treaties. And well, what did Fauci or not Fauci, but Rand just said like 50%, 15% or 50% mortality rate working with viruses of that nature. MERS, yeah, there's uh, Middle Eastern rep- Respiratory Syndrome. There's uh, other ones that have higher Almost mortality high. rates. Yeah. But the point is like now they could lean toward biologicals because they have so much digital capability of maneuvering and creating and opening things and closing and splicing and no CM techniques like Ralph Barrick at university Correct, of North yeah. Carolina, all these sort of things. 
So it's almost abs- like a plausible thing that they could use. Like tech, like the, the theory wouldn't hold water if technologically they couldn't keep it under control. And I think that's where it was most of the time in 20th century. But now with CRISPR and all these other techniques that they've Correct. developed. Genetic sequencing right? techniques have become incredibly yeah. sophisticated. And it now. happens to coincide with their goals. Like Fauci said they wanted to do this thing, but they they lacked like a new Pearl Harbor. That's my wording. But he said, we can't do that because it would be against right. all the rules. But and the guy's like, what if we, you know, what if we did and we threw away the rules and we just did this thing and did it for science? I'm like, yeah, that's how the Nazis and, you know. But Rich, wouldn't other- it be better if more people died? You remember what was that guy from the Melkin Institute said, look, wouldn't it be better if more people didn't take more seriously having to get universal vaccines for just the flu shot, let alone yeah. any other vaccine? Yeah. I mean, uh, well, I mean, I balance it with the stoicism of everyone's born into this place and everyone has to die to get out, you know, yeah, but right. I don't think we should have our duration here artificially cut short by other people whose profession it is to take away people's freedom. I think maybe we should find the people who take away prof- freedom as their profession we should insulate them from the rest of us or something something you would think me man you still has to learn that i guess what would von Clausewitz do you know anyway (laughs) get distracted with that uh the next clip is coming from john bound it's a report talking about uh fauci's titanic is sinking he has a titanic and it's sinking maybe he's playing in the bathtub making bubbles and uh you know you can't fill that bathtub up too high so real quick could be isn't America bought Unit 731 after the war. So Unit 731 Manchuria, World War II, I think was the reference you were. Yeah, it's Japanese experiments in Manchuria is in China, but it was occupied China at that point. It was occupied China. And people aren't aware of the Chinese-Japanese relationship in World War II. Well, you know, you can look that up and find There's some some flying tigers. Search flying tigers plus opium and see where where it gets you. You can too. See if you bump into anybody that's uh, uh, part of the American international group later. <laughs> I see. They, there might be a couple British spies in that. I mean, they're a front for drug that. running through the skull and bones. What? Air America? Were they smuggling hmm. uh, cocaine? Or, oh, no. Sorry, heroin. I think they were bringing back into Vietnam War and inside soldiers' bodies. So they would Seems ship a casket a home. Consistency with us going to war and then bringing back drugs. I don't know. Uh, well, <clears throat> I remember that one of the Air Force bases used, uh, like, so if you look at 9 11, uh, two of the hijackings cross and the transponders and radar signatures disappear and then they come back on. And when you look at what did they fly over? Uh, oh, there's an Air Force base there. So it's plausible. And then, and yeah. then if you look at what is the history of Absolutely. that base, it's like uh, Elliot Spitzer, Pataki, a whole oh, bunch of people wow. that had yeah. port authority, right? And then yeah. they got busted bringing a bunch of ecstasy into that uh, into that uh, that military base, base from it, Germany. Uh, it's Southern New York. I forget what it's called. Okay, so it's in the Northeast. So it's the Air yeah. Force Base. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's in New York State, and uh, I think it's like it's pretty close to like Connecticut. That's not even talking about what happened El- in Arkansas not, not in the eighties and nineties with the drug running with Barry Seal. It also no, it's a whole different drug in, That's my point. It, it's yeah. not just the Berry Seal. It's, it's not, not just, just cocaine from yeah. Mexico. Yeah, yeah. South America. Yeah, could be opium from the empire. All right. So moving on, we got to get to this John Bound report because I, I want to see uh, Fauci's Titanic and why it's sinking. Maybe we can help him fix it. Keep that Titanic afloat. It's not supposed to sink. We worked through the pa- this pandemic over a year. We worked. We worked. 
We worked. We worked tirelessly, long hours, without fear, boldly, took care of us as the citizens of the city of this New York. We answered countless calls, countless EMS emergencies and other emergencies to keep the city safe. Let's just stop. It's like a Mexican standoff. Let's just all of us just put our guns down right here. That's nice. And let's just stop this right now. Right now. Let's stop this right now. Because this is a bioweapon war. If the point that you are making is that the, the, the grant that was funded as a sub-award from EcoHealth to Wuhan created SARS-CoV-2, that's where you are getting. Let me finish. We don't know. Well, we don't wait know a minute. It didn't I come from the lab, but you. all the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab. You, and there will be responsibility for those who funded the right. lab, including yourself. I totally This committee resent, will allow the witness to respond. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating. The NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute. Anthony Fauci has spent, listen to this number, $191 billion, not 3.7 million, not 30 million, $191 billion of audited funds for the bioweaponization of viruses against humanity. Despite the fact that we have every grant recipient Every person, their address, their phone number, their laboratory, we literally have the entirety of where that money went. And not a single investigation agency in this country is willing to look. This is a bioweapons program designed to kill us. That's what it is. And it's not just designed to kill us, it's designed to kill massive numbers of the population. Wednesday's letter to Congress admits, if not obscurely, that gain-of-function research was in fact funded by the NIH through EcoHealth. The question remains, is this latest revelation testament to an NIH that knowingly lied about its involvement in dangerous COVID research in Wuhan, or was its involvement a snapshot into a deadly form of reckless disregard? The issue of whether NIH-funded risky research resurfaced last week after the health agency said in a letter to Congress that a contractor performing experiments in Wuhan did not share all its data. Hall cited the letter as further evidence that Fauci and other public health officials had lied when they denied the NIH-funded such studies. He called for Fauci to be fired over the admission. Even if you don't agree with the latest headlines that Fauci lied to Congress about whether or not the NIH funded gain of function research or the heart wrenching headlines regarding experiments on puppies, much of the public has lost confidence in Fauci and his ability to lead the nation out of this pandemic. He's admitted to lying at times for noble reasons. He's been accused of blatantly lying during others. He's flip flop on what he considers to be indisputable science and backpedaled on what it will take to allow us to get back to normal. Yet Fauci, who turns 81 at the end of the year, is still the guy at the helm. Why? Directed by major corporations to bring in world government and all their greedy, crazy crap and their world ID and all this stuff. And, and it's prophesied it's going to happen sometime in the future. I'd like it not to happen maybe in my lifetime, maybe now. Harari says the countries and companies that control the most data will in the future be the ones that control the world. Today in the world, data is worth much more than money. Ten years ago, you had these big corporations paying billions and billions for WhatsApp, for Instagram, and people wondered, are they crazy? Why do they pay billions to get this application that doesn't produce any money? 
And the reason why? Because it produced data. The world is increasingly kind of cut up into spheres of, 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 of data collection, of data harvesting. Uh, in the Cold War, you had the Iron Curtain. Now you have the Silicon Curtain. And where does the data go? California, or does it go to Shenzhen and to Shanghai and to Beijing? Harari is concerned the pandemic has opened the door for more intrusive kinds of data collection, including biometric data. What is biometric data? It's data about what's happening inside my body. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. Are you really into child sacrifice? Because that's what this is. And is that what you want to be part of? People have now reached that point. Alex, you're being so over the top. And he'd say, uh, what do you want me to do? They're, they're out there hurting kids. What do you, you know, how can you not get upset about that? Uh, especially being exposed to it and having to talk about it on a daily basis, right? Even just talking about it one time a week, I get a little revved up at some of these stories too. The, the next story we're going to go to, because Audible, we're going to go to the Tim Pool clip with the other Fauci story from this week. I didn't even want to mention it in the intro because it's so unpleasant, but I think as part of the, the week's news, we need to put it here in a time capsule. We need to learn uh, a little bit more about what's coming out. I know Steven Crowder also had a part because he's like, why is everyone talking about this story? Because the story happened earlier in the month. There's actually two stories. Actually, actually three, probably. There's two different dog stories and a monkey story now that are out there circulating. The but children's story too, about foster yeah. children. Yeah, yeah, right. So I think, you know, learning a little bit more about who is Mr. Medicine here, kids, right? And notice we haven't seen Bill Gates anywhere lately. Because he's got people at work suing him for sexual harassment and stuff. He's got other people who are throwing fire on him. So, yeah, you're not going to see him out there, like, doing his thing right now. But he'll be back. He'll be back. I don't trust that he's going to go too far. But he's just a little preoccupied. And there is a lot of heat on this Fauci situation. So he has made himself uh, scarce for the time being. But, yeah, let's go to this. Um, I was going to go to the Kim Iverson fire Fauci already. But let's just get past fire Fauci. And let's get into, like, why are so many people all of a sudden... Republican, Democrat, they're on the same side against this, uh, this little doctor, a little soft-spoken doctor. Why would they do that? Why would they be so emotional right now? So we're going to go to Tim Pool from, uh, I think this is uh, not Tim Cass, it's just Tim Pool's uh, daily vlog. This is where the clips come from. I believe. It's yeah. part of the value he purveys. He covers news, and then in the evening, he does a podcast with his friends. They're both can be interesting in their different ways. So let's go to uh, Tim Pool solo and uh, let him tell you the bad news about uh, Fauci and the dogs. More in depth than last week. Hashtag arrest Fauci is trending on Twitter. Again, it's trended several times, this time over images of particularly gruesome animal experimentation. Images of dogs with their heads in boxes, and the boxes are full of infected sand flies. Uh, there's some graphic warning. Before I talk about the full details of what the tests ended up, what they did and, and what they were doing, just want to give you that warning. Uh, I think animal testing is bad for the most part, but I'm not 100% opposed to it. However, the questions around this particular story is why were they engaged in this experiment? Now that you've been warned about the graphic nature of this, I'm not going to show any photos or anything, but let me just explain. The dogs had their vocal cords slit so they couldn't whimper or cry. 
Their heads were placed in boxes that were full of infected sand flies that proceeded to eat their faces alive. Many people were wondering why this had to be done. Now, I think this is bad. And I think it's wrong. And I think there's gruesome studies carried out on these animals. And I would prefer maybe a slightly uh, slower rate of scientific progress in exchange for better ethical guidelines. We, we know these horrifying stories about that unit seven, whatever, you know, the Japanese scientific unit and what the Nazi scientists were doing. They did brutal stuff in Japan. There was, I think it was Operation Paperclip, I'm not sure, where we started recruiting all of these scientists that were doing awful things in these foreign countries. But for one example, in Japan, they would take a prisoner and they would stick their arm out uh, into freezing cold and freeze it to see what would happen to the living person on the inside. And I'm pretty sure they would shatter it in certain ends, like break it off just to see what would happen. I mean, absolutely brutal stuff. So, of course, seeing these photos... People are calling for Fauci's arrest. I'm actually going to offer up a slight defense of Fauci. I know the dude doesn't really deserve it for the most part for a lot of reasons, but it's not so much about Fauci. It's about scientific research. It's about this idea that people will expect wealth and splendor without sacrifice. I'm reminded of the anime full metal alchemist. Let me let me nerd out equivalent exchange. You must give something to get something. I think about all the iPhones and smartphones people have, and they celebrate the great technology without realizing all of the backbreaking labor, uh, labor slavery, and the suicides around, say, iPhones, for instance. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. I maybe have told you the story before where she was saying she wanted to make the world a better place. I said, yeah, for you and for your country and for your, you know, your tribe. And she's like, no, no, for everybody. And I'm like, you're using a, a MacBook. I, the people who made that were, were performing near ritual suicide, walking off a building in single file lines because of the torture conditions they were living under. How is buying a MacBook contributing to the greater of society? And then you get these dumb memes on the left where it's like, I live in part of society, you know. You know, you know that stupid one where the guy's like, the peasant is carrying the sticks and he's like, we should improve society somewhat. And the guy says, yeah, you participate in it. How strange. That's a stupid argument. It's like a child's argument. You complain about how bad the world is, but then actively fund the bad parts of it because I'm more effective. Please, every despot has had everything the same. And that's why I am mostly opposed to animal research. But what I mean to say is you want your medicines to work. Okay, we can choose to do experiments on humans or we can choose to do it on animals. And we have varying degrees of the experimentation from lab mice and rats to dogs and cats because we want bigger and smaller and, and, and different animals to test on to see what, how, how things happen. And that means through, these, through this experimentation, and not all of it, you end up with things of comfort. You end up with medications that can cure you, make you less sick, heal your wounds, treat your mind. And it's because we tested it on something now, there's also an option that people could be willing participants and choose on a consent form saying they will accept, you know, these these uh, medical tests and then early stages might kill people. So there's very serious challenges. Animal testing is a part of the scientific progress uh, process. I'm not saying it's good. Here's the story from Stardem.com. Fauci pressed over U.S. funding of cruel medical experiments on dogs and puppies. Beagles locked in cages with sandflies, vocal cords removed federal lawmakers. 
are seeking answers from Dr. Anthony Fauci regarding potential U.S. funding for medical research involving cruel treatment of dogs, including puppies, locking beagles in with sand flies and removing removal of vocal cords to quiet their barking. Oh, because when they were suffering, they had to remove their ability to make noise. Nancy Mace spearheaded a letter with other Republican and Democratic congressional members asking Fauci and the NIAID about reports from watchdog groups. Fauci is the director of the NIAID, quote, according to documents obtained by a Freedom of Information Act request by taxpayer watchdog group White Coat Waste Project and subsequent media coverage from October 2018 until February 2019, NIAID spent $1.68 million in taxpayer funds on drug tests involving 44 beagle puppies. The dogs were all between six and eight months old. The commission test involved injecting and force feeding the puppies an experimental drug for several weeks before killing and dissecting them. The letter from Mace and, and uh, uh, the, the letter read from Mace and 23 other lawmakers. Animal rights and other advocates also worry about reports that beagles and other dogs in the medical experiments had their vocal cords removed to quiet their barking and yelping. Quote, of particular concern is the fact that the invoice to NIAID included a line item for cordectomy. As you are likely aware, cordectomy is also known as a devocalization, involves slitting a dog's vocal cords in order to prevent them from barking, howling, or crying. The letter reads in reference to concerns about the debarking of dogs. The congressional correspondence was signed by other Republicans, including Carlos Jimenez, Daniel Webster, Brian Mast, Bill Posey, Scott Franklin, and Maria Salazar, as well as Democrats, such as Cindy Axney of Ohio, Jimmy Gomez of California, and Eleanor Holmes Norton of D.C. U.S. funding of medical research involving potentially cruel treatment of dogs, in particular beagles, is being scrutinized by watchdog groups, such as the White Coat Waste Project. One of the projects criticized the group's $375,800 U.S. medical research grant from NIAID to a lab in Tunisia that allegedly involved locking beagles' heads in mesh cages filled with hundreds of infected sandflies. There were also reports of researchers removing dogs' vocal cords. Okay, so you, you, you get the point. And for this, arrest Fauci is trending. Fox News reports... Twitter users posted the hashtag calling out Fauci, director of the NIAID, we get it, over reports of hundreds of thousands of taxpayer dollars used to subject dogs to cruel tests. And you have these meme photos. This is why I use Stardem first out of Fox, because Fox just shows a bunch of people tweeting about it instead of core details. BDW tweeted, if you're angry about how Fauci uses puppies, just wait until you hear about he uses COVID vaccines on healthy kids. All right. Arrest Fauci is trending. He funded, first word says, he funded gain of function and he funded cruel treatment of innocent dogs. He's an evil doctor and a despicable person. I agree with that. Additionally, Fauci has been criticized after an NIH official appeared to confirm that taxpayers funded gain of function research on the coronavirus in a lab in Wuhan, despite Fauci's repeated claims that was not the case. In July, Republican Senator Rand Paul called for the Department of Justice to issue a criminal referral against Fauci for lying to Congress about gain-of-function research funded by the NIH. I will be sending a letter to the Department of Justice asking for a criminal referral because he has lied to Congress. We have scientists that were lined up by the dozens to say that the research he was funding was gain-of-function, Rand Paul told Hannity. He's doing this because he has a self-interest to cover his tracks and to cover his connection to the Wuhan lab. Fauci's NIH told Fox News this week that Fauci had been entirely truthful during his testimony on gain-of-function research. He hasn't. He lied, and people are lying to cover his tracks. And now people are starting to dig into what else he was funding. I think it's a good thing. 
I think for too long, people like Fauci and special interests are able to do horrifying things because people don't pay attention. Interestingly, the story about these beagles and what goes on with them, it's, it's been around for some time. Animal testing has been frowned upon for some time. But as I mentioned earlier, there's some very serious considerations here. We don't like the idea that dogs are being tested on, but there may be reasons to test on dogs. Maybe a certain protein uh, metabolization. So we say we have to use dogs for this one. And I think people don't realize this. Maybe now people are starting to realize this and things could change, maybe for the better. Maybe there are better ways to go about doing these tests to secure medications for humans. Here's what I think. I think that many of these companies choose the cheaper route. They could go a safer route. They could go a more ethical route, but that would be expensive. And so what they do is they say, just cram a beagle's head in a box and see what happens. Instead of actually having decent parameters and saying, we're going to try and avoid mutilating animals and cutting them apart. And these stories are absolutely brutal. I was reading about what they do to these dogs, man. Absolutely brutal. But so long as no one is paying attention, they get away with this evil stuff. And for the longest time, people weren't paying attention. Now, I do think it's funny that we have this story from The Intercept, bred to suffer inside the barbaric U.S. industry of dog experimentation by Glenn Greenwald and Leighton Akio Woodhouse from 2018. As you know, Glenn Greenwald is no longer at The Intercept, is very critical of it. But I find a few things fascinating. The story's been around for a long time. Glenn Greenwald cover it. He runs a dog rescue in Brazil. I believe he still does. I know he did. Been around for a long time. Why now are people all of a sudden concerned about these dogs? Could it be political? Yep. I'm willing to bet it's almost entirely political. Not for everybody. Obviously, people knew about these experimentations and, and didn't like it. There's a lot of people now probably only are mad about it because it's Fauci and people hate Fauci. But you know what? I got no problem with that. Welcome to the fight. Welcome to the fray. If you're now going to stand up and say, hey, maybe this is wrong. Maybe now you're paying attention. I think it's a good thing. Hopefully it's on principle and not tribalism. But for the time being, if we can actually address how horrifying these, this process is. I want to tell you exactly what Fauci was funding. I want to read for you a story from Glenn Greenwald in The Intercept, not a right wing publication. So you can understand what Fauci was saying yes to. The Intercept reports, there is a large, there is a largely hidden, poorly regulated and highly profitable industry in the U.S. that has a gruesome function, breeding dogs for the sole purpose of often torturous experimentation, after which the dogs are killed because they are no longer of use. Americans frequently express horror at festivals in countries such as China and South Korea where dogs are killed, cooked and eaten. Mainstream media outlets in the U.S. routinely report with a tone of disgust on the use of dogs in those countries for food consumption. And now I'm going to make that other point. Why just dogs? Why not any other animal? And I genuinely mean it. Now I understand maybe there's a cultural and social aspect to this. Why we care more about dogs being experimented on than say cows or whatever. We don't mind eating cows and chickens or pigs. We treat them like just stock food. Well, I'll tell you this. I got a bunch of chickens. You guys know I have a bunch of chickens. I can look out the window and see Chicken City is underway, nearing completion, hopefully uh, today or the next couple of days. And I care about my chickens, especially the babies. Now, look, we got a bunch of babies that were born, that were already born. We raised them and I care about them. But I got to be honest, I care about the dogs and the cats that are here way more than the chickens. Now, the chickens that we actually 
bred and raised ourselves, I care a whole lot about. They're like my pets. And you know what? When they're old enough to lay eggs, we will eat them. I don't think we're ever going to eat these chickens because they're layers. You know, they lay eggs. So for the first few years, totally fine. We don't want to eat them. Maybe afterwards we will, because otherwise, what do you do? You know, they're, they just mill about and do chicken stuff. And that's when you, when you, when you eat them. Maybe we won't for uh, some of them. I don't know. Maybe because we're doing the show. Some people have tweeted, you know, at me like, don't eat the chickens. They're your friends. And it's like, well, so long as they're laying eggs, there's a reason to have them around. And we like them because we, we put them on camera and they do chicken stuff. But I think people need to realize, too, that, you know, humans and dogs, the theory is evolved together. And so we have a very serious bond. It's a fascinating story, by the way, which I will tell you. I'm not saying it's true. I'm not an evolutionary biologist. But my understanding is that humans had camps, nomadic, a long time ago. And they were wolves. When humans would move their camp, they'd leave behind refuse, which the wolves would come and scavenge. Eventually, some wolves were less afraid of the people. Those that were less afraid were more likely to survive. And if they were more likely to survive, there'd be more of them. And then of that new batch of wolves that were less afraid of humans would be even more babies. Now, here's the thing. Humans don't like wolves. So the humans who were more likely to tolerate the, the encroachment of the wolves were also more likely to survive. Why? Well, as it goes, the wolves that were closer to the camp would be marking their territory, something that humans don't care about. But other predators do. They would smell the wolf urine. They'd be like, I ain't going anywhere near here. This is wolf territory. And so eventually the wolves and the humans that were more tolerant of each other started to live closer and closer together to the point where wolves would freely walk the camps of some of these human tribal, uh, you know, uh, of these human tribes. By then, I think they were called proto-dogs. They were much more tolerant. Humans were very tolerant of them and got along with them. And then these proto-dogs would start following, or maybe, maybe it, was, it was the wolves at this point, but like proto-dogs, kind of wolf, would follow humans on the hunt. And the humans would be like, hey, hey, this thing knows where the animal is. It can smell it. Together, humans and dogs were able to hunt prey neither could do alone humans and wolves. And so over time, we became somewhat symbiotic. I don't think symbiosis is the right word for it. Maybe a symbiotic relationship emerged where dogs provided some level of protection, guard dogs, and assisted in the hunt. And humans grew to love them because the humans that did were more likely to survive. And thus, man's best friend. The story of cats is actually quite funny. They're an invasive species that humans tolerate. Why? They have big eyes that remind us of babies. Apparently, that's what they say. Take a look at these stories, and you can see this poor image of this dog. That sad face. And then you start to realize that, while I certainly think animal cruelty is wrong across the board, if I'm going to eat one of my chickens, it is going to be put out of its misery very, very quickly without realizing what's happening. And I'm sad I don't like to end life, but I also understand as a person, a human who eats, this is what you do. And there are people who go to the store and they don't realize what they're eating. You're eating life. Something was alive. It's dead now and you consume it. That's, that's, that's the circle of life. To improve the lives of humans, there are many people who have found it easy to do the experimentations on dogs. As I mentioned, sometimes maybe it has to be on dogs for certain things. I don't like the idea. Locked in a small cage subjected to procedures that impose extreme pain and suffering, but I don't let emotion dominate my worldview. And that means there's kind of a conundrum here. If you are dominated by logic, you would be no different than those awful scientists 
breaking off someone's arm and freezing it. You don't care about the individual. You don't care about their life. If you're dominated by emotion, you would sacrifice the potential for gain and the improvement and protection of individuals because everything is wrong all the time. Not only that, but as an overly emotional being, you might actually become violent and dangerous like a lot of the woke people are. The truth is, there's a healthy balance. Recognizing that we do have to do some brutal experimentation and recognizing where that line is and what we're willing to accept. It's not easy. A lot of people don't realize they benefit from some of the most brutal experimentation possible. Notably, the production of standard medications. My, I, I'm, I, I'm, uh, I think it's like aspirin and um, acetaminophen and, and ibuprofen. I think they use fetal cell tissue to make these products or to test them or whatever. What I do know is it's been widely reported. As people claim they won't get the vaccine because they used fetal cells in the testing of it from aborted fetuses, these organizations come out and say, so, so all these other, other medications do too. But here's, here's what you realize. A lot of these people say, wow, I didn't know that. I guess I won't take aspirin anymore. That's the important point. The view from the, the establishment left is that anybody who didn't already know and finds out now is a hypocrite. Mm, I think a lot of people who are finding out what's going on right now are changing their view of things. And that goes along with Fauci and his dogs. This is, I can't imagine that this group going after Fauci is a right-wing group for animal rights. But certainly the right is now ready to understand just how brutal and awful these practices are. And it may have been Fauci who led them there. All in all, probably a good thing. They mentioned the Intercept report. According to U.S. Department of Agriculture's aptly named Animal Usage Report, 60,979 dogs were used in the U.S. for experimentation in 2016 alone. The reported number of all animals used for experimentation whose reporting was required, was 820,000. It's an interesting conundrum. So 183,000 guinea pigs, 139,000 rabbits, 102,000 hamsters, 71,000 non-human primates, 60,000 dogs, 50,000 pigs, 18,000 cats, 12,000 sheep, 161,000 other covered species. It's tough, isn't it? It's really tough. We think about the moral injustice of slavery taking a person and taking away their will, their, their, their free will, their, their, their rights, wrong. Now we have people who argue that killing animals for food is the same thing. Now this I disagree with. I certainly think that animals do also have rights. I wouldn't necessarily say they have the same rights as people, but there's certain rights. I mean, animal cruelty is wrong for a reason. Some animals have some rights. I certainly think so. I, because I believe rights are part of natural, natural law. What, you know, anyway, I digress. Some animals do. And then we get to the question of, are we to uh, use them in experiment, form, uh, uh, to experiment on to better ourselves? And you have to be somewhat cold a little bit. I don't think people want to recognize this, but I'm not going to play emotional games with people just because Fauci is a, is a dickhead. You know, he's a liar. He's wrong all the time. He's 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 awful. But I'm not going to blame him for the fact that he signed off on funding for what's been going on forever. I certainly think it is bad, but there are very serious questions you need to ask yourself. Like the, the founder of not, not the founders, like the high ranking person at PETA, diabetic, getting insulin derived from pigs. And many people call this person out as a hypocrite. Why should you be allowed to harvest the insulin from pigs, kill them in the process? 
assuming they do, uh, harm them, cage them, but then demand other people can't have pets, can't have a dog, can't have a cat. Hypocrisy. And the response is, I'm more effective this way. That's always the answer, isn't it? But these are the questions that people need to ask themselves. Do you really want to know how the sausage is made? Because once you find out, you might not want to participate in that anymore. It's brutal questions. When you realize that around the world, slavery still exists. When you realize that no matter where you are, all of these great things you're getting, these technological developments, partly include in many ways aborted fetal cell tissue and animals, dogs. If it was you, could you pull the, pull the trigger? Probably not. You know, a lot of these people who grow up in cities have become so weak they couldn't they couldn't shoot an animal to eat it. They'd be, no, I can't do it. I can't kill it. It's good in some ways. Me, I've never been like that for whatever reason, even growing up in a city. I don't want to hurt any animal. And I hope I, hope I never have to. But when it comes to raising livestock to consume, you do. You do. And it's, it's, a, it's an important lesson for, for, for kids. Do you want to know where the chicken nuggets you eat come from? When you go to the store and we get you know, a chicken sandwich, when you get a cheeseburger, these kids need to understand what they're doing. They don't. I love that. I, was, I, was, I had a steak for breakfast. It was great. Local farm sirloin. Mm, delicious. Lightly seasoned. And as I was eating it, I was reminded of that story on Twitter where these people were like, wait a minute, you mean steaks are made of muscle? And they're all like, I thought meat was just like the meat. What? What are you thinking? It's muscle. You're not eating tongue or intestine. What do you think you're eating? Just meat. You think like animals are just made of like raw steak walking around. There's like no heart or anything. Like animals carry with them just this rich proteiny material that does nothing for their bodies. It's muscle. These people don't know that. So look, you want to arrest Fauci? You want to throw him out? By all means. I'm not a fan of this stuff. But I hope, you, I hope you take a look into these factories and see how the, how the sausage gets made, because then you might be like, wow, there's a lot more people involved in this. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash TimCast. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. All right. So at this point in the episode, we are going to uh, we're gonna do two things. We're going to have a special guest, and we're going to learn about some solutions it's great that those two things go together. Most of the episode tonight is going to be us delving into various news stories, providing deep, uh, deep dive context. Let's get into the documents. I do have one comment I want to show you about. Uh, let me alt tab back to that browser or maybe do it twice and get here. <clears throat> I did look up on political PolitiFact Pointer Institute, which uh, funds PolitiFact, had this, um, it, it, it reviewed <clears throat> from their perspective, all these Fauci stories that Tim was just covering, right? So you can see this is their reframing of it in the most favorable light for Dr. Fauci as a form of fact-checking. This is not strategic communications or political. This is fact-checking, everybody. If you go down to the, the part with, there's a Tunisia study. So how they debunk this and say, they basically say the, this photo is not from that experiment. Not that they didn't do it. Not that they didn't do it just like that. The way they debunk that is that ex that photo doesn't go with that experiment. It's a straw, man. <clears throat> Here's the other part. Because uh, my question was, why are they experimenting with these dogs? 
Like if they're doing something that's really like worthwhile to humanity, it's a little bit more tolerable than uh, their copper tone wants to know if the suntan lotion or whatever the corporations get into it and they do animal studies too. Right. So NIH and uh, national institutes of infectious disease and allergies and this sort of thing. Why are they doing this experiment? All right, let's go back to the browser. Cause uh, there's a, a mosquito transmitted parasite. Now I know they know about ivermectin, but they're looking for a vaccine answer. Right. And it could be, uh, could be transmitted to humans. So they're doing this because there's this mosquito transmitted parasite that they don't want to use ivermectin or something similar that might be used for anti-parasitics. They have a vaccine pro proclivity to solve that problem. That's why they're doing it. So uh, in that case, I would say that's, that's a lot more in question than if they were just <clears throat> uh, doing it for like a, a better reason. Like, is this the only way is the vaccine the only way to treat that ailment or are the pills out of date? Are they out of patent? And you guys are trying to come up with a new product to develop, to treat that ailment. And it's a sales process. So if the animals are being hurt as part of a sales process, cause they got a new product, I don't like that. But if the animals are being tested because it's saving human lives or keeping children from dying or something like that, it's going to pull more on my heartstrings. I, I, I guess I would be like, more open to that. So I also want to make sure it's not just an outrage story with Fauci. It's just like, this is what these groups do because they say the knowledge is worth it, right? The, the, there's that clip of the FDA guy says, we can't know if this vaccine is safe for, for kids until we get it and put it in kids' bodies and see what happens. Those types of comments are not reflective of science. Those are not people who are solutions oriented. So that's why we wanted to bring on tonight's guest. His name is Stefan Verstappen. He has a, uh, a book. This isn't it. It's not the book of five rings. He has the master's guide to the way of the warrior. And it's not even the book he's here to talk about tonight because he's written another new book and he has a course that he's offering that we helped him produce. So Stefan, if you are uh, able to come up here on stage and say hi to everybody, uh, we welcome you to Grand Theft World. Good evening. Oops. We're almost there. Looks like he's muted and he's got his camera off. We're close. Oh, there he is. Coming up. Okay, now where do I put the camera thing? Uh, We're doing it live, everybody. Okay, start video. There we go. So, so good to see you, Stefan. How have you hey, been? Rich. Uh, well, not good because <laughs> the world's going to hell. You know, mm. it's... Um, Everything I've known, everything I've, uh, you know, believed in is, it's all pretty much gone now. Um, <clears throat> but aside from that black pill, um, what I'd like to talk about is solutions. You know, we, I get a little bit burned out by being on YouTube and BitChute and all the other alternative sites because I keep hearing about everything that's wrong with the world. And certainly there's a lot wrong with the world okay great uh what do we do about it how do we change it how do we improve it how do we get out of this um i would suggest that the traditional methods don't work for example voting <laughs> let's 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 put aside that dog and pony show um you don't think don't we think could just vote harder Stefan? maybe we're yeah, not pushing the buttons hard enough 
I think we should vote many times, you know, two or three times every time you go to the poll, you know, take a, a playbook from the from the Democrats, you know, every time you go to the poll, you, you know, registered five, 10, 100 votes, a thousand votes. Anyways, we know that voting doesn't work. I don't think voting ever worked. I don't know when I go back through history. And, and as you know, I'm something of an amateur historian. Uh, vote fraud goes all the way back to the 1780s, you know, and, and um, you know, just look at New York and Tammany Hall in the, in the 1880s with, uh, you know, they, they had guys that they would have thugs out in front of polling booths. And if you didn't vote the right way, they would beat you to, to within an inch of your life. And if you did vote the right way, well, you got a beer, you know, so... Vote, vote fraud's been going on and, and this last election, please. You know, I used to work as a scrutineer, meaning that I was a volunteer at, um, at um, for the political party that I was representing at the time at a national election. Uh, I, I was representing the NDP, which is the far left party. But then I was only like 18, so you can forgive me. Um, but, you know, the, the standards, there, there had to be one person from every party standing behind the people that counted the ballots. And so they would be at a table, the boxes would come in, they would hand out the ballots, and uh, there were three boxes, one for each political party. And, um, you know, they would open up, it was paper ballot, right? We had to mark an X on the box, open it up. Oh, this is for the liberals. And then we'd all look at it and make sure it was for the liberals. And then to see what they did there in the last election where they they threw out the observers. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> that's, that's a guarantee that something's fishy. And then they boarded up the windows with cardboard. So anyway, look. Voting they don't do it like that in Canada. It's not how you guys run things. Are you, are you saying there's something wrong with what's going on down here? Yeah, I think there's something wrong. Um, now, of course, we I don't know. I haven't voted since that day. Okay, that was 40 years ago. So, um, no, I haven't voted since then. And um, I don't vote. I never vote. I don't I don't care. I don't believe in it. I think it's a waste of my goddamn time. And uh, so anyways, look, we keep hoping you know, oh, well, then Trump will come back in 2024 and then everything will be wonderful again. I, come on. We already had Trump. Did everything suddenly become wonderful? Was the swamp cleaned out? Was the wall built? Did, did you know, you know, did we stop making payments to Israel? <laughs> oh, come on. He didn't do a goddamn thing. So, no, there is no hero to save us. Then the other thing is, well, let's protest. Okay, listen, I'm all in favor of people protesting. But it doesn't do any good. The people that run this world would just laugh and snicker at, you know, 10 million people marching down the street. They don't give a damn about that. What, what you, you think the banking families, the big ruling elites are going to go, oh, oh, my God, there's protesters. Let's... Let's give them back their money. 
let's give them back their freedom so they won't be walking down the street, which is so upsetting to us psychopathic banker elites that we can't take it. No, come on, protesting doesn't work. What else? What else we got? Writing letters to your congressman. <laughs> Knock yourself. Write a hundred letters. Go ahead. Spend all day long writing letters to your congressman. I'm sure he'll listen to you. Um, so what are the solutions, guys? What are the solutions? Well, armed conflict? Well, yeah, they would like that. They would love it if everybody took their AR-15s and marched on Washington. Man, what a bloodbath that would be. And it would be the perfect excuse to implement martial law, and I mean hardcore martial law, uh, the military going around door-to-door hauling people out of their homes and shooting them in the streets a la Gray State. Um, yeah, that's what they want. So what what is the solution, folks? Well, uh, as a long-term survivalist and as a historian, I went through history. What, what was the solution? What did people in the past do? How did we survive without government? How did we do that? Because let's face it, our society is going down. We are at the, you know, according to the theory of historical cycles, and it's you know, I wrote an article for the Trends Journal on historical cycles, and it's not just me. I, there were a lot of historians, most recently Strauss and Howe with their book called The Fourth Turning, which also <laughs> says that, you know, civilization's going down. We're going down. Now, what happens when the civilization collapses? Well, no hospitals, no grocery stores, no police departments. No electricity, no gas, no internet, no telephone, no cell phone, no Netflix. All of that gone. How long it'll be gone for, I don't know. A couple of months, a couple of years. It doesn't matter because if it's gone a couple of months only, let's say it just collapses for a couple of months, um, you know, 80% of the population will be dead. Because what are they going to do? They'll have no food. They'll starve to death. They'll panic. They'll run around in the streets. Sure, there'll be a couple of weeks of looting and rioting. And then once the grocery stores have been looted, now what? Um, look, people can survive a month. You know, those of us, uh, like I, I do per- periodic fasting, so I'm not afraid to miss a meal. But most people, you know, if they're a day without food, they think they're dying, Right. <laughs> Two, three days without food, they they are convinced they're dying and they will panic and they will become psychotic and they'll be going around and just like we've seen in Venezuela, well, they're going to be eating your dogs and your cats, you know, uh, never mind Fauci and his animal experiments. Every, you know, every good liberal in, in the United States will be uh, turning a hungry eye on their kitty cat. Uh, so... What do we do? How do we survive this, Richard? It's going to be bad. And and even if it's not bad, let's say I'm wrong. Let's say all the historians and all the, the historical, let's say I'm wrong. But just look at what's happening right now. First of all, we have runaway inflation. <laughs> oh, it's only 5%. My butt, it's 5%. It goes up 10% every month. I can tell because when I go to the grocery store, I get, you know, less this week than I did last week for the same money. Don't tell me 5%. It's 10% a week, if not, you know, or a month, if not a week. 
So people are going to have a hard time feeding their families. So we can talk about this all day long. Oh, it's terrible, the inflation and, and the supply chain. That's another favorite uh, boog boogeyman right now, too. The, we're collapsing the supply chain. Well, yeah, guess what? Since you moved all of manufacturing over to China, which I saw 20 years ago when I was in China, and I, and I remember thinking, what the F are they doing? Why are they moving all their technology over to China? And yeah, China steals all our technology, but look, we gave it to them. We gave it to them. What we didn't give to them, they stole, sure, but we gave it to them. So supply chain. So now, how are you going to feed your family? Well, let's bitch about it all day long. That will feed your family. No, here's the solution to feeding your family, and that is, and it's going to be a repeating pattern with what I'm talking about, is we have to work together and create communities. So how do you feed your family? Number one, simplest thing, form a buying group. You and five families, you pool your money and you just get a Costco membership and you go and you buy in bulk, right? So, and then you distribute the stuff when you come back. Now, if you go and buy in bulk, and, and again, it's the simplest thing. You don't need contracts or incorporations or anything like that. All you need to do is go to five of your neighbors, Bill, Bob, June, Harriet. Listen, I'm going to Costco on Saturday Pitching 200 bucks, tell me what you want. You know, we'll, we'll buy all the toilet paper, you know, and uh, we'll buy all the... But look, you're going to get, you know, 10, 15, 20% discount if you do it that way. So already, um, it's going to make it easier to put food on your table. Okay, what else can we do? A food co-op. Now, a food co-op is a little bit more tricky. You need to incorporate, and you need to run it a little bit like a business, and, uh, you know, I was talking about this the other day. Um, yes, part of the solution, we have to form communities, but you also have to run these communities like a business. It can't be just, oh, well, we'll chat on Zoom and we'll talk about things. And then, you know, we'll, maybe we'll think about what. To, no, it's got to be a business. You have to have a mission statement. You have to incorporate. You have to file papers with the government. But look. It's not always a bad thing because when you file those papers, then, you know, maybe you get a 501c3 status. You don't have to pay taxes. Um, you get to open bank accounts so that when people do put in their money, that it's all visible. It's not like, hey, guys, you know, everybody give me 500 bucks and I'll look after you. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, and you never know what happened to the 500 bucks like most charities today. Um, so. A buying co-op is basically a, a, a buying group. It's just a little bit more elaborate. And what you do is you source the materials from producers and wholesalers. So now instead of 10, 15% discount, you're getting 25, 30, maybe up to 50% discount. And what you do is you make a trip up to the country. You go to Farmer McDonald's farm, old McDonald's farm, and you buy up all this corn and his tomatoes and his squash and tomato, uh, uh, cucumbers and potatoes. And, you know, and you bring back, you know, 200 pounds of produce. And now you give it to the people that are in the co-op. They've paid for it. So they get all this produce for free, uh, not for free, but for a huge discount. Again, trying to address the problem of supply chain and hyperinflation. Okay, we, maybe Farmer Brown 
wants a little bit more money than other people, but not as much as Walmart and, and Costco and all that's going to want, right? So you still get your discount. All right, what else can we do? Well, a grow co-op, a, a, a garden co-op. Um, now you're growing your own food. This works great, you know, during growing season. Here in Canada, you've got about two weeks to grow a tomato, but, uh, you know, in the rest of the world... You can do that too. And what you do, the community comes together and you set aside a space. Now it could be somebody's backyard. Let's say Richard's got a big backyard and he says, sure, use it as a garden. And now everybody in the neighborhood comes there. They look after the plants, they grow it. They, they uh, tend to the plants. And at the end of the season, you've got a ton of food and that food is free. It is free. You've only put in the labor and you've volunteered your time to work together to put in the labor. <clears throat> and then the food becomes free. So even without thinking about the absolute end of civilization, we're already benefiting and we're addressing problems that are pressing now. These are problems that we face now. How to feed the family, how to have enough money. You know, there's the saying, you can either eat or you can heat your home. This is where we are. What, what are we going to do? Well, okay, let's go to heat the home then. What can we do to reduce the costs of heating? There are buying groups and co-ops, and I've got case studies in the book, that are run in uh, England where everybody in a small town that requires heating oil to heat their homes, what they do is, again, it's a buying group. It's a co-op. They approach the supplier and they say, we'll take an entire tanker full, an entire truck tanker full of heating oil. We'll buy it. They'll get about you know, 20, 25% discount. And so they'll buy that whole tanker and that tanker will go up and down the street and fill everybody's heating oil uh, tanks. And again, you know, we, we, we've reduced the costs by buying in bulk because as you know, Richard, you're a businessman. When you have money to spend, like if I go to the grocery store and say, listen guys, I got a hundred bucks. What kind of a discount can you give me? <laughs> They're gonna laugh at me, right? But if I go to the grocery store and I said, I got a thousand bucks to spend. Can you give me 10% off? Or should I go to the grocer down the street? I guarantee you I get the 10% off. But it only works when you have um, the economy of scale, right? When you have enough money to spend that it makes it worth their while to deal with you and give you a discount. I learned that in Morocco. I haggle for everything. Right? <laughs> How many dinar for this? Oh, 200 dinar. I'll give you five. Okay, 150 dinar. You know, you got to haggle that. There's cultures that used to do that. But what can you lose? I always tell people, listen, I'm going to pay you cash. I don't need a receipt. Give me 20% off. Give me 10% off, right? Under the table, you're not paying tax on income. So you can afford to give me a discount because I don't need a receipt. Yeah, it's a little bit, it, it's illegal, of course, yes. But how many small businessmen do you think take me up on it? I'd say about 50%. And and the rest will just say no. Okay, no. Fine, I'm going to pay full price today. I don't like to do that. So again, heating and eating, we can at least address those problems by forming communities, working together, cooperating, uniting. All right, let's go on to another area that's of grave concern today. And that is medical care. 
personally, I would not go to a hospital. I haven't been to a doctor in 40 years. Not a, not a checkup, didn't get my blood tested. I haven't been to a doctor in 40 years. I haven't been sick in 40 years. And it's not because I'm a health nut. You know, I, I abuse my body in many different ways. It's just that I already know I, I, I don't need the doctor. I'm not, I don't feel sick. Why would I go? If I went to a doctor today, I guarantee you, they're going to tell me I'm pre-diabetic and uh, low blood pressure and high cholesterol. I already know they're going to say that because they, those are the pharmaceuticals they want to prescribe to me. They're not diagnosing me. They're selling me. They're analyzing me as a sales vehicle for their pharmacy. So why would I go to them? But we still need healthcare. And healthcare is being destroyed all over the world. I know how terrible it is there in the United States. And here in Canada, everybody says, oh, well, you know, you got socialized medicine. Yeah, okay, socialized medicine. Takes you two years to get an appointment with a doctor. Okay, and then go to go to the emergency room if you feel like you got COVID or something like that. And then you wait for eight hours behind 200 Somalian immigrants that are in line ahead of you. I mean, they got their sleeping bags out and everything, you know, before you can see an, an emergency room doctor, if you can find one. And then what are they going to do? They're going to insist you take the vaccine or if you're really bad, they're going to put you on a ventilator and then they'll kill you. So I wouldn't go to I know it sounds extreme, but I have friends in the medical profession and they will back me up. So what do we do? Well, we need to do what our great grandparents did long before public health in Canada and England. There were friendly societies and mutual aid societies and fraternal societies. These went under, you know, kind of bizarre names like the Elks Lodge or the Moose Lodge or the Odd Fellows or the Seven Knights of Pythias, you know. They were, yeah, a little bit Masonic. You know, most of them had kind of a Masonic feel to them, but uh, they weren't Masons. They just adopted the same sort of format as Masons because, hey, it's a successful uh, um, model to use. And um, I recommend that we do the same thing. Uh, but anyways, so our great-grandparents, they would pay the equivalent of one day's wages per month so what do we make now? 200 bucks a month, the average, uh, 200 bucks a day, the average person, right? No, probably less than that, right? Um, so you pay 200 bucks a month and you have your medical care taken care of. You have unemployment insurance. You have welfare. You have retirement and you have seniors assisted residences taken care of all for that 200 bucks a month. Why? Because that money was collected by people within the community and it was spent only on what that community needed. So now we give 200 bucks, just as an example, to the government for our health care, for our unemployment insurance, for the food stamps and on and on and on and on. Out of that 200 bucks, $195 is siphoned away through corruption. 
It's given to their cronies. I've seen it. I know I know what they do. Oh, we're going to have to improve job training for people. Okay, how many billions do you need? Oh, we're just going to get a grant from the government for two, three billion dollars. Great. Now, who gets the job of training all these people? Well, my wife does. <laughs> She's going to take that $5 billion and uh, she'll hire a couple of people for 10 bucks an hour to run a course. And the other, you know, $4.999 billion goes into her pocket. That's how government works. That's why it's never efficient to allow government to do anything. But you take care of that money yourself and you you don't spend it on $2 million CEO salaries. You don't spend it on your wife and your cousin and, and your brother-in-law and, and, you, and your five kids. You spend it on what it's needed for. And these old societies, the, like I said, the Elks Lodge and the Moose Lodge, they were so successful in providing services for their uh, uh, membership that they had extra money. They had extra money. Not only did you get all your medical care taken taken care of and your unemployment and emergency money, like if you had a, you know, a sudden emergency, a financial crisis, and you, you need to borrow a thousand bucks, they were the same people that would lend you the thousand bucks. So they acted as medical insurance and as a bank and as a, um, a social club. So what they were so successful that they ended up building initially their own clinics and then they built their own hospitals. I mean, there's places in Georgia, uh, there's a, there's a video that's on the, uh, on the courts, the experts speak about the benefits of forming communities. They built, you know, hospitals and retirement homes, and then they still had so much money left over that they bought property and they turned that uh, property in, uh, property out in the country and they turned it into campgrounds and picnic grounds and they had uh, um, uh, hot dog stands and, and uh, band stands and stages and they would have dances and concerts. I mean, it was just unbelievable what they were able to do with that 200 bucks a month. So we can do the same thing. We can form our own communities to fund our own medical system. Now, I've been talking to quite a few people about this, and they're all on board. Uh, they think it's a great idea, and, and a couple of them are members of Autonomy and people you might know, like uh, Mike Pendergast, who's a, uh, um, a Chinese medical doctor, or he's studying Chinese medicine. And of course, I think you're going to have him on. You've probably already had him on, uh, um, Dr. Andrew Kaufman. I was speaking to him just two days ago, and we were talking about building medical communities. So now let's let's take the easiest form of a medical community, and that is again a co-op, but it's a medical insurance co-op. So again, you get 20, 30, 50 people. You pool your money, you buy your own medical insurance at a group discount. Never mind Obamacare and, and, and 2,000 bucks a month. You can get your, you can buy your own medical insurance for a few hundred bucks. But that's not a, a long term solution. That's, you know, for this year, this month, cheap, cheap health insurance certainly would be a big benefit right now. But we're assuming that the civilization is going to collapse completely. So again, we can take that money 
And we start off really simple. We hire a doctor and there's going to be a lot of doctors available because they're all quitting because of the mandatory vaccine. And I know because I, I, I speak to my own doctor friends and I followed uh, Dr. Coleman there in England. He describes how, you know, they have just destroyed the, 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 the uh, NHS there, the National Health Service in England. And they've laid off all these doctors that are semi-retired. And the doctors are saying, well, you know, if you're overwhelmed because of the, uh, of the COVID, then we're willing to come back to work. And the NHS said, no, we don't need you. So there are tens of thousands of doctors, unemployed, but good doctors, doctors that have a lot of experience. Yeah, I'd rather go to a doctor that's 75, that's got 40 years experience under his belt. So we can go to them and we can hire them. Very simple. Now you think, oh, well, we need blood tests and x-rays and MRIs and all that. Well, look, that's all subcontracted out anyways, right? It's not that the, um, you know, if I go to a doctor and he really thinks I need a chest x-ray, he'll just book me an appointment at, a, at an x-ray clinic. And then we have to pay for that. But it's going to be a lot less money than paying to go to a hospital. A lot less money because we're paying, we're subcontracting that out. So we can build our own medical communities. We pool our money and it's not going to take a lot of money. 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month. What do you pay now for health insurance? $3,000 a month? Um, are some of the estimates I've heard when I was researching this. So, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month. And now you've got, we, we, we hire the doctor, one or two doctors. Maybe we'll hire a couple of nurses. And then we'll rent a space. We rent an office space or a warehouse space. And we can put some equipment in there. MR, um, ultrasound equipment, you can buy one for 200 bucks. Um, you know, and if you need blood tests, you you uh, subcontract that out to uh, <clears throat> to the labs that do that. And then we have a doctor come in there, let's say, every Saturday and Wednesday. And anybody in your community that's feeling sick, that's when you, that's when you go, Wednesday and Saturday. Or we can go back to when I was a kid, and I remember this really happened, that if you got sick, the doctor would come to your house. He would come to your house. But we're paying him anyways. Now, that's what the old friendly societies did. They put, they hired their own doctors and they put them on a regular monthly income. Let's say it's 10,000 bucks a month. Whether or not they work or not. And their sole responsibility was to look after the members of the community. And they would make House calls. And so when, but here's the other interesting thing about that is because he makes the same money, whether he works 10 hours a week or 60 hours a week, whether he sees three patients or 200 patients, it's the same money for him. The incentive for that doctor is to keep his patients healthy. Now you go to the hospital or you go to the medical clinic, the incentive there, there's no money in keeping you healthy. There's money in keeping you sick and prescribing you lots of drugs that the doctor gets a big fat kickback from. So what kind, who would you rather go to? Somebody who's incentivized to make sure you're healthy and 
God forbid, the word that you never hear in medicine these days is cured. Um, or do you want to go to the guy whose incentive is the sicker you are, the more money they make? And that's why the American Medical Association was a key proponent in destroying all these old friendly societies. They didn't like that. They weren't making money. They weren't making money. So they went in there and they told all these doctors, we're going to pull your medical license if you continue to work for the Moose Lodge. Huh. What are they doing now? We're going to pull your license if you don't inject an experimental vaccine into people that <coughs> that will most likely kill them. So again, these are the problems we are seeing now, and we can address them directly. This is this is actionable. We can do this. Our grandparents did this. Our great grandparents did this. They weren't all business geniuses or or social justice warriors. They just, you know, they, it's spread by word of mouth. Where are you getting your insurance from? Well, I'm a member of the Moose Lodge. Oh, really? And how does that work? Well, it works like this. Can you get me in? Well, sure. Let's make an application. And that's how it worked for them. You know, it wasn't a big deal. But you know what? Nowadays, it's a big deal because people have no ability to work together. That's another story. All right, let's take another problem. And this is, an, and again, a really important problem, and especially when you see what's going on, and that is education. I personally believe that public education is child abuse, that you would send your kid to a government-run indoctrination center for 12 years. 12 years they're, they're there and they come out, they're not, they're barely qualified to flip hamburgers at McDonald's. I mean, I think you need a college degree to be a barista for crying out loud. 12 years of their lives. And listen, I know, I know the human mind and I know children. Children's minds are a sponge. If I sent a kid for 12 years to a school, I would expect them to come out of it with at least three advanced degrees, a medical degree, a degree in uh, mathematics, a degree in physics. That is easy to do. The kids learn. I mean, okay, not all of them are brilliant or whatever, but you know, if you give them the right kind of information and the right education and the right environment, they would come out of school with critical thinking abilities, amazing skills, you know, they'd be a doctor, but also they could put together a car engine. You know, why can't you teach them that? Of course you can teach them that. But instead, what are they learning now? Well, your daughter's going to come home with a double mastectomy and your son's going to come home wearing a skirt and their homework assignment is to read a book on gay pedophile sex. You've seen this, right? You've, you've seen these videos now. And, and, and then they show the pictures of uh, the, the cartoon illustrations. Um, I made a joke years ago because I came out with a book on uh, called The Little Warriors. And it was a training program for parents to teach their children how to prevent stranger abduction, but not just stranger abduction, but grooming and pedophilia. And it was a very non-invasive kind of course, non-violent. It was uh, role-playing. Simply what I did was 
the, this is the kind of behavior predators exhibit. And I want to teach the kids to recognize that behavior. I don't have to tell them about sex or pedophilia or anything. They don't need to know that. They just need to know that when an adult comes up to them and says, hey, Johnny, um, listen, I'm going to get you a chocolate bar. I'm going to get you that, vi that uh, video game that you've always wanted. But we got to keep that a secret between you and me. Now, that's the key right there. It keeping the secret. So I train the kids. Anytime an adult wants you to keep a secret from your parents, you tell your parents. That's the first thing you do. This way we prevent the grooming. Anyways, I have the whole course. I had videos. I, I, I shopped a script around Hollywood for a year. I had uh, agents representing me. Nobody was interested in this. Nobody was interested. I illustrated all the books myself. I'm an artist, as you know. Um, Nobody's interested. I hardly sold any any books. I marketed it to after-school programs, to Boy Scouts. Nobody's interested. And I remember thinking back then, I thought, and I told this to my wife, I said, now, if I were to create, illustrate a book for kids, how little Johnny learned to suck a dick with graphic illustrations and how wonderful it is to suck a dick, I bet you I would sell millions of dollars worth of that book. And look at what happened now, 10 years from that time, 10 years later, there's the book, little Johnny sucking the dick. Oh my God. I, I, I don't know what to say, guys. You know, I try to do good, but uh, it's very hard to do good in this world. But anyways, you got to get your kids out of school. It's insanity. So what's the solution? Well, send them to Montessori. Yeah. Montessori is great. Everybody loves Montessori. But how did Montessori start out? They started out as a co-op, as a homeschooling program. Duh. You know, when, when responsible teachers and parents take education into their own hands, and that's what they want their kids to learn, now you have a wonderful program. Another one I can think of is the forest schools in Germany, where kindergarten uh, aged children spend the entire school day in the forest, outdoors, in nature, climbing trees, exploring, um, wading in, in the rivers. And what a wonderful experience that is. But again, that's because parents took that into their own hands. So the solution to our education system is homeschooling. Now, I know the argument against it is we don't have time for that, you know. Uh, we both work all day. Um, and because, again, that's part of the big programming that we've been going through. Of course, that was the purpose of feminism, to get women believing that spending their life in a cubicle is far more noble than spending their life at home. And now we get to tax two people at the same time. Um, but we have to work together again. You form a community, a homeschooling co-op. So you get five families, ten families. And again, you kick in some money, not as much as Montessori. You kick in some money and you can hire your own teacher. Now you can set up space. You can get free space from the church. Most, most of these big churches, they all have a big basement there where they have uh, dinners and dances and Sunday school classes. And so you get a space from the church, you know, three days a week, we go to the church. Uh, one day a week, we go to the library 
And uh, one day a week or two days a week, we go over to one of the neighbor's houses and the class is taught there. And we hire a teacher to teach three days a week. And then the mothers volunteer and the fathers can volunteer their time to teach the kids the other two times a week. Now, we've got a full education program and every study has shown that hands down, homeschooled children are not only smarter and have more skills, but curiously, they're also more empathetic. They're more caring. They're more loving because that stuff is sucked out of you in public school for crying out loud, you know, sitting there at that desk. So you create better human beings. And again, we just got to work together, pool our money and cooperate. So again, the answer to all of these problems is community. And uh, anyways, that's my big lecture. Well, I think we would have inherited a lot more of these situations still in place. Cause what you're saying is my great grandparents and grandparents utilized these types of structures and social groups and social organizations. And they had a lot of fun and that was fine during the time of radio up until even, but once TV came in, you know, you, you see the waning of these social clubs and the rise of the number of hours people feel that they are now engaged with the telescreen. Like it's Bradbury's 451 and yep. they're having conversations and they think the people are real. And that's more important <laughs> than the actual people who they educate their kids with, they grow their food with, they protect themselves from fire and theft and, uh, you know, disease with these sort of things coming together. I think uh, it's natural that we kind of went through this chaotic process in the last 60 years where people have become hugely unself-reliant. Like at the last yeah. great depression, uh, 90% of people were rural, 10% uh, were urban, and now it's flip-flopped. And the yeah. people who are urban, they have no idea where their food comes from or how to get it. And they don't know how to keep calm, cool, collected and communicate their needs and meet themselves, meet their needs peacefully with other people either. Yeah. And that's yeah. what you're talking about at the beginning. So it, it is one hand, there's a spectrum at the very least, we're going to get supply chain disruptions. And if they don't maintain it, you could have a total collapse of society. You could also have an extra governmental thing like a solar flare, uh, take out the electrical grid just as easy as Klaus Schwab can do it with cyber polygon uh, hacking exercises, take away the electricity. So just having a good plan in place, knowing how to grow a little food and then getting other people around you to maybe do that. And then if you did it in a plot together, you there's like a, you know, uh, economies of scale, there's labor, uh, you know, diversification, there's uh, co-ownership. And, you know, if you, if, as long as you have somebody that can say, look, those five families won't get enough food from that, you know, third of a quarter acre garden. But if you had an acre garden, those five families would all have enough. And, you know, my grandparents, you know, they, uh, on both sides, they, they hunted, they fished, they didn't do trapping. I don't have any trapping in my family, but they all gardened and canned and, uh, you know, uh, jarred the food and had, uh, pantries of, you know, stocked up food that they created on their own. And I still have a couple friends today who, who like make cider and pickles and moonshine and things like that. So there is like that kind that there's, we have the embers to restart this fire. It was a fire kindling with freedom and, and mutual aid and all these other dynamics that you've talked about, but we still have like more work to do. So that's why I got so excited when you were telling me you, you were, you know, about to kind of, you know, you're kind of wading into starting the new book. And I was like, where is it going to go? How are you going to finish it? How are you going to sell it? How are you going to market it? And then once you told me what it was about, I was like, people need to know this now and they're not going to read your book primarily. But if you started 
dripping this out as far as education in the course and show people here's how to create mutual aid society. Here's how to create a private group. Here's when and where you'd want to create this type of nonprofit. Here's how to do the mechanics of these. And then, and then the social inner workings, like the charters and the covenants and the agreements and how people can work together without tearing themselves apart. Can you talk a little bit about how you see that as like the ticking time bomb in all these groups where people well-intentioned, even sometimes well-prepared and funded, they try to create a community, but they don't see these other pitfalls. And you seem to have demarcated them so clearly in your map. Let the audience know, like if they wanted to do this, let's say they take that step, what kind of obstacles do they run into? And then how have you leveraged your experience to like pave that way for them? Well, the, the first obstacle is that uh, um, people don't know how to organize. This is done on purpose. We're not taught this stuff in school or anything like that. And uh, I was on an interview the other day and, and I was saying, uh, you know, because I've spoken to uh, quite a few people that are part of, you know, like freedom cells and autonomy cells. And, um, you know, like we, we've heard this solution already a few times, right? I'm not the only one that's coming up with it. A lot of people say, I mean, most of this, most of the truth speakers I hear now will inevitably mention, well, we got to work together and we got to unite. And OK, yeah, well, yeah, we do. But how? How do we do that? Well, you know, we're not given the tools to do that. And I've spoken to people and I said, so did you go to the uh, the freedom? So I'm just using that because I can't think of the other names, but it's not necessarily freedom cells themselves. But it's something like that, you know. Uh, did you go to a meeting? Yeah. So what happened there? Well, um, you know, everybody started bickering and fighting and then everything collapsed. Well, you know, but, you know, in my book, one of the things there's, you know, three pages, four pages, it's called meeting protocols because people don't know how to be polite and 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 interact with each other in a nonviolent, non-confrontational, non-aggressive way, because at the minute, you know, listen, the communist brainwashing is so prevalent that even people that think they're conservatives, you're still communists in your mind because it's sunk in there. So the, I'll tell you what the communist brainwashing is. If you disagree with me, you're an idiot. You're so stupid. How can you disagree with me? That's that's communism, okay? Because that's the state. That's the and that's state. not traditionally how Americans retorted in such cases. They would have debates, and there would be research, and there would be public scrutiny, and there would be arguments in the newspaper on either side. It was like free speech par that's excellence right. back then. Yeah, there was dialogue between you and yes. the people. You disagree. Listen, if you disagree with me, I I don't mind. I mean, what? I'm married to my ideas. I'm God. Everything I say is the word of God. No, if you if you think there's something wrong in my philosophy, by all means, let's bring it up and then let's find a solution to it. If I'm wrong, then let's think of a way of improving it. What's wrong with that? But again, the communism, uh, it's it's, it's too much my... work. It's too much resistance. They'd rather just cut to the chase and break the rules. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is the totalitarian mindset, you know. It's like Colin Wilson said, it's a mind parasite. And, uh, you know, we've talked about mass psychosis. It's mass psychosis. And we don't even know we have it because we get offended. He didn't agree with me. Well, then, you know, he's an idiot. Look, it, this is not how we can cooperate. So I wrote meeting protocols. Rule number one. You treat everybody with respect. There is no swearing. There is no name calling. And there's no yelling. 
you don't need to yell at these meetings. I'm yelling now, eh? <laughs> but you made it funny. That's what. That's why it works. <laughs> you don't. I hope. I'm trying. I'm trying, Richard. You don't need to yell. And and I'll tell you what happens is the first time somebody calls you an asshole because you don't agree with them, you will never listen to that guy again. So forget about working together. Everybody's calling each other an asshole. That whole community is destroyed. So those those are just one of the many pitfalls. The other thing um, that I find is that um, I liken it to running a hot dog stand. Now, Richard, you'll agree with me on this. I've written maybe 12 business proposals. Uh, and uh, in order to uh, apply for a grant about six years ago, I had to go and you know, take another one of these training courses run by the government, where again, they taught me how to write a business proposal, but I already know how to do that. So I aced the course. Um, the instructor was a little bit nervous around me. <laughs> but uh, I'll give you an example. So to run a hot dog stand, first of all, cost you 50,000 bucks. You got to buy the stand. You got to buy the license. You got to rent the location. You have to have insurance. You have to have permits. And then you have to have the actual uh, hot dog stand. I didn't even know this. They're expensive. It's 50 grand. Then you have to write a business plan, a proposal, break even analysis, analysis, cash flow analysis. Um, and then are you going to hire somebody? Well, now you got to have you know, unemployment insurance and health insurance and uh, insurance on them, 50,000 bucks. You got to write a proposal and you got to file a shitload of papers with the government just to run a hot dog stand. Now, to form our own parallel society, you got to do at least that. I mean, people think they can do this without putting in the kind of effort and thinking that it would take to run a hot dog stand. We have to raise money. We have to write a business proposal. We have to file papers with the government. We have to have you know, bylaws and meeting protocols, and we have to make sure everybody's insured. You got to have insurance for this stuff. You can't do anything without insurance in this country. Here in Canada, you know, you, you, you got to go take a pee and then say, can we see your insurance for your pee? I mean, if you can't do that, you can't build a community. It takes a lot of work. Now, not that much work. That's the point of the book. The point of the course is to, listen, I'm going to tell you how to do it. I'll avoid all these pitfalls. But, you know, and I'm even going to give you templates and samples of how to do it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying everything I can because I want this to succeed, Richard. I want people because, listen, we got to beat these bastards. And the only way to beat them is to take power away from them and give it back to us. And the way we take power away from them is by not using their services and, and not relying on the government. So we, you know, it's, you know, the death of a thousand cuts every time we can, you know, uh, uh, save a couple of bucks in taxes that hurts the government. And if we can all save a couple of bucks in taxes, eventually they will, collapse from within and we grow stronger so i hate the government with a passion that's why i want this to work and that's why i'm doing all the work i can for you guys um but don't think it's just a matter of oh well we'll meet at the 
we'll meet at the pub and we'll talk about it. And no, you, you, you know, you need fundraising, you know, crowdfunding, uh, maybe angel investors, maybe uh, bank loans, certainly explore government grants, you know, just add the word green to your business proposal. Okay. <laughs> Tell them that you're saving the climate somewhere in the government. Right now we're battling dis online disinformation, Stefan. Did you know that? That's, that's what we're doing right now. That's, that's, you know, so yeah, put, put the label on there. See if you, so I, I think that what's counterintuitive about the brilliance of your solution is you're saying to get away from government, you have to steer into government to get started so you can steer away. You got to go get some paperwork so you can collect. If you did a fundraiser, you would need a bank account. Banks have to have certain things. So that you need That's an EIN, right. Right? That's right? But if government should fail, fall away, crumble under its own weight, your society still exists. You've already got all your infrastructure set up and now you're exactly. not connected to that, which doesn't exist anymore, but you have the parallel track that you would need for surviving. Yes. So. I know a lot of people, like if Michael Badnerick was here, be like, don't get the government involved in anything you're doing. It's like, well, it's also hard to do business with those people. I have had some other clients who are very adamant about not dealing with business, like the, the government. And it's like, well, everyone on our side, we do pay taxes and we do use banks and stuff like that. And that's how we're helping all these people in the liberty and freedom community. So there's, we have to balance it. We can't be zealots on either way. Cause it's like, what is the right thing to do right now? That doesn't take away people's freedom. We do have a couple options and let's explore yeah. that. Now, uh, when I first, uh, encountered this idea for the second book, first off, I want to compliment you on your first book and I want to put it back on screen here. <clears throat> Well, not your first book, but the uh, the book of which I found to be useful, and I have three copies. Master's Guide to the Way of the Warrior. Oh, thank you, Richard. You cover so many facets of like rites of passage for adult people, and it's like all compressed here in a book. So this is more like for individuals, whereas your new book is addressing individuals who want to work together volitionally to build community and mutual aid structures, and they're kind of like they go together, right? Right. So do people yeah. have to read this first one to understand your new one and, and no. take, no, no, of course not. Right. Okay. Cool. No, no. Well, here's, here's my philosophy and, or my motivation. Um, the book before the way of the warriors, the art of urban survival, because I've seen this coming. Joshua's and, read that one. I haven't read that one yet. Yeah. That's yeah. And it's, it's basically a boy scout manual for adults to survive what's coming. It, it's it's not heavy, no, you know, it's not too philosophical or anything like that. It's here's what happens when a society collapses. First, you see a, a vast increase in psychopaths. I don't know why. Either the psychopaths caused the destruction of society, or a, a, a society as it falls apart breeds more psychopaths. I don't know, chicken or the egg, but you're going to see a lot more psychopaths, and that is the first chapter in the book, The Art of Urban Survival, Defense Against the Psychopaths. You gotta recognize these people. You gotta understand them because we are ruled by psychopaths. You know that everybody that's been awake for the last 10 years knows that all these sons- I think that's where I first encountered your work was on sociopathy and psychopathy. And it was, you know, probably, yeah, 10 years ago. And yeah. then you were in the tragedy and hope community. And yeah, yeah. That's so right, yeah. it's been a long time building this. Yeah. Yeah. Long time building that. And well, why? Because, you know, I, you know, I taught martial arts for a long time. And then, so we get people in on, uh, you know, self-defense, well, ladies, self-defense course. Okay, great. So if he tries to rape you, you know, you stick your thumbs in his eyes and, you know, I taught all that stuff, but as a strategist, my very first book is the 36 strategies of ancient China. 
as a strategist, I follow Sun Tzu's advice in, in that you defeat your enemy without engaging in battle. That's the highest form, right? So, uh, and, and another thing that he said, and again, why I'm going back to government funding and, and, right, and that is you forage on your enemy. So if the government has grant money for me to take that grant money, and if I have to form a community that says Auntie May's Knitting Society, and oh, lo and behold, there's $50,000 for knitting societies, I'll take your fucking money, excuse my language, okay? And then Aunt May's Knitting Society is going to use that money to buy guns and ammo and food and doctors, okay? We're not going to do any goddamn knitting. We, we, we have to, you know, fight fire with fire. What do you think? All these government agencies, they, they get all these government grants. Oh, we're going to prevent child abuse. Oh, yeah. How, how, how did that work out? How well has that been going? You know, they don't do anything. For Christ's sakes, they just take the money and they spend it on what they want. We can do the same thing. But going back, defeat your enemy without engaging in battle. And, but you have to, you know, the, the first thing Sun Tzu writes in his book, The Art of War, is know yourself and know your enemy. And for me to teach a woman how to defend against a rapist, now, I don't know any woman personally that's been raped other than by their father or their brother or their uncle, but like a stranger, you know, in a dark alley, jumps you, he's going to rape you. I, I've never met a woman that had that happen to him. Not that it doesn't, but it's just very rare. But I do know many, many women that and men as well that were sucked in by psychopaths and had their lives drained and driven to madness and suicide and alcoholism because of a psychopath's manipulation. The threat is far greater from a psychopath than a mugger. You know, yeah, let's, let's learn, you know, how to defend against a mugger. I, I, it's good to know, good to know. But that's not the most likely source of your uh, um, victimization. The most likely source is the psychopath who's your office manager. It's the psychopath who's the woman you're dating. It's the or your politician. I thought that's where you were going to go. Well, yeah, and the politicians. <laughs> but I, listen, I, I, my default is that every politician is a psychopath. That's my default. You don't go into politics without being a psychopath. It and seems you, totally normal to represent people without knowing them, Stefan. Convince me I'm wrong. <laughs> um, hmm. Let me get back to you on that, Richard. Um, and listen, there might be some good people that try to get into politics. I, I, I know but they get pushed people. out or eaten up or hung out the drive. That's real quick, right. Man. Get, that's the whole thing. That's it's right. just like, they don't, there are some good cops, but those good cops get churned and burned and forced into early retirement or never promoted or they have accidents. Look at what they did to Serpico. Yeah. And then they made yeah. a movie about it. To be like, this movie. is what we yeah. do to people. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That yeah. movie was a warning to all the other cops. Now they 70s, shot him in the right? face. Like 1979 yeah. when that movie was. It was like produced? 76. Al Pacino. 76. Yeah, like Frank Serpico yeah. was Pacino, a, certainly. like an honest NYPD cop at the time when they start bringing in a lot of drugs. That was French Connection days, but then in the 80s they went way yeah, over the when top. Yeah, went over the top. And the yeah, documentary the is uh, the Seven Five about the 75th precinct. That's a film by Tiller Russell. Uh, that's actually a decent documentary. He's done some other work I find questionable, but yeah, yeah, yeah Stephen. So continue, please. I'm sorry. Yeah, we can't. start off with psychopaths. And then what's the next thing that happens? Well, the book is divided into three major chapters. Chapter one, one is 
crime, you're going to see an increase in crime. This always happens as the society goes down. And wow, look at the statistics coming out now for the last year. Murder is up, rape is up, robbery is up, you know. So you need to be street smart. This is what I was trying to teach my students in the self-defense class, but it, I'm teaching them physical stuff. But the more important stuff is to be street smart, how to smell when you're being set up, how to walk through a dangerous neighborhood, what to do if you're being followed, what to do if you get into a taxi. Um, you know, there's all kinds of what to do if the police pull you over. Don't think that, you know, that they're not psychopaths either. You got to be careful around the police. And uh, especially with all you know, this alleged police shootings of blacks. Look, read my book. Every black person out there, you get pulled over by the cops. You put your hands on the steering wheel. You turn on the in uh, the dome lights and you roll down the window, you know, because cops are paranoid. If your hands aren't visible, yes, they might shoot you by accident. Too bad for you. Put the goddamn hands on the. Anyways, all of that's under the chapter of um, crime. Second chapter is natural disasters. Now, again, for some reason, when societies collapse, there's an increase in natural disasters. It's partly due because a corrupt government will allow the infrastructure to crumble. So when there is a flood, the flood is far more terrible. Take Katrina, for example. You saw the the, the dikes, the levees there. You know, it was like a, a six-inch thick concrete wall that fell over. I mean, with the money they spend for that, they could have done a better job of protecting that city, but they don't. So they get a hurricane, and now the whole city's, you know, wiped out and chaos and anarchy. This happens a lot. So the middle chapter is natural disasters floods, hurricanes, how to get a bug out bag, you know, how to store food in your house, uh, what kind of equipment you need, radios, guns, and medical kits. I, te I te tell you how to put together a good medical kit. And this so is your Art of Urban Survival book, your, the earlier yeah, book. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And again, it's written for like beginners. I mean, it's not for hardcore survivalists. They would sh know that already. I'm, it's the handbook for anyone who doesn't have a handbook already on these types of things. That's the exactly. important thing. You don't have to be the best in the world at these micro things. You just have to be the one that points out the meta view that you should be covering your bases as a mature adult and having some knowledge, working knowledge, yeah. maybe even some of the harder to find things. You might want to acquire those before they don't make these things anymore, yeah. you know? And then, um, and then let's compare and contrast that now to your, your book on building communities and the course that goes with that. Right. So the book, The Art of Urban Survival, is meant to teach you all the skills to survive, you know, disasters, crime, you know, the collapse of civilization, basically. Then I realized, or I was made aware of, um, people don't have the balls to pull it off. <laughs> they, they don't, especially the men these days, they don't, you know, we have been castrated and and uh, marginalized. There is definitely a war on men. And so in order to effect the strategies of my book, The Art of Urban Survival, guys, you need to have some cojones. And they don't have it. And they don't have the confidence and the courage anymore. So the way of the warrior, actually, I got a, a, a book deal 
with uh, 20 years ago for that book. Um, what was the name of the, it? Was it a really good publisher? They offered me a deal on that. And um, the book deal fell through. I had a, a, a New York literary agent representing me, but I didn't know he was like 89 years old and he got senile and he got into an argument with the publisher about the foreign language rights and uh, the book deal fell through. So then I just, I left that book for 20 years. I didn't do anything with it. <clears throat> but I thought now's the time for it. Okay, we need to, you know, we need to turn men back into men. We need to give them some, some ideas and some skills so that now they would have the courage and and now the knowledge from the art of urban survival and the courage and the confidence from this book, all of that will come together. And now we can form communities. We need leaders to form communities and, um, you know, people that, that have leadership skills. And that's why we get to the current book. So it's, it's like a progression. If you understand where I'm going, you know, and a further progression is the online course. Now here's, you know, when I was first approached by Joshua, I was skeptical about doing the online course for this uh, community book. I, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know what the purpose of that would be. You know, people should buy the book. But like you said, people aren't going to read the book, but they will listen to the course. But now I realize that the course itself is the venue for creating communities. It's the way into it. You see, if I, if I tell people, no, the solution is you got to form a community. Okay, so what do we do? Well, you know, you, you call some people and you have a meeting. And, well, who would I call? I don't know anybody. And where do we have the meeting? And I don't know what to talk about. And where do we begin? And, yeah, I, I agree. There, you know, the average person cannot rally 20 people together and guide them through the process of forming a community. They can't. They don't have the skills. They don't have the knowledge. It's not taught in college. It's not taught in high school. So now that I've thought about it more, the, the, the online course is actually the perfect venue. So here's what you do. First of all, you start your first buying group. You and three other guys, ladies, people, families, you kick in, you buy the course. Now you watch it together. Right, One hour at a time, one lesson at a time. Then after the first lesson, you pause it and you discuss amongst each other. So you don't have to think about how am I going to start this? No, all you have to do is say, come over to my house. We're going to take this course together. And then lesson by lesson, you pause it. For example, the first lesson is on, um, you know, the theory of historical cycles and the coming collapse of civilization. Okay, great. Pause it there. And talk to each other. Do you think Stefan's an idiot? Do you think he's a paranoid conspiracy theorist? Uh, do you think we're really going to go into a social collapse? What do you guys think about that? Well, I'm pr pretty sure that most people are going to come to the conclusion that things aren't getting better. So we do need to do something to protect our butts, cover our asses, just in case Stefan's right. Just in case. Uh, what can it hurt? Right. So we so we form a food co-op. What can that hurt? But if Stefan's right, that food co-op will save our lives. If he's wrong, well, we got some cheap food. 
And you could be charitable and give it away, you know, uh, you know, you could rotate your inventory every five years or something, even though it might be good for 25 years and and give it away to other people that might need it because you want to freshen your stock, but it's still good for another 15 years. Traditionally, that's yeah. Donate it to a food uh, uh, bank or a homeless shelter. You know what? We don't have a problem with homeless people. Of course we do. Donate it to them if you don't want to use it, you know. Uh, Second chapter is... um, the need to, again, like I said, those old friendly societies kind of used um, Masonic kind of a template. You know, they had a motto and they had a logo and they had imagery and they had mythology. Um, but, you know, anybody that's familiar with Joseph Campbell and the importance of archetypes and, and the lessons that it will teach, um, you need to kind of put that in part of your community, you know, uh, because it helps to form bonds and it helps to focus your mind and your energies in a certain direction. And I'll give you one of my favorite uh, mutual aid societies, and it's still in existence now, but it started back in medieval times and they were called the foresters. And the mythology of the forage foresters was Robin Hood. I love Robin Hood because Robin Hood, he stole from the rich to give to the poor. No, he didn't steal from the rich. He stole from the tax man. (laughs) He stole from the tax collectors. You know, the sheriff of Nottingham was a tax collector. That's who he stole from and he gave the tax money that they stole back to the people. But I like that mythology. And what I really like about the Foresters is that in order to be admitted as a member of that society, you had to prove your prowess with fighting with staff and a sword. Now, in 1860, they got rid of that requirement. But I like that. I would bring it back because guess what? If you have a requirement whereby your potential candidates has to uh, prove their skill with a sword and a staff, I guarantee you, you're not going to get soy boys. (laughs) which brings us again to another part of the community is being able to filter useless people out of your community yeah you know somebody was saying i it's so hard there's so many useless people i said yeah um just consider them all useless and then search for the diamonds in the rough search for those people that show that they have the ability to produce to think critically, to work together. And you approach those people, everybody else can go somewhere else. But yeah, filtering out people is part of it. So I would, you know, I'm including in the book and it's in the course, uh, have a prerequisite. If you're going to join my emergency disaster response team, everybody needs a first aid certificate. That's up to you to get it. You spend the weekend at Red Cross or St. John Ambulance here in Canada, you spend your weekend, you pay for the course, you get it, you take the course, you get your first aid certificate. If you don't have one, you can't join. It's not up to me to train you to ha- in, in first aid, but it's something you would need to have if we're going to do a volunteer search and rescue or a community disaster response. So anyways, so you go through the course, second lesson, symbology, mythology, what kind of a you know, let's talk about that. What What do you think would be a good symbol for us? No, now Christian groups may want to put something like uh, 
loaves and fishes or whatever like that and to represent when Jesus fed the masses, because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to feed the masses. So if you're a Christian group and you're forming one of these communities, then, of course, the cross would be part of your symbolism. It can be in your coat of arms and you can have a fish and a loaf of bread in your coat of arms, you know, and that will help to you know, solidify the purpose of your community. We are following, this, you know, the, the guidance of Jesus and we're feeding the masses and. I'm just saying that as an example. Now, you can do the same thing if you're a Muslim or if you're a Jew or if you're, you're a natural, uh, uh, an atheist. But still, we need to So then stop the course. Let's talk. What do you think would be a good, good symbolism for us? Anybody have any skills in creating a logo? Um, do you know anybody? Well, let's you know, spend 200 bucks and hire somebody to design a logo for us. You know? Because you're going to need that. You know? And then... You know, and you probably okay. need it, whether it's a mutual aid society or a homeschooling group or any of these types of organizational structures where you're going to go and build your parallel system. You're going to need some of these things, and it gives coherence to the the, the narrative and the ethos of it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, the ethos of it. So then you go lesson by lesson by lesson. Next one after that is, um, you know, the, the benefits of incorporating, unincorporating, or... Um, Incorporating for profit, incorporating for nonprofit, or uh, unincorporated association. Let's talk about that. So then, after that lesson, sit down and talk. What do you guys think? Should we incorporate? Do we need a bank account for what we're going to do? Because if you need a bank account, then we have to incorporate. Because then we can buy things by using a check or or a company credit card, and uh, and also that way. Again, you know, so many of these things turn out to be frauds by con artists that collect money and then steal it, right? So um, I include that within the community, if you have a bank account, that bank statement every month is issued to every member. Now, everybody knows where the money is. You Every week, every month, you get it mailed to you or emailed to you. And then you know where the money is. So, and, and this is to avoid fraud and those con artists they collect a lot of money and then they keep it, you know, they keep it going because the people don't know where the money went to. And there can be good people who are honest and well-meaning and well-intentioned involved, and they can be blackmailed. They can be compromised. They can be uh, hacked. There's a whole bunch of different reasons that you might want to have these transparencies, not because you don't trust the people, because it might be like family or friends or whatever, sure. but you have to keep an eye on things because when you start having assets, you start having predators. It's, it's, a, it's a rule of nature. Yes. If you want to exist outside the terrarium, as many people do want to exist because the terrariums are going to go away, that's what the supply lines are going to show you. Yeah. People in the country won't even feel it because they're so partially self-reliant, a lot of people. But people yep. in the urban centers, when they stop filling, you know, they can't get coffee and food at the bodega, what's going on? Yeah, They're just going to find out one day that there's stuff missing and not showing up. Yeah. And then they're going to panic and freak out, you know? Yeah. So so this in this way, the, the, the course is a perfect way to start your community, whatever it is you want to do. Because as you go through the course and you start talking about it, what kind of a community do, do we want to do a, a, a homeschooling first or a buying group first or a survival community first? Or, you know, what, what are what, what's everybody's priorities and how should we operate it and what kind of symbology and what kind of uh, 
uh, legal structure should we have? Now, I understand perfectly about these guys that don't want nothing to do with the government. I agree. If mm -hmm. I wake up tomorrow and it's Mad Max, I'm with you. Screw the government. I'm not filing no papers. But it's not Mad Max yet. And until we get to Mad Max or the road or what some dystopian, a zombie apocalypse, we still have to survive and function under the rules that we operate on now. And so, you know, you can't, you know, like try not paying your taxes, try, try not paying your property taxes. I mean, I heard some guys said, well, we're going to buy a hundred acre farm. We're all going to live on there and uh, we're not going to pay taxes. I said, good luck with that. You know, you're going to have the sheriffs and the FBI and military helicopters on your ass so fast. And you're going to be off of that goddamn property. And every penny you ever spent is gone. And everything you tried to do is going to be over. So go ahead. Good luck not paying your property taxes. Meantime, what we need to understand is that, you know, maybe we need to incorporate it as a religion and then we don't have to pay property taxes. We have to you know, feed off our enemy. We have to forage off the enemy, adapt to them. But just having these ideas, well, we're not going to cooperate. We're not going to file nothing. Okay, don't file anything. Uh, maybe you'll get away with it for six months or so. And if you, you have good, to, you have to use the enemy's uh, resources in this case, because it's like, you know, look at what we have to, like, we're using technology that they make. If we want to get to the point where we make our own open source, freedom-based technology, you're going to need some of these mutual aid societies to be the investors because these other people with money, they ain't investing in freedom. Yep. Just yep. like they're not invest investigating the pedophiles. They're like, That's no, right. let's keep bringing them closer. Yeah. Keep bringing them closer. We're going to normalize it. It's like, no, you're not. You're not, but people haven't organized to push back effectively yet or to abandon ship and not put their kids in the places that are filling their heads with such nonsense. Yeah. They also don't want to stand out too much, right? Don't tell us we just the first one to get knocked down first, chopped down first. So, I mean, if, uh, if you sort of put yourself as being an outlier as being like, and then creating a logo and giving yourself a name and sort of a meaning behind it, that can be quite dangerous because then it gives the government a very easy target. But if you can operate not in their system, but sort of like, uh, the sort of working within, um, their system working al alongside of it, I guess. You use their to system it. to bootstrap and then get yeah. out. Exactly. Bootstrap it. Use them for what they're useful for. Like, for example, I hate YouTube. I hate the censorship. I have not had one strike on my YouTube channel. Not one. Uh, all, almost all my videos are monetized, but why? Because I understand the algorithm and I understand what the algorithm cannot click on, cannot hit on metaphor, analogy, sarcasm, sarcasm, sarcasm yeah. humor. The, the algorithm doesn't hit on that. So if I were to go out and say, well, COVID is a bunch of bullshit and all this, I, I never say that. What I say is I have some code words. One of the code words is cooties. <laughs> and the other code word is Kool-Aid. Now, we all know everybody's getting the cooties and they're forcing us to take the Kool-Aid. I do all my videos using those code words. I've never been hit on by the algorithm for that. If I were to say COVID and the vaccine and all that. I'd, yeah, you get I, flagged. I, I'd be flagged. I'd be demonetized. I'd be booted off of YouTube. Well, why am I still on YouTube? Because I've been on every other alternative channel. Okay, I've uploaded all my videos on BitChute and Minds and all this other crap. And I go back there six months later and I look at the view counts. 36, 
148, maybe 105. Yeah. Whereas on YouTube, I consistently get 1,500. And then sometimes some of them go viral. I got 30,000, 50,000. My defense against a psychopath uh, is well over, well, because it's been uh, uh, replicated, people ask, can I upload it to my, yeah, it's yours, take it, it's free, whatever, I don't mind. So if I add them all up, all the people that have put, put that video on their channel, almost a million uh, views, right? So I'm still using YouTube. I hate YouTube. They're bastards, but I need to use them. I can't get to people through bit shoot, you know, everything I do is on bit shoot, trust me. And, and I look, I can check right now what was my last video 46 people, you know, I, I, and I know I got to go on bit shoot and work it and like people and invite <laughs> friends and all this. Do I have time for that? I'm trying to save the world here. I got books to write, courses to design, you know, interviews to conduct. Um, I don't have time to piddle around with this you know, trying to improve my social media standing, you know, piss off. So <laughs> I agree, you know, so that's why, I, but this is what I'm saying right now. We still operate in this world under these, you know, this structure. Let's take advantage of that structure. Yeah. Government grants. Yeah. Look, I, I, I've, I've gotten quite a few government grants in my day. I, you know, you have to know how to write a proposal. Oh my God. It's, it's a bitch. Trust me. I hate those things. Yeah. Usually you got to get together with two or three people and you got to write it together and compile it and all that. But if or you bring a grant writer into your group, just like you bring a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, and the other things you need outside of their society. That's where I was just going to go with that. Richard, you, you, you're anticipating my every move. Yeah. Hire a grant writer. Right. And, but, oh, well, it will cost us 1500 bucks. Yeah. But you're writing a grant for 200,000 bucks. If yeah. you get it, you know, that's $200,000. You can do a lot of damage with that. So yeah, get the grant writer, you know, pay some money, but everybody's like, well, you know, this should all be for free. They say that to me all the time. How dare you sell these books? You should give them for free. <laughs> like I'm, I'm a big capitalist because I'm charging you 25 bucks for a book. You well, know? cause you oh. know, stuff, and it doesn't cost you anything to print the book. It didn't cost you anything to get a computer or paper or <laughs> ink or to do the research or to buy the other books that you use to learn or to travel and get the experience. Like all that stuff's free. Everything's free here. Right. I mean, technically, the government's just printing it out of thin air anyway. Why are we even keeping track of it? How about we just run things like this, but we get a lot more ethics and integrity involved? We might have a working model. But yeah. the way they're doing it, they're driving toward the cliff like Thelma and Louise, and we got to, like, roll off the back of the car real quick. And you're yeah. talking about how to prepare for rolling off the moving car. That's how you do your, your urban survival and uh, build communities. You got to start thinking about it now and how you're going to brace for that landing. Yeah. And utilize yeah. the resources the government has, right? Going for grants is brilliant. Human beings respond to incentives. Economics transcends politics in this regard. And if you have the opportunity to get, well, what is being devalued currency that buy actually build up real assets, real value in a community, that's a no brainer. You're actually like yeah. reversing the model they're doing. So. Yeah. It's better than investing in 401k and wall street, you know, invest <laughs> in other human beings for, for survival yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. these days. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, people are like, oh, they're so upset. Oh, well, do I have to pay a hundred bucks? I don't know. But, you know, like I said, a hot dog cart is $50,000. Okay. Yeah. Is your survival more or less important than the hot dog shop? 
yeah. know, entrepreneur model. Yeah. Is your life, is your society, is your children's future not worth as much effort as running a hot dog stand? Uh, well, well, good luck with that. Um, so, yeah. Again, if it's Mad Max, all right. There's no government grants. There's no banks. There's, but the book and the and the course is actually aimed at surviving Mad Max. Because once you have this community together, right, it's very easy to morph them. All we need to do is add security, and that's in the book, right? And communications, that's in the book. And uh, now you've got it. So you've you got civil you know, defense, civil defense. So you got your own parallel medical um, uh, association. You have your own uh, source for food, either by growing it or outsourcing or hunting or, you know, raising chickens in the backyard, like Tim Pool was talking about. You have your own uh, medical community. I just mentioned that. You have your own lending society. You know, you can pool your money. You can, um, you know, that's what the Chinese do. That's what the Mexicans do. You know, they come here and they go, well, how, how could these uh, Chinese afford to buy a, a convenience store? They're immigrants. Well, because they, they have a lending society. They work together. They all pool their money. They buy the convenience store. They all take turns running a shift at the convenience store. They all get their groceries at wholesale cost because the convenience store has a wholesaler's license. So, I mean, that's how they did it. Here we are all you know, cutting each other's throat for a buck because we won't work together. Um, so we have all these potential structures in place now it goes mad max you're fine you're fine because you're already doing that you're already sourcing your food you're already you know working on communications you're already cooperating you already got your civil defense team you already got your medical team you already got your shelter and your nutrition teams and you're smoothing it and if it just goes hyperinflation you're 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 thriving you're thriving you're still okay so, but we got to start somewhere. And so like in the book and in the course, you start off simple, you know, something as simple as a check-in club, you know, or a, uh, that's where people check in with each other to see how they're doing because, you know, COVID could hit somebody and a couple of days later, they got, you know, their fog, fog in the brain and they forget to call a doctor, these sort of things, you know, the, well, the yeah. it's not a bad idea. And there's other things besides COVID, just people getting on in years. You want yeah. to check in with people and these sort of things. Human contacts also good for the immune system, you know, whether it's just talking on the phone yeah. or being there in person. So these are good too. Uh, yeah. A lot of people don't think about that, that type of yeah. society. Yeah. Well, you know, Joshua told me that uh, after listening to me talk about the check-in club, he was thinking, well, I haven't spoken to my mother in about three weeks. So he decided to call her and it turned out she got sick and was, you know, suffering some kind of a dementia. She was wandering around the house all alone. Nobody had checked in on her. She didn't know where she was. Thank God Joshua called her and said, Mom, what, what, what's going on? I don't know. And, and you know, he had his sister go over there, and, and I think that was his sister or somebody. Anyways, you know, very likely saved his mother's life just by, you know, don't wait a month to get into contact with people. You know, at least call them once a week. Things are changing so rapidly, especially with elderly people and, and, and the threat of, you know, the, you know, this kind of, anyways, you know what I'm talking about. So we, we can do this 
So I remember asking you about how you're going to finish your book. And when I talked to you about uh, maybe doing a course, I said, cause if you taught a course, it would be easy to finish your book. Cause it would force you into a routine of presenting and organizing your information, these sort of things, but you were a little bit skeptical and rightfully so. So you went and checked with some other people, you know, oh, see yeah. what my reputation was. Oh yeah. What'd you find? <laughs> what'd you find out? What'd you discover from asking the questions? Aside from the six wives you don't mention. Um, no, um, we're Mormons. Don't mock it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I checked you out, Richard. Well, because listen, that I tell everybody to do that. You have to check people out. You got to, you know, dig a little bit deeply into them. What the hell? You're, you're trusting these people with your lives, especially if we're forming communities, right? And what? You just got to take everybody on face value. That makes you a fool. Don't take people on face value. You, for me, I always find that talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. I want to know what a person does. I have so sick of everybody's goddamn opinion and them talking and talking. And, oh, wow, they talk a pretty good game. Wow, you know, it's like this guy. I remember we used to have weekend uh, sparring sessions up at my buddy's house, and we had this guy come in, and he's like a – the guy was like 200 – 200 pounds he was about 50 pounds overweight anyways comes in and uh, meets us for the first time goes, well you know i'm a black belt in karate and i studied ninjutsu and you, you see that light up there yeah i could kick that i could kick that light just like bruce lee did in, in the green hornet i said well okay that sounds really good well let's go out in the backyard we'll do some sparring then <laughs> and so the guy was facing off in front of me and he goes to do a front snap kick, right? And just, you know, kicking from the back leg, but he never sparred on grass before. That's why I always tell people, you know, know your terrain. Sweep the and leg. Slippery. Huh? Grass it's is slippery. slippery. Yeah. So his leg went up and he slipped. He went up in the air and landed flat on his back. Boom. Oh, my back. Oh, my back. Oh, my back. And anyways, that was the end of him for that day. So I, I just stood there and this guy just landed on his ass all by himself. Right. But that's the difference between yippity, yippity, yip. Oh, I'm this. I'm that. OK, well, show me a kick. To, whoop! Oh, my back. <laughs> Couldn't even kick for Christ's sakes without seriously injuring himself. So I'm like that with a lot of people. You know, oh, I'm just, I'm that, and the other. No, no, no. Let me see what you do. So, but yes, Richard, I did check you out. I talked to everybody I could find that knew you uh, tangentially or whatever. And everybody says you're golden. Golden. So I went, really? He's golden? <laughs> did you talk to my wife? What she said? No. <laughs> uh, she says she wants it more often than that. You're too tired. But anyways... Uh, no, she didn't. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> no, I didn't talk to your wife. I, I didn't know you were married. But, you know, the people that you've dealt with and through tragedy and hope. But we, we knew each other through tragedy and hope anyways because of the articles I submitted to you guys 10 years ago about the psychopaths. I think we exchanged some emails and stuff like that as well, you know. Yeah, but, but we didn't no. get a chance to work together in person or to help you out with your business problems of, you know, bringing this uh, freedom giving information to the market soon enough that we're not sharing yeah, it in no, the gulag. No, no, that's, you know, that's, I, you know, you don't have the time. I don't have the time to know everybody and everything, right? So that's not a problem. I'm not worried about that. But uh, no, it's worked out very good. I think the, <clears throat> I think the course 
um, really is the only way to go right now. Unless somebody had, like, okay, when the book comes out, hopefully at the end of next week, when the book comes out, you can buy the book and read it, and then maybe you can run this. You know, somebody that's really, you know, got a pretty good IQ, has leadership qualities, and said, okay, I read the book. I now know what to do. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to get these people. I'm going to organize them. Good. Go for it. For everyone uh, else, you need the course. You need the... Everyone else is going to need the course. Yeah. Because it's done for you. Right? Just, all you have to do is watch it. And then talk about it afterwards, you know, whatever you'd like to say. Now, I got a question for control room. We got 20 people in the control room just observing the show kind of behind the glass. Was anyone in Stefan's beta version of the class the, that wants to speak up? He can get a testimonial right now, maybe. Let's see. I could also get into trouble doing that because the people who might need to talk, they're not participants, they're attendees. They're attendees, yeah. But they can yeah. uh, use Joshua. come up, but uh, I've been able to take Stefan's work and put it into action in my local area. We've been doing viewings of the course, just like what Stefan was describing of how uh, all you need to do is get people together to watch it. And that starts the bonding of the group in itself. And so we've done three weeks, three viewings of his course. I had uh, 30 people show up the first time, 25 people show up the, the second time. And then I think we're down to like 15 uh, last week, but that's, that's like getting down to my eight person group. Like who's got the wherewithal to, uh, to, to see this through. Cause I want them on my team. Uh, tomorrow is going to be our next night, but, uh, I'm structuring it. So once a night is just a casual potluck, just everybody get together and just hang out. No, 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 uh, no, uh, no, no viewing of, or agenda. Uh, and Oh, one thing I want, I'm putting into action. Stefan is, uh, uh, we're going to be doing a potluck and we're going to be doing a, a vote for your favorite dish. Right. Oh. I really like that idea of yours because it, you know, it creates a little bit of uh, tension, some nervousness, uh, and and then like a, a winner, right? And that whole bonding experience creates um, a, 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 a better community out of it. So tomorrow we're going to be doing the first, um, yeah, the, the first uh, contest. But this has been hands down just great. Uh, greatly received. I've had several people couldn't make it that, that the Monday night that we're doing it. And so they bought the course themselves. They're doing it online with their core group. So this is really just working out beautifully. And uh, I hope to, to share this cookie cutter process now that once we get through the whole course. Yeah. You got a case study. Yeah. So now we have a case study. So you just do this, find your people, get them together, watch it and, uh, and, and put it in action. Some people have an excuse they don't have a place to have it. What did you do? Didn't you rent a place or make an offer to barter? Or how did that work out? I luckily just weeks before was asked to DJ. I, I live out in the country, but just uh, five minutes up the road, uh, I got asked to DJ on a property. It was beautiful. And they, and they had this like 2000 square foot building in their backyard and it had power and they had a projector. And so, uh, I'm, Ooh. I'm like trading DJing for, uh, use of their space. I pitched them on the whole mutual aid idea. They, they flat out loved it. They want to be like part of it. And so now, uh, now, now we have like, uh, our, our, our lodge. Nice. Nice. Now, uh, so that's, that's 
good feedback that someone was able to take your course stuff and, and then go out and apply what you're teaching. And it's pretty easy. The potluck dinner is like, that's a brilliant idea because it's like free food. It's good food. People are going to bring their best dish, not the easiest dish in that type of situation. And it does help people get to know one another and break the ice and eating is such a common thing, you know? So, um, thank you, Joshua, for, for making that addition. And in addition to just, uh, being DJ Trua on the weekends, occasionally, Joshua is also Stefan's account manager and, uh, you know, helps to make sure all the things that Stefan needs for his infrastructure and marketing and all these other things gets done with his team. So I also wanted to say, yeah, uh, Joshua has been doing a great job, um, on the course and, uh, on keeping me informed on uh, how things are going. And the, uh, the potluck dinner is just one of a few things that, that I mentioned it's in the book as well. We have to create our own rituals, right? So let's have a potluck dinner once a month. Or let's have music night or story night. And we vote on who had the funniest story or the scariest story if it's Halloween or the most interesting story. We, You know, these are little sort of rituals that we need to recreate for ourselves as well. So you're saying we need to put more effort into life instead of putting effort into watching other people live life yes. on screens? Yes. Profound. And by Profound. the way, my pasta salad wins yeah. every potluck dinner hands down oh that's a challenge <laughs> he's throwing down now we'll see when you oh, come yeah. to the u.s how that pasta salad is oh yeah where uh, where can people get your book next week and where where can people check out your course with their friends um i got a new website it's called formingcommunities.com. one word forming communities.com i'm still working on the website i'm updating it every day I do everything myself. I write the books. I design the websites. You know, uh, I do the videos. I do the talks. I format the books. I do the marketing. Uh, you know, uh, it'd be nice to have some help. But Joshua has been a help, and uh, so have you, Richard. Well, I appreciate that compliment coming from you. It means a lot. There's the uh, book on screen. Well, that's actually the course. That's complete the course, guide yeah. to forming communities with Stefan for Stappen. Stefan, thank you for stopping by, for making this part of your schedule, for sharing this wisdom, this cornucopia of knowledge with the audience. Because I think like, not everyone's going to hear this and take action, but a few people just started taking action. And it might be to take that next step to find three or five friends, take this course, start learning about what they could learn and, and implement pretty readily. Like in the next six months, you can get a lot of these things knocked out. Oh yeah, Have easy. a real plan for the future. Have real peace of mind knowing that you're not waiting and hoping uh, you're not you're not smoking the hopium. You're actually getting out there doing the real meaningful, substantial things that are going to guarantee your family's future, or at least make it a lot less risky than everyone else is doing right now. Yeah, and I think that's the path to survival. And Stefan, thank you for helping us illuminate and shine bright lights on that path and mark it out and uh, demarcate it for for people coming behind us. Yeah, thank you, Richard, for having me on and uh, for convincing me to do the course. You know, I much appreciated. <laughs> I, I, I'll take that phrasing. I don't like to convince people, but in your case, I diagnosed before I did the examination just because I saw your problem. And I was like, I see this all the time. No one's going to read your book, but if they take your course, they'll all read your book and they'll actually do something with it. And it yeah. just took you, you had to go out and do your due diligence and come to your own conclusion. So I don't yep. feel I convinced you. I gave you a, a sturdy opportunity several times yes. to make a, a healthy decision. 
Yes, you did. I know. <laughs> and I blew you off a couple of times, more or less. He's like, oh, well, not you. I, I blew Joshua off. Yeah, I'll get no, back to No, but the value, we, we knew. Joshua and I were like chuckling because some of your responses, because I'm like, he'll get it. He just needs to hang in there and keep checking out what we're doing. And once you vet it and see the examples, you're going to, and you did. You did, and you moved forward. Yep. And uh, I think it's going to be beautiful getting the book into people's hands and getting that course into people's lives. And uh, it's a it's a service to humanity. And I know you've struggled for a long time to bring these types of ideas to the public. So thank you, Stefan, for your investment from your end. And I hope uh, I'm going to wish you a good white pill Christmas of optimism and, uh, <laughs> you know, winter tidings of a, you know, full belly. Thanks, guys. You have right a good on. night. I'm going right. to sign out. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. Hey, take care, Stefan. Peace. What do you think of that, Tony? Uh, fantastic. It's, it's interesting, you know, one of the sort of apprehensions he had and someone I'm actually working in the background with an old tragedy and hope, uh, member discussing with them who runs permaculture courses. Like, have you thought about taking your knowledge and putting it into a digital format? Did we lose um, your camera? We lose my camera. Co-host asked you to start the video. There you go. But so another course, old, courseify something or just to em, em, encapsulate it as a digital asset in some format. Right. Exactly. It, pervade it, one to many. Grand Theft, one to many. There you go. Grand Theft World is it, the idea behind this is to be a, a time capsule, but so many of us have skills and different talents and expertise and specializations in so many different areas. And we're just going to keep that to ourselves and not try to preserve that in some format that will be useful for the future. I'm not saying it's selfish necessarily. I just don't think people are aware, especially for older generations that aren't aware of just how advanced information technology has become in today's day and age, especially with this, the cloud computing technology. Uh, it's, it's, it's a completely different world. So to preserve your knowledge in a digital format that can also potentially be used to generate revenue for you, especially as you're older and can just slow extra passive revenue coming in, some beer money, whatever you want to call it, not a bad thing. So it's a win, 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 win. You know, the community wins, you win, your family wins, you get some money out of it and you get to preserve it in a digital format, which is much, once you get through the initial hurdle of building the foundation and then building out the course, the rest of it's pretty much preserves itself. It doesn't require a, a tons of initial capital investment afterwards. Preserving and passing on the best parts of our culture. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a concept. I mean, right now in everyone's families, there's people we know and love that make great food and we haven't learned how to make it. And when they pass away, we're going to have a recipe, but it's not going to be the same unless we watch them and learn, oh, they do it like this, you know, and those mm -hmm. are experience or, or just mechanical things, you know, working on car, father, son, father, son, grandfather, get a couple generations doing these sort of but things. Honestly, the way we hands on pretty much learned was always hands-on. It was like, you know, sort of a guild system. Then, you know, in the past you had the feudal system, but it was very much trade-based. You know, you, you worked with a certain type of individuals from an early age that taught you a certain type of uh, trade or skill that was usually hyper-specialized in that regard. But you also, if you were lucky enough, could be educated in the yes. liberal arts and how to, th how to, how the mind thinks and how to learn anything and things of that nature. But There's some people watching right now and they're like, what is hands-on learning? Cause they only know book learning. Right. So hands-on learning would be, you can hand Actually, me a mechanical yeah. device and I can intuit its form, function, purpose, how to use it from looking take it at apart, it. maybe put it back. Yeah. Together, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, what's the ergonomics, where are the buttons, what are the buttons might do? Does it plug in? Like all these things you can, you can question it. You can interrogate that object and, and then you can take it apart too. 
Like as you're pointing out, right? You can put it back together. And then even if you don't understand everything in it, you can be a competent user of that and make a, a lifestyle living using that tool. It's the best way because you're actually engaging in multiple forms of learning. You're trying to name some of the components that you're taking apart. So you're actually learning some of the base concepts and some of the ideas and terms that are used in that. As right. Well so the as... metaphysics will be that which exists, the tool. Mm -hmm. Then the epistemology the is the words we attach to the various areas it. to get law of identification going. And with that, we can find contradictions. And, and then, then we, we build all form and have an understanding. Yeah, you I get know, an understanding. It's, crazy. it's unbelievable. If only we could pass this. this shit out right here that we're talking about. How do we do that? <laughs> can we mandate that? Can we mandate some smartness out there? No. No. It's not Ironically, it's mandating, going. trying even to mandate the best things in human beings and then creates greater perversions. So. Well, Tony, I know we didn't talk about uh, before the show that we had a guest on tonight uh, like that. So uh, you you rolled with it pretty well. And I, I planned on giving Stefan an hour on stage, but he's got so much wisdom. It's like, all we're going to do is play some clips from the news for the rest of the week. So I'm like, he's sitting here spitting his wisdom. I'm just going to let it go. Let it go. Let it flow and tell you where to you know, go. And he's a very gentle, very nice man. He reminds me a bit of Gino Denning. He's just very wise. Um, he's really internalized a lot of his experiences in life. And I have tremendous respect for individuals that have been able to do that and gain an insight, um, that is useful and be able to share that with other people. So I really appreciate him coming on. And, uh, you know, I, I, there are so many times I wanted to jump in there and ask questions and sort of start going on my random diatribes, but I held back because I just wanted to hear him. You did a good job tell a story because yeah. I can sometimes not shut up. I so. thought I was doing a good job being a teacher of listening you skills. Were. I'm like, look, I said two things in the half hour. That was it. I just, you know, he, and he's just spouting forth wisdom. That's what you want as an interviewer. Ask it's a question the and the person talks for an hour. That's, that's, that would be a David Icke interview. Hi, David, how you doing today? Blah, 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 blah. An hour goes by, like he'll just go, <laughs> right? He's on his own. He's like, I don't need you to ask me questions. I know what I want to talk to the audience about, right? Right. So yeah, that was, uh, well, uh, that's you know, it's something there, Rich, I want the rest of the audience uh, to take away from it is, what's the book that Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life or whatever it is, one of his biggest clean rules and his most important were they clean your room. Clean your but, room. But listen, he has a whole rule for just listening to people. Are you actually yeah. like listening? Are you actually listening? And that's a skill that very few people have actually developed well, especially having gone through the 15,000 hours of state-sponsored indoctrination that only completely cuts that off and wanting to believe there's any necessity in listening, but listening My is listening, active listening is like I'm recording and then I'm yeah. studying the recording as it's going on. It's like a whole thing. You yeah, that's good. It's clear, like a dialogue. You want my clear and present it. attention. You can get it, but I got stuff to do. <laughs> so it better be important. All said. All right. So uh, next week we're going to have on Etienne Delabuetti squared. Because everyone knows Etienne Delabuetti passed away centuries ago. But the spirit of Etienne's freedom based philosophy lives on. His uh, human living representative will be here next week because he still goes by a pseudonym, Etienne Delabuetti squared. So I speak of Howard like that. So Howard will be here next week and uh, we'll be there. You go. Government, the biggest scam in history. That is his book, uh, and it's exposed. And uh, he's got some great accoutrements like that, like uh, this 32 gigabyte Liberty uh, loaded drive with all sorts of great materials. So uh, Howard's going to be on. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to have on uh, Monica Perez and her co-host, uh, Brad Binkley. And I did an interview on their show, Propaganda Report, earlier, I guess it was last week. Was It It was It was, it was past ago. week. It was Monday. I think it was, it was Monday. Monday. Okay, you're right. You're right. Or was it yeah. Tuesday? It was Tuesday because... 
funny no, story. Tuesday. I was in a meeting with Monday. Howard and he mentioned Monica's name. I said, Oh, I have that interview today. <laughs> so LD helped me get squared away. One I think I made a, I made a pretty good showing. We're going to watch the, uh, let's watch the first 10 minutes of that interview or so. And then we'll continue back to the, the I saw the next clip was Jamie deluxe. I'm like, we got to do another clip before we talk about that story. So let's, let's take a look at my uh, interview this past week with Monica Perez and uh, Binkley there. And there's a couple parts in there that we could have clipped out and showed you a segment. I just want, you know, it's a, it's a good, well-balanced interview. There's a lot of interesting things talked about in there. Um, she's very adept at these topics. So it was a higher quality conversation than I've, than I've enjoyed with most other interviewers uh, in recent memory. So this is an enticement to go and check out uh, the, her original post on Rockfin is where it's at right now. We'll have the show uh, notes reflect that with a link. And LD, if you have a clip of that, let's go ahead and roll like 10 minutes of it and see where it goes. Welcome to the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez with my co-host Brad Binkley and our special guest today who may need no introduction to our listeners. Binkley and I both agree he is an uh, original gangster in the truth and uh, podcasting realms. We both remember early days, even though I'm sure you're younger than I am, but you were way ahead of me on carving a path through the truth and finding what's really hidden behind the trees. My first uh, exposure to you was a John Taylor Gatto interview, which I have mentioned many, many, many times in the years since I first saw that. Some people might know you from that platform, which was Tragedy and Hope, or the podcast Peace Revolution. Today, your signature, your marathon podcast is your Sunday night Grand Theft World. And we have also shared a screen a few times on Union of the Unwanted, which is a privilege. So it was inevitable that we would get together. It is a pleasure to have you today. Richard Grove, welcome. Monica, thank you for that that warm, genuine, spontaneous introduction. I think that's one of the best intros I've ever had. Brad, nice to meet you. I'm fans of your work. And uh, I'm excited here to have a power-packed hour of knowledge exchange, given that unlike most of the interviews I do, like you have also a knowledge of these things now for yourself that is showcase-worthy. So this is going to be an exciting conversation. I look forward to it all week. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And there's one thing that I always wondered from the very beginning of my exposure to your work is you you came out from the very beginning. You were very professional, very focused. You had none of the histrionics or the stuff that some people who kind of exploit the the appeal of a deeper truth that resonates, that is left completely undiscussed in the mainstream. It's very easy to try to make it larger than it is to sensationalize it, but you never did that. You, you talk, you have facts, you have resources, you're always very polished. And I just, I wonder that kind of thing takes a lot of effort, focus, and commitment. And there was probably no expectation. You were forging new ground. So no expectation of real success there. And I just kind of wanted to know what your path to that place was. I mean, I, for me, that John Taylor Gatto interview just blew me away. It was called the ultimate history lesson. Like what, what got you there? And then maybe what got you here? <laughs> All right. So what got me to the ultimate history lesson, short version, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. I learned later Gatto also grew up in Western Pennsylvania. So we shared a lot of kind of hometown values. I didn't discover his work 
uh, until about 2004. And that was kind of my, you know, first couple years of my red pill phase. I knew there was something going on, but I didn't have details. I bumped into Gatto's underground history of American education, which he wrote in 2001. I bumped into it like 2004 and it, it washed off me. I didn't get it. A lot of the things in there he's talking about, I didn't have the context to make the connections. So I put that book down for several years. I went out and continued to do deep dives into what are the primary artifacts and evidence of more than nationalism being at work here. Call it supranationalism, call it globalism, call it the new world order. It's a whole bunch of different names for it, but it's a group of bad actors on this planet who saw fit to be custodians of the planet without being voted in. They are gonna shape your life, your family's life, your future's life, you know, your future generation's lives uh, in their image as they see fit because they are the strong and we are the weak and it's a might makes what right kind of Darwinian survival and preservation of the favored races idea that they have. So I was out there collecting first editions of any, any of the history that made me incredulous, whether it was Woodrow Wilson or Colonel house or Lord gray or Carol Quigley's works or any of these types of things. Cause I was like, I went to public school. I was a straight A student. I went to college for five years. I got a good degree. I got, you know, very successful in the, in the, in the business world. And how could I not know these things? How could a family like the Rothschilds exist and have a significant, substantial influence for 200 years of Western history, but it's not on my radar whatsoever. And then it's like page 52 or 56 of Tragedy and Hope where Georgetown professor Carol Quigley, who, who was a mentor to Rhodes Scholar Bill Clinton, and he was trained, uh, Quigley was, by uh, Crane Brinton, another Rhodes Scholar. So there's this lineage of Anglo-American uh, exuberance, domination, domineering, planning for a new world order that goes back was really interesting. So um, just digging in and from there, it's like, what else can you find out? And then you come to find out like the Rothschild family has official online archives. I don't read French, so I don't dig too much into the French ones, but the British ones are still available today. And it might be rothschildarchive.org or .com. But when you dig in and start read their letters in their own words, it's there's no need to hyperbolize because the reality is so much grander than anything that's being communicated about it in these interviews. Like I can tell you about um, the Stanford University 1965 publication from Sigmund Diamond of the Rothschilds, uh, Solomon de Rothschilds letters during the Civil War, right before the Civil War kicked off in this country. Go ahead. They have the same for World War One at the Hoover Institution. Did you know that all of the documents from World War One that would prove that it was an absolute elite plot? I think the Hoover Institution might have been kind of christened at that time for that stuff. In, in yeah, fact. Well, it's, yeah, because Herbert Hoover was an early billionaire yes. magnate in Russia when they Sovietized it and reappropriated everyone's wealth. I read a great book called The Secret, the Hidden History, The Secret Origins of World War One. Real nice book, and it talks about that. But one thing I just wanted to say about how this isn't on your radar yet, you can find actual, wasn't on your radar in the mainstream education stuff, but you can find evidence of it. It's undeniable. People will just literally like, not hear you. And then if they do hear you and you can show them the proof, they don't want to hear it, but they'll say, oh, not anymore or something weird like that. Not anymore. It's like, oh yeah, Operation Mockingbird, not anymore. Like, come yeah. on. Well, it has yeah, no don't... meaning to them because I don't know why my camera keeps doing this. My apologies. It has no meaning to them because the media hasn't told them that it's supposed to be important to them. I had an instance of this where I showed somebody the Jeffrey Epstein court documents like back in 2015, and they just it, did, it meant nothing to them. And then fast forward to 2021, and all of a sudden, because they made it into a Trump scandal with Acosta that was in this thing, all of a sudden Jeffrey Epstein mattered to these people, even though they had seen it years before. 
It's like in that uh, HBO thing, Westworld, where the androids, they see something that's like not allowed for them to know. And they just say, that means nothing to me. Yeah, it's a lot like that. And that's where they've gotten to. And that's what Gatto ends up describing the process of how all this happens, right? So I went out, I did a couple more years research. Then I went back to my shelf and I read that, that it's a huge book. It's, uh, it's like an odd size, the print, you know, the, like the pages are just filled, you know, it's not the usual format that people read in, right? So I read it again, but now I knew who Frederick Taylor was. Now I knew about scientific management and Bertrand Russell. And now John is then taking you on the journey of here's how all this stuff was applied and aimed at the youngest among us over a series of generations to internationalize Americans and change our attitudes, values, behaviors, and beliefs to be more in line with communism. Is scientific management the like Dewey thing where is that hand in hand with education? What is scientific management? So scientific management uh, so my best resource would be chapter nine, the cult of scientific management in the underground or the, yeah, the underground history of American education by Gatto. He starts out by talking about Frederick W. Taylor, uh, a possible distant re- relative of Gatto's. And he was really the pioneer, Frederick Taylor was, of working with the big nonprofit foundations to um, start applying time management to production lines. So Nike today paying three cents for all these, you know, complicated actions that comes from the scientism of the workplace and the, that the education, the schooling that they started to bring in was training people to be future workers in the workplace. So it made sense to also bring scientific management to bear. And that's where education in this country became schooling. They took the free will out and they put the scientific management in. And that's what formulated a 20th century that could tolerate World War One, World War Two and all these other things that were not American interests and not good uses of American tax dollars if Americans are going to have taxes. Like that's so that's the, that's the domestication of the human being. That's yeah. making the human being a workhorse. Fully. And they did it right after, I mean, it was originated in, uh, in Prussia right after the Franco-Prussian War with Napoleon and, uh, and uh, at the Battle of Jena, and they beat the Prussians, and then the Prussians and von Clausewitz, all these people were trying to figure out, uh, Fichte, how did we lose to Napoleon's amateur army? And they needed a way to indoctrinate children so they would grow up to be soldiers and not run off the field of battle and pursue their own interests. And then they figured out how to break the will of young individuals. They systematized that. Harvard and a couple other people sent, uh, other colleges sent people over to Prussia. They said, this is a great system of this obedience to authority. Then they brought it back over here, slowly ameliorated American ways into that system through the education system, turning into public schooling, which there's a good meme going around. They show like the bus, the food, the classroom between schools and a prison is like pretty much the same thing. And that was the subtitle of the Gatto's book, the prison of modern schooling. So It's a very real circumstance, and it really explains the attention deficit, the learned helplessness, scarcity mentality that keeps everybody in check and keeps them obedient to authority, even if authority is contradicting itself every day, just like Big Brother did in 1984. Can't hear you, Binkley. Sorry, that's interesting what you said about the the prisons and the schools. I went to a band concert recently for uh, a friend of mine whose kid was in the band, is in the band at a high school and it's just band buses everywhere. And I was walking through the parking lot and there's all the regular yellow buses. And then there was one bus that was a white bus that clearly had been a prison bus that they had turned into a high school bus. I was like, these kids are riding in a prison bus. Oh my gosh. There's two things that what you're saying reminds me of. One is that Bismarck, I remember this quote. I 
don't have the reference at my fingertips, but I've read it more than once that Bismarck basically said to the Kaiser after, I, I think it was during the, the Industrial Revolution or something was happening to where people had a little bit of surplus and could take care of themselves. And they were worried because they would stop loving the Kaiser and, and Bismarck supposedly uh, said, well, if we take the money away and give it back to them, you know, the idea of social security or unemployment insurance mm -hmm. or whatever, then they will love you and their dependents. Like you will be their dad again. They, they will love you. And so I always considered that like the inception of the modern welfare state. And so when you were talking about Prussian education, I thought they really, I mean, I'm sure there, there's probably more to it than that. There, it was, it probably does account for basically the entire system or possibly. You're right. That's the first place because they had like the, the widow's endowment fund over there, that sort of thing. And then that idea was brought into, uh, I think England took it on shortly before FDR kind of introduced it over here. And that's a world socialism collectivist type of thing where dependence on the central authority gives them more power than even if you don't agree with them, you have to take it because it's a, it's a form of golden handcuffs. And it's a form of mass enslavement because where the government creates nothing, they just reappropriate wealth. So you're welcome to listen to that extended conversation. I think we went on for about an hour and a half. It was an hour long show. We went long because we were in the middle of talking some really interesting things. Uh, if you're watching us on Rockfin right now for the live stream, you can hop right over there when you're done with the live stream, listening to it on uh, Monica Perez's Rockfin channel. And I will have an edited version out probably later this week because we don't want to, we want people to watch her version, but I also am going to put it in my archive as well for people who might not uh, watch this right now and see it. All right. So uh, the next two clips kind of go together. So it's a Jamie Deluxe article uh, video on uh, a Fauci situation. And then he refers to the work of Liam Schiff in this kind of uh, research deep dive that brought to mind a Liam Schiff featurette made by my good friend, Benny Wills. And it had to do with the polio epidemic. And uh, Liam had written about this in his book before he passed away. So we're going to watch the Jamie Deluxe. And then I'm going to ask control room to just roll uh, Benny's video on polio and going into the history of Jonas Salk. And you might see parallels between what happened with polio and kind of what's going on today with this vaccine and, and things like that. So there might be some, there might be more connections to this than you might first hear, but you're going to have to hear it once to get the, the start of the connection. So let's go to the, the Jamie Deluxe video, and then we'll cut straight into the Benny Wills uh, polio video. Thanks, LD. Warning. I chain smoke and I say fuck a lot. But I accept myself for the way I am. I accept you too. Viewer discretion advised. The story is uh, complicated. It involves uh, our perceptions of the medical establishment of how we think about the disease called AIDS, how we think about HIV testing, how we think about pharmaceutical companies. And uh, I, I think for me, it was a real revelation. Continuing from my last video, Dumb Docs about Jonathan Fishbein, the whistleblower from NIH. Here he goes on about the NIH funding foster homes for toxic AIDS drugs trials. I've covered this before, or a video called Fauci's Guinea Pigs? I'll leave the link below, but we're gonna look into it again. 
Now let's go to the foster children, which I think was the most, to me, it was Tuskegee with foster children. That was the most egregious. Yeah. In the 80s and 90s, there were these AIDS drugs and sometimes it was difficult to get parental permission to test experimental drugs on children. Why? AIDS drugs have very toxic side effects. Fauci and his team, the AIDS team and Fauci, went to the foster system in several um, cities. I think Pittsburgh and uh, the city of New York were two that I remember. And they convinced uh, these cities to uh, uh, the wards, the people who were watching the foster children, to enroll their HIV-infected foster children in these studies so that they can get efficacy and safety data on them and do that. Some of the trials, some of the protocols say that the children are, and I quote, presumed to be HIV positive. Now, what kind of what kind of society are we that children who are only presumed and by whom are they presumed? What criteria makes them presumed to be HIV, that those children then get exposed to as many as seven highly toxic experimental drugs. And what I uncovered was that the promise that Dr. Fauci and his team made to these foster children agencies is for every child that you allow to enroll in this, we're going to give them an advocate, a patient advocate, to watch their well-being like their parents because they're disconnected from their parents when you're a foster child. These, this patient advocate will watch the data, they'll be briefed, and they'll protect that child's personal and safety interests uh, as they go through this you know, very toxic drug trial. And it turns out that in almost all those cases, uh, the NIAID, Fauci's division, didn't provide that advocate after the fact. And what I dug up in records was there were 10 unexplained deaths of foster children in this trial. 10, not one, 10, very large number. And the ultimate investigation concluded that these were unexplained, mysterious deaths that were very troubling because of the fact that NIAID had not given them the protections of an advocate, somebody to watch out and be that, that child's parent as these drugs were being administered to. So very much like the Tuskegee syphilis mm-hmm. uh, uh, experiment in the 40s. Uh, in 92, the NIH decided that this population was uh, going to be as good as any to test drugs on. Aren't there rules against testing on children? Yes, there are. Under federal rules, consent for children to take part in drug trials has to be given by their parent or guardian. But the kids at Incarnation have no independent voice. The body that is their legal guardian, the ACS, is the same body that makes the children available for trials. Uh, National Institute of Health rules against using wards of the state in clinical trials. But How, how How do they get around this? Well... You get around it by appealing to public sympathy. If you go with the definition of AIDS that we have, which is a single cause, sing, you know, illness with no cure, blah, 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 caused by one thing, instead of what it, what it, what it appears to be, the multifactorial, complex, treatable uh, uh, illness that occurs around the world because of poverty, tox, you know, drug toxicity, and other things, if you go with the first view, you can do anything you want. So basically they're saying these babies have a death sentence anyway. It doesn't matter what we do. We can just do anything we need to do. We're saving their lives. Well, it is shocking that uh, in New York City, uh, experimental drug treatments are being used on uh, children who are in foster care. Even senior politicians in the city have found it impossible to get information about the trials. Bill Perkins is Deputy Majority Leader on New York City Council. We do know that several have passed away uh, during the course of these experiments, uh, and we know that there are still some involved. 
Um, and there's been somewhat of a secrecy about the whole matter, I must say. It has not been easy to uh, get through the bureaucracy as to exactly uh, what this is all about. We're, we're using toxic drugs on infants. We're using toxic drugs on children. Toxic drugs that cause genetic mutation, organ failure, bone marrow death, bodily de de uh, deformations, brain damage, and fatal skin disorders. We're using that on orphans. We're using children. that on orphans, and we're saying we're doing them a favor. In a mass grave owned by the Roman Catholic Church close to Manhattan, over a thousand children's bodies including some who were enrolled in the trials, lie beneath a tarpaulin. Officially, their deaths are recorded only as resulting from natural causes. For months, we tried to get answers from those behind the trials. From Columbia Presbyterian Hospital, where many of the tests were devised. From Incarnation Children's Center, from the Catholic Church and from the ACS, the authority ultimately responsible. None would comment. The drug companies which have supported trials at Incarnation include some of the world's largest. What were some of the physical reasons that they were saying, I don't want this? Um, some of them, they, they, they made them so sick that they couldn't get up and go to school. Or when they were in school, they couldn't function like the regular kids, so they just didn't, you know, they didn't want it for whatever reason. When they got sick, what kind of symptoms did they display? Um, stomach cramping, mostly that, and, and constant diarrhea, you know, that wouldn't allow them to stay focused in a classroom like a regular child would. Um, sleepy, a lot of the kids, you know, they were um, drugged so much that they were just tired. They just couldn't function. And Mimi, when the children refused to t take the drugs, um, what would happen to them? You could only refuse X amount of times. After that, um, you get a tube inserted into a G tube. A G tube was inserted into into the children. The uh, did, did you insert that, or how did how did they? Oh no, that, those are surgically um, put in. So they were sent to doctors to get tubes that, that to put into their bellies to take the drugs. Yeah. One of my kids um, came in, and um, a couple of months later, you know, she came in. She was fine. She had a stroke, and she went blind. And you know, after after being given these meds, yes, because supposedly her case was um, she wasn't told she wasn't aware of her HIV status. So if he wasn't aware, he wasn't taking medicine. You're in there for that. The perception there, uh, and this is sort of drummed into everybody's head, is that the drugs will make you live longer. Longer than what? Longer than the perception that you're supposed to die at a certain age. So they'll say that the effects are very, 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 very strong, terrible, as Mimi says, a girl who had never been told that she was positive, therefore never took the drugs and was not sick, came in, and within a few months on these drugs, AZT and others, had a stroke, went blind, and died a few months later. can't tell me that she lived longer. I don't think Mimi would say that either. But the general perception, you know, from doctors who want to defend this kind of thing is, yeah, they'll live longer than, than what? Not than they live, than they were supposed to live. Who decided? The doctors decided. <laughs> and, if, and if the prognosis is that you're going to die, I guess any day past that is, is something that, it, that you could argue is proof of your, your argument. It's a, it's a circular, it's, it's very circular logic, and it only works in favor of the drug companies, not the children. 
when that hit, you were still inside the NIH when I broke that story. Mm -hmm. Describe the culture and the reaction inside uh, Dr. Fauci's division when that one when that one landed and the public outcry began. Well, the official stance was, but we provided these children with life-saving drugs they otherwise <laughs> yes. would not have had access to. Yes. That was the excuse. It meant a lot to the 10 that died, I'm sure. Yes. Down, um, yes. And, but, but down sort of among the workers, you know, a lot of us were very concerned. It was embarrassing. Yeah. It was embarrassing um, because they, they, knew, they knew that's not what you do. That well, was absolutely reprehensible. Fucking stoned. I got motherfucking spaceship. Oh, fuck. Oh, oh, oh. Polio by Liam Sheff, an excerpt from Official Stories. Polio appeared in industrialized nations. It came seemingly out of nowhere and exploded in clusters. Those affected would experience muscular weakness, leaving some paralyzed and killing a few. Industrial history, i.e., use of poisonous chemicals had demonstrated that neurological and paralytic illnesses tended to act just this way. But academic scientists had no interest in toxins. The growing concern in medicine was to nail down tiny particles. Pollution was not on the agenda. Instead, the focus went on something invisible, something never seen but suspected to be there. These invisibles would be blamed for all illness and vaccines would be invented to stop them. So, what was the real invention? Ask the question, who funds university research? Chemical, oil, and pharmaceutical companies. And you can't sue a virus. You can, however, sue industry, and industry doesn't want to be blamed for causing most of the ailments of the modern age and they have a ready-made scapegoat, a virus, which they pay to discover and to develop vaccines for, and you pay to be protected. Back to polio. Some doctors were arguing that pesticides were responsible for the outbreak because it was appearing in children eating chemicals sprayed on orchard fruit and playing downstream from sprayed cotton fields and mills. Poliomyelitis has had many different names, paralysis, palsies, and apoplexy. It's a problem of chemical exposure. Throughout history, workers exposed to fumes of metals and chemicals developed paralysis, sometimes passing, sometimes fatal. The chemicals to blame, mercury, phosphorus, lead, and arsenic. It was recorded over and over again, arsenic, carbon monoxide, lead, mercury, cyanide. Chemicals used in industry and agriculture caused palsies, paralysis, and death. The chemical industries rolled out a new wonder chemical to stop polio, DDT, dichlorodiphenyl trichloroethane. It got a big commercial push and was endorsed by the U.S. government. People were encouraged to use it liberally on everything, everywhere and polio rates skyrocketed. 
Children were dropping, and a cry went out for relief from the summer plague. So the race to make a vaccine began. The vaccine, containing material drained out of monkey kidneys and chemicals including formaldehyde, was released to the general public in 1955. Thousands of kids were injected and the polio rate exploded. That's when the medical authorities stepped in, the CDC, NIH, and the WHO, and decided to change the definition of polio. Up until then, polio was the name given to any illness within range of a neurological perturbance. Muscle weakness, a summer flu with tingling in the arms, a weakened limb, and rarely a flaccid or paralyzed limb. If you had it for a day, you had polio. After 1956, however, polio was only one illness, severe paralysis, and the majority of what had been polio just went away. Only paralysis would count in the post-vaccine period, and only if you had it for two months, from 24 hours to 60 days. So, polio rates plummeted and the vaccine was publicized as a success. And if you got sick within 15 days of being incepted, you already had polio, and it wasn't the vaccine's fault. They controlled the interpretation of the data, so they wrote the history to reflect their successes. It's that simple. And now you know. They changed the definition. Vaccines didn't cure polio. Play this for somebody. Share it with them. You have been warned. Now through the history. All right, so can we check the date? When did, uh, I don't know where that was posted, but I'm pretty sure, I'm 95% sure that Benny had done that video before COVID even was a thing. So December he's only talking 3rd, about- 2019. All right, so technically COVID was out in China, but that wasn't why Benny was making that video. And Benny was early into the research, but that's not why he's making that video. He's making that video because his friend, Liam Schiff, an investigative journalist who wrote the book from which Benny was quoting, had passed away. And he thought people should know these things because not everyone might find Liam's book and, you know, read through that to get that part. Uh, Benny was also like in his in-between phase. Like right now he's teaching the third season of his Parhesia course and he's got his meme show on Monday night. Back then he was doing readings. He was just getting warmed up. He was getting used to like press and record and doing something. And he did some remarkable work back then. There was a, the, the, the speech from Gaddafi. So he would read things that were really taboo. He read uh, Sirhan Sirhan, uh, the, you know, and when you listen to these people who were so demonized and evil in our society, some of the stuff they said kind of made sense. Not the violent acts of Sirhan Sirhan, although he didn't kill Bobby Kennedy. That's not even a thing. I'm, I don't know who believes that, but that's the official story still that he, he's still in jail for it. Um, so anyway, Benny had done a lot of remarkable work back then. That's just a little slice of that. And uh, what's the what's the site for his Parhesia course? control room. Do you guys know where that is? Benny Wills is teaching a course. It's not just public speaking. It's how to interpersonal communication at a higher level. 
that type of thing. Uh, fits in very well with the offering from Stefan Verstappen. And yes, we also produced Benny's Parhesia course. So there's a lot of freedom related people leaking out their wisdom in ways that are easily affordable and adaptable to get into your lifestyle and their essential skills right now. What do we got? Looks like somebody's uh, Parhesia. The world needs your voice. So here's Ben. Here's the plug for his website, productions.bennywills.com. LD will put it in the chats for those that are interested, but uh, feeling mislabeled, misrepresented, misunderstood, fed up with feeling unfulfilled, time for a new trajectory, get parhesia. So you can uh, click there and find more information. And, and this uh, is also perfect for people who thought, you know, uh, you know, autonomy might be right for them, but it might not be right for their pocketbook right now. Benny's course is really affordable. And there's a similar community aspect where you're going to synergize. It's kind of a good pre-step, precursor, prerequisite for autonomy anyway. You'd come in like trailblazing if you came through Benny's course first. So uh, bennywills.com is his main site. And then productions.bennywills.com looks like the landing page for his course. All right, there we go. And that wasn't even planned to help out Benny tonight. It just seemed like the thing to do because he did that remarkable. So let's talk about it. For polio, they changed the definition. For, for polio, they made a vaccine. For polio, they went after this invisible thing that was going on. There's a lot of synergy between that December 2019 Benny Wills production and the story that was percolating in China at December 2019 at the same time. And you got some of the, you know, uh, going back to the Jamie Deluxe video, who did you see in the paperwork? They didn't say it out loud. Pfizer, Merck, a lot of the same companies doing the thing today. They were doing it to the, the foster children back then with Fauci. They've been partners in crime for decades. That's what people need to understand. So I'm not just like a little upset over the, I don't, the puppies that, that goes on, but people should know about it and weigh that in their decision-making when Tony Fauci is giving you contradictory information every day might also do you well to know. He also helped to uh, deal with some foster children that was, uh, you know, the preservation of the favored races and they weren't part of the favored races it appears. And the eugenics project was, aimed at them, much like the people in the Tuskegee experiment, which later was taken over. I think uh, CDC continues to do monitoring and payouts to those type of people that were, uh, you know, uh, adversely afflicted through that Nuremberg violating type of activity. So with all that being said, uh, Tony, did you have any comments on the Jamie Deluxe or the, uh, the, uh, the, the polio piece? Not much. It's sort of, uh, unfortunately, having worked with you for many years and studied many different um, investigative journalists and alternative angles, it's nothing I'm unfamiliar with. I think it's more disturbing that despite all the information that's been out there for so long, it's just coming to a head now. It's just sort of gleaning in public consciousness right now, which is, that's a struggle for me. It's like now we're finding out what Fauci did 10, 20, 30 years ago, really um, in regards to AIDS so people are getting upset about dogs and I'm a dog lover. I've grown up with animals my whole life, but at the same time, you know, here he's their Tuskegee part two with foster children using yeah. very, so was having a hard time. I was like, watching that's that. pretty, yeah. I mean, both of them are equal. I mean, they're, you're, you're torturing human Tony, beings it's for AIDS research, man. And you heard oh, the man. rhetoric that they use. Ostensibly that, right? what's it, what's interesting about this though, is like the age research is what for some drugs, but really they want a vaccine, but they can't get the vaccine. So then they have to come in with drugs like remdesivir or AZT or other types of drugs that have been designed to slow the progress and the progression of AIDS or excuse me, HIV, which causes AIDS. But, uh, ostensibly what's interesting about all of these technologies is it seems like the only therapeutic they ever really are going for is a vaccine. 
it's not even really a, a, a drug or a therapeutic that's more in a drug form. Um, it's always the vaccine. I think it has thing. There are many reasons for that, but one of the big things I think is just production and also, um, the cost benefit ratio of vaccine technology and how much longer you have until it becomes, I don't even know if they, the pat, how the patent structure works with vaccines. Um, uh, does, do they become generic at some point or is it too hyper-specialized and controlled and regulated by various nation states? Like, I just know you can make a lot more money off of that vaccine research and development than you can with drugs, mainly because the drugs have a seven year, five or seven year patent on them. And then all of a sudden they're gone and then they're, uh, anyone can create generics from it. And that's not the same sort of business plan of vaccine. Of course, that's not even adding in the globalist agenda of tying everyone's biometric data to a vaccine passport, including vaccination status. So there's a larger goal as to why they, I think they want a worldwide um, forced mandated vaccination. This goes back to what Bertrand Russell talked about in the 1950s, right around when the polio vaccination took off for children in the mid 1950s. So I think the impact of science and society is written in like the forties or fifties. So right around that time, they're going to create their perfect scientific society by through, uh, injunctions and injections, uh, and education died injunctions and injections, I think is what he said and education, of course. So I just, you can see when you analyze history of the past century, you can sort of see the steady climb to exactly where we're at now, where it's as conspicuous as we've ever had it in all of human history, as far as what's happening in regards to the complete eradication of individual rights and total top, top down technocratic, technocratic control grid that they're trying to bring in. Um, that goes along with the idea of living in a scientific society by those philosophers of science going back to the early 20th century. And they really wanted to weaponize medicine uh, scientifically based medicine. And that's exactly what's being used now most perniciously to they want to weaponize medicine. Mm -hmm. They've been pioneering, uh, but they've been HIV, doing it. HIV vaccine, but they can't do it. Can't and do, then can't do a while, vaccine. while you're talking about this stuff, I was like, I want to go back and read for a second. Let's go read that withdrawn paper real quick. The uncanny similarity of unique inserts in the 2019 NCOVE spike protein to HIV one. Because like I remember this coming out. Thing. Now, I know it says withdrawn. I'm just saying maybe it wasn't withdrawn because it was factually inaccurate. Because this was January 31st, 2020. Well, it's only it been corroborated out. many times after. This is, so, yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this is January 31st, 2020. These guys in India, they got a sample. They ran it through their CRISPR software. And they started seeing all sorts of unique inserts that uh, were structural key structural proteins of HIV unlikely to be fortuitous in nature, right? There's, there's no, uh, animal host, right? And that's the pathway you need that HIV one, HIV one graph and the ACE2. Onto. And the ACE2. And the ACE2, the ACE2 you, yeah. You got to put it all together. You got to have RBD, puzzle pieces so yeah. to make this COVID. It's, it's murder on the Orient Express. All the viruses are involved. Um, so they're talking about making these sp spike glycoproteins, but there's a couple quotes, right? As none of these inf four inserts that they're looking at, which has the HIV clade, are present in any other coronavirus. So if they're going to argue for an animal host, I want to see that animal. I want to see the test. And I want to see that these four inserts are present in something that came from plausibly nature. And then we can talk, but until then it doesn't seem plausible. If you get into the discussion, 
this is uh it doesn't have a page number but uh insertions share similarity to hiv unexpectedly all the insertions got aligned with human immunodeficiency virus hiv1 huh it's just nature doing that right uh, over here with the bats it didn't come from africa right isn't that where we're told hiv comes from let me just zoom in here for you a little bit more Further analysis revealed that aligned sequences of HIV-1 with 2019 n were derived from surface glycoprotein. Well, if you look into the discussion about this glycoprotein, the current outbreak of 2019 n uh, warrants a thorough investigation and understanding of its ability to infect human beings. Keep in mind that there has been a clear change in the preference of host from previous coronaviruses to this virus. Oh, really? It changed. Uh, that's interesting, right? We studied the change in spike protein between 2019 and COVID and other viruses. We found our new, we found four new insertions in the S protein when compared to its nearest relative, SARS-CoV, right? So then you go down. These proteins are critical for the viruses to identify and latch onto their host cells. That sounds like gain of function to me. According to reports from China, there has been a gain of host specificity in case of 2019 and as the virus was originally known to infect animals and not humans, but after the mutations, it has gained tropism to humans, humans as well. Well, that's the same problem that Fauci was working on in these papers going back to 2013. Right? How do we get it? That's get why they had to humanize mice. You want right. to talk about some experiments? What do you think it's like with them humanizing animals and using them in these experiments? In other words, what... creating cell lines inside the animal that are human so they can actually see pathways for mechanisms of action as far as viruses or drugs or vaccines or anything of that nature. So anyway, we're going to continue to check in on this document that's withdrawn because I think history is going to tell. And they, it's they actually a well, well-written. Um, it uh, is. These guys did it. Yeah, they did a bang up job. They, they actually took their time and seemingly did it correctly. Um, hey, you know where I got this? Cold Spring Harbor Labs, <laughs> right? The people that bring you eugenics are the ones that had this paper withdrawn. Mm -hmm. I only wish because when I'm pretty sure when I read it, it wasn't withdrawn. It was out no, there and it got it withdrawn was, later, and that's when I was printed. Was that for January? The show. Yeah. January 31st, 2020 on BioRxiv, Cold Spring Harbor Labs. That's a legit piece of evidence in this uh, worldwide pandemic grand theft world scenario they are building out right there. Boom. All right, so now we can get back to the outline. I feel we've, we've done justice to Liam Schiff's work, to the Fauci and his experiments on multi-species. He's, he's not a speciesist. <laughs> He'll experiment on his own species. Thank you very much. Let's get into the vaccines, lockdowns, and therapeutic section. Is is this uh, another LG? Yeah, it's a different good song. It's a new song. Let's good. Get we got a new LGB. developed. It's a little bit more. Yeah, they yeah. should add a couple more letters to LGB. No, I think they already did. Let's go, Brandon. All right, let's check it out. I think they keep getting better and better. It's loading, uh, so. They keep banning more and more of them. I saw like iTunes had like three of the top 10 were various let's go. Yeah, the top songs. three were. But it's not catching on or anything. It's not <laughs> catching on anything. But we'll have shirts. Let's too. wait until uh, the elections come around from both the midterms. I bought other the... people's let's go Brandon shirts before we were going to make our own. Like, so we're making our own, but I bought other people's products first because now we're going to make our own. We have to get, <laughs> yeah, got to get creative to make, make one. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> All right.
Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. Pick the wrong race, bud. But don't worry. We're giving everybody the smoke today. Hey, let's go, let's go. Assisted, living a call, get your man back. He don't know what's real at all. Oh, what about Amtrak? They don't care about this virus, really flats are jam packed. Everybody gotta go and get a vaccine. When I'm asking, you better have a stamp. Prices rising by the minute. Tell me you won't buy it in it. Mass required, I don't go get it. I am not complying with it. Got that drive, don't try to rent it. When I exercise and try to limit my DVR, everybody wanna lie. My reply, let's go, DMR. Let's go, let's go. Finish school first. You like them 11, call 12, and I hope that 13 hunts you. And my smoke, you do not want it. All my lines are dope like Hunter. Rocky, I'm Apollo Creed's only legacy of the rap scene. It's the Marine artillery, shot more arms than a vaccine. Ain't doing nothing for the human races. You just ruin things, and you the biggest racist. You the biggest liar, but you ain't on fire like you will for all the Talladega. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. On the stage, you the set. Treat you more like Alec Baldwin since been a prop is now a threat. Oh, most popular president in U.S. history. How they calculated that still remains a mystery. The economy isn't great. Containers stuck at bay. And you have no current plan for the current on this way. Talking build back better, more like build back broke. Gas prices so high to make a dope fiend choke. As a veteran, I try to respect the commander in chief. But if I'm honest, let's go. Brandon brings amazing relief. Uh. Let's go, let's go, Brandon, ayy. Let's go, 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 let's go, let's go, Brandon, ayy. You might also hear some of these Let's Go Brandon songs played on the uh, the Grand Theft World After Show. It's called Liberty Radio, and uh, there'll be another episode coming out this week. And LD, where's the where's the first episode at? Is that only for members? How do how do people hear that? Uh, they've got that up over on Odyssey. Let me find the link. I'll drop it in the chats. Hey, while you got uh, but, that on screen, look at that. How to defend your rights with Michael Badnarik. What, what page are you on? Oh is yeah, this the is Marketplace. Autonomy Agora. Yeah. Marketplace.autonomyagora.com. Um, yeah, you can check out Michael Badnerick, uh, the Critical Thinking Trifecta course. Is Stefan's course on there? 
Yes, it is Darth Vader. I think the yes. Trivium's on there too. Joshua sent us something about that. Yeah, I told him to put it on there. Yeah. I was like, put Tony's course on there on logic and critical thinking because people need that alongside those other courses. So the uh, the courses on the autonomy agora are courses that we produce that are all related to key essential skills that we need for the fight for liberty right now. So we don't have to fight so much and we just build parallel. We're over here living free and other people can do their thing over here with all the noise. We'll be over here with a lot of signal and a lot of resources. So those are kind of like starting points for people to not be subject to all the craziness and chaos and start taking actions to build uh, a methodology so they can survive and thrive into the future. When you found that Odyssey channel, LD? Yeah, I'm pulling it up. And they're also, they live stream on float. So uh, I'll, let me pull it up. Do you know when, when they live stream? I believe it's Monday night. And they're members of the GTW community uh, and autonomy, I believe, as well. And yeah, I think, um, yeah. It, it's true. Yep, it's Phoenix and James. <laughs> they're autonomy students. Yeah, I was going to say, and graduates, but I think they're still both students. We'll students, see. yeah. They'll correct but, me, I'm sure. um, Fantastic job. Incredible insights. Very intelligent. They've just, they've been participating on the GTW town hall since I first started and they, for right now, I mean, it might sort of, it will mold into their own sort of thing over time. But right now I think they're just covering some of the material that we oftentimes don't get to from these crowded and jam packed. And they're playing some upbeat freedom yeah, type and of music. music. Yeah. Yeah. So and what you won't hear over there is rage against the machine. Here, so now you I have it up, uh, manufacturing reality media on Odyssey. That's James's page at manufacturing reality, and I'll drop the link for that in the chat. Chat. There you go, James. Now you get some Odyssey followers out of that. That's good. All right, so uh, that's more upbeat stuff that's going to go on uh, during the weeks. And yeah, we can't cover everything in here in the show, and some of the stuff is worth covering. It's just it takes us too long. So uh, twelve hours after we're done, they pick up the next shift. And uh, they start and 12 preparing. hours after that. We do town hall. So lots of good. Yeah. So you can go from this to the, the Liberty radio show. And then if you're a member, get in the town hall and then, you know, you're actually getting closer to actually doing something, but still listening's one part. You got to take action at some point. And if you want to take action, I think you should start with, well, I'm not saying should one might effectively start with self-education and one of those areas that we just mentioned in the autonomy agora. That's the purpose of it. Take away people's excuses and challenges and let's see what happens when you get to move forward with some freedom. All right. So this next clip we got, uh, Oh, uh, let's go. Branda has hit the world series. <laughs> this just got added to the show card. Is this a hot one? What do we got? It fits in with the theme. <clears throat> yeah, that'll be. I think there's some videos in there. Yeah, pull, yeah. pulling it up. Um, yeah, let's see. World I'll bring series. it up just for right now. First off, I'm going to show where I'm at in the world. Who's in the World Series? Oh. The, I think uh, the Braves. And <laughs> yeah, the Braves the and okay. the Houston no, Astros. Astros again. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I heard someone refer to it like as Confederacy type thing, like both country, or both cities were from the South. I guess that's what somebody was saying. But I didn't know which teams it was. All right, so now we've we've sol solved that. Well, now, what kind of chance do they have yeah, going go for it. our dear leader? <laughs> People who live outside of America, you're going to appreciate this. Yeah. And we, we have to live here while this is going on. This is not what we would choose, but I wouldn't really choose someone else to make decisions for me and my family anyway. So here's, uh, here's one during far between. the national anthem, looks like. 
<laughs> There's one below too, a bunch of people like inside the, the one stadium. person spoiling yeah. it for the rest. I'm sure everyone else there loves Joe Biden. <laughs> They're all uh, drunk. This looks like let's the, go, uh, friend. Post game. This is a post game. Yeah, play that real quick. Oh, it's really quiet. The one above is actually, you can play that one. That one's pretty good. You see a bunch of drunk people screaming inside. So that news reporter did the equivalent of the person who starts dancing or the person who gets up and starts the wave, right? That's essentially what we're seeing. And slowly over weeks, you see the wave spreading out <laughs> and more and more people getting creative with it and funny with it. And people uh, like they, they, what was the other thing? Oh, they used to do a couple years ago. This was a thing. Epstein didn't kill himself. They would just work that into the conversation on the online interview or they're on still TV. Goes on, no. Yeah, they still, right. You know, this will be a on. meme like that. It'll go on. Don McAfee didn't Epstein himself. Yeah. <laughs> Fauci didn't Epstein himself. Bezos didn't McAfee himself. It'll continue Collins to go on, didn't. I'm sure, into the future. Whoever doesn't make their payments. That seems, <laughs> seems to be how they whack them. It's pretty entertaining, though, to see, because that meme is going to be one of the, uh, maybe one of the most important, but certainly one of the most long-lasting memes, at least in the next four years. That'll be plastered over everywhere. And then last night, the uh, the tomahawk chop with Donald Trump in attendance was the big the big stir. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, Isn't that like racist or something to say? That's hilarious. Oh, my God. Donald Trump and heap big trouble. <laughs> but there's a point. There's a point. You can go complaining about the names of these teams and these sort of things. The Native Americans, from what I've read, they didn't really have a problem with this. This is other groups making oh, no, up Native Americans. Won't it's probably it. white liberals taking it upon themselves to make it better for people of color because that's what racism in their definition, that's how it works over there. If you're going to be doing that, then you can unname the Tomahawk missile and the Apache helicopter and all the other things we got named after various people that were committed genocide the 500 against. nations that made up america that were constantly in war with one another it was going on at the time. outstripped resources but we idealize and romanticize the yeah it was going on in the america world. before america mm -hmm. existed even back in the time of thomas jefferson he understand that native americans were being eradicated mostly by the policies of the british because the french intermarried with the native but, americans and, right, and had quite successful trading but then the british came over and they're like our king has this piece of paper and he says, your stuff is ours. It was like early <laughs> communism before they paid Marx and Engels to make it up. They used to just do it straight up. Wealth <laughs> redistributes, you know, that's come communism on. actually is a philosophy. Marx and Engels did not originate that. So yeah, I know. Helpful. I know. But, and who but, paid that? Earlier, Those earlier dudes worked for some really rich white men to write all that stuff. Well, even the philosophy to their other rich white men, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Adam Smith, like they were both, like, you know, vices, and you put a country between these two things, you squeeze all the value out of it real quick. <laughs> Especially if you turn that capitalism into cartel capitalism, yeah. which they, they did in the 20th century. They're like, <laughs> how gangster capitalism. can we go? 
Yeah, these, you know, that's why, you know, Grand Theft World did not start with this podcast. It's been going on about 120 years. It didn't even start finally... with 1776. It started like, you know, since the advent of human Ever since Queen Elizabeth got high on some opium and said, I want more of that shit, world's been kind of crazy. I mean, she learned from the Dutch East India Company. It wasn't like the British were so original in their East India Company that's true. type of thing. That's true. Know? And there were other, there was like the Levant Company. Yeah. You know, son was talking to me about that the yeah. other day. There's Levant a couple company. other companies. I'll yeah. show you. Yeah, let's go to that. Let's go to the brain. She brought it up to me the other day because we were we were talking about it two weeks ago about the British East India. She's like, you always bring up British East India Company, but what about all these other companies? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. They're meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all, all the nation states back in the 17th, 18th, 19th century were chartering these corporations during the age of discovery. 1581. Age of enlightenment. Right. And and before that, it was go. called the Six, Venice Company. They had century. the Venice Company, the right? Venice so, company. right? So the Venice Company and the Turkey Company, they make the Levant Company. You got opium, heroin trafficking, nice. The real question is how, how did the British East India game hegemony over like levant like a turkish version of a chartered corporation that does they trade, cut the, which they is, cut the turks out of it by going to afghanistan and having three wars to get their three wars. supply there you go yeah, yeah. Oh. that and they also they cut the supply i mean they made sure that they were the only trader first of opium, opium wars, for the most part. second opium you know war. they kind of went in and forced china's hand and they like did two trade. opium wars and three afghan wars to get it done that's the answer to the question so that's how they do it they do war oh i see they had that's some black markets and democide uh and they and they got it together with little venetian black nobility training mm. and help to get that model up and going because venice used to be the world's port venice was the yeah, right yeah. but they didn't I was just have, watching they didn't have the big navy no. Right? As the opium trade was illegal in China, company ships could not carry opium to China. So opium produced in Bengal was sold in Calcutta no, no, on the no, no. condition that it was sent to China. This, you know, and then you get into Jardine Matheson and let me just bring it full stop forward. Jardine Matheson was one of these companies that helped the British East India company kind of do the opium work over there. Um, Ian Fleming's grandfather, Thomas Fleming and company was like the banker for these people and then jardine matheson merged with thomas fleming's investment banking company to create jardine fleming which still exists to this day and let me go back to the history blueprint here because if i just uh well there's a lot under british east india company so let me go back one and just search up here for it for jardine fleming you get a whole couple histories there it is jardine fleming coming up on screen at you right now right so Hmm. Oh, J.P. Morgan Chase. Oh, you might know them today as J.P. Morgan Chase because now they're J.P. But, you know, uh, this is where, like, so Ian Fleming's grandfather was a billionaire banker in the opium trade, which was, you know, the old China trade is how it's how it's called. So if you want to look it up, you could go into the old China trade and just start reading. You know, if you learn about one thing before the end of the year, do some reading into the old China trade and find out what's behind. I mean, that old government humiliation, they call it now. The universities. Like, how did Yale get to be built like this? Oh, East India Company built Yale. Okay, that's why they still have influence. Where oh, okay. Skull and Bones you and know. AIC come from, too. Yeah, that was the Russell and Company right here. 
Russell there and Company, go, right Russell there on screen. You didn't even know that when you said that. That's another synchronicity. I also didn't know Tim Pool was going to talk about Unit Seven Three One when he talked about, about Russell and Company. But that was there's like Jardine 10 years Matheson, ago. Denton Company. I have all these because com- I read through this years ago and I was like, whoa! And I got to map mm-hmm. all these people out. Who are the Oliphants and how much opium? Yeah, you know? and Oliphants, then you get into that's, that's an old we covered the Sassoons last week. That's another opium mm-hmm. magnate family that intermarried with British royalty and the Rothschilds. So there are many, many co- cooperating but sometimes competing groups like they they cooperate against the rest of us but they compete against each other for power so anyway uh, open trade get their oh look somewhere. it goes on in america too salem massachusetts i forgot about this the newport all the, the big houses and the families so yeah it's worth reading up on this stuff to figure out how the world really works and schooling didn't tell you this stuff and it exists and it has more merit than what they told you right there's more because you can actually see that like, story what i was just peeping into right there with you yeah. than the whole entirety of what they teach you about american history or world history right the triangle trade oh it's molasses and cotton no 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 it's opium <laughs> Like there's a, the, the British empire had several triangle trades running at the same time. We're taught about this little one American colonies was in, but when we, when we produce that cotton, it goes over to Manchester, England to be made into textiles and they take it to Calcutta and trade it for opium. Then they go over to uh, China and subjugate the place and they get all the gold and silver back that they had traded in during the middle ages when they discovered tea and the, in silks, but China wouldn't trade for European goods because no. they were sub quality. So all the gold and silver pretty much in, in Europe went over to China and they're like, how do we get it back? And the East India company's like, we can get these people addicted to opium. And they did that for like a century. And now China is like the big bad guy in the block today. It's like only after it was broken down, subjugated and brainwashed by the British empire, can it act like it does today? Yeah, China culturally during the medieval period and into the early modern period was so hyper sophisticated. It's uh, ever since they gave gunpowder to Marco Polo or whatever that situation was with Venice, it's been downhill since then. Yeah, it really has been. Um, They were the height of culture, um, literature, uh, science in many respects, but they didn't develop incredible wartime techniques, technology, strategies. Yeah, that's why Genghis Khan was able to move in the 13th century and destroy them, even though that was a very difficult campaign and pretty much would have subjugated the West if it wasn't for Genghis Khan actually dying. Um, so if you have, you know, some sort of unique advantage in the realm of war, unfortunately, uh, no matter how much you build up your civilization or culture, uh, if you don't have a way to protect it, then, well, let's see what happens. We've seen what happened. LD, let's go down to uh, you. Dumb motherfucker. Joe Rogan unmasks CNN's true agenda with Russell Brand. Let's check that one out. Because I think the other one's just going to be about flights canceled and. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the, you know yeah, yeah, just the stuff. Economy. Let's, let's check out what's going on with the word war between CNN and Joe Rogan. <laughs> By the way, Joe Rogan has such a bigger audience than CNN. I don't know why they're, they're tiptoeing around. It's, it'd get- be like. I want a meme of CNN trying to like tiptoe up and like choke out Joe Rogan and then like frame two. There is like, a meme. He, that he pulls a full Oma Plata on him. And, no, no, they didn't finish the, yeah. the second part of that meme though. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the first part of that. Yeah, let's check it out. Rusty Rockets. 
CNN are clearly rattled by the Joe Rogan treatments for coronavirus. Why do they keep this story alive? Why do they refuse to apologize for their potentially libelous framing of Joe Rogan's individual, autonomous, personal actions? Let's have a look at the relationship between media, Joe Rogan, and Big Pharma, and see if we can see any hidden narratives that we ought to explain. They do it to sell vaccines. Hello there, you four million miracles, you. As I always have to say at the beginning of videos of this nature, I have no opinion on how you handle your medical life. I don't care about medical procedures, recommended, not recommended. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. This isn't even my real jacket. You decide for yourself what you think is the right thing to do and the right thing to think. Now, let's get on with looking at this interesting story in the Washington Post. Let's accept that it's become a saga, that there's been numerous videos made about it. There's been a lot of ink spent and a lot of digital screen time spent on discussing, analysing and trying to understand this issue. Let's firstly lay the story out and then I'll give you my opinion on what could be influencing the direction of travel vis-a-vis -vis CNN's adamant stance. On September the 1st, CNN host Erin Burnett said, controversial podcast host Joe Rogan, they've already given him the adjective controversial. What does that mean? Controversial as opposed to popular, successful, well-regarded, all different things that you could say. This is the beginning of the framing. This is an important story I would say, not in particular because of the subjects, but because of what is revealed about the manner, nature and inclination of storytelling techniques. And I'm trying to avoid the word propaganda. Joe Rogan, she continues, has railed against vaccine requirements, says he has COVID and took a drug intended for livestock. She articulated similar descriptions two additional times for interviewing a doctor and noting that the drug is prescribed for people as well. The same day, CNN host Anderson Cooper said one of those drugs he mentioned, ivermectin, is something more often used to deworm horses. As many of you have said in the comments, it's like if Joe Rogan ate oatmeal, is Joe Rogan eating horse food? It's about framing. It's not, as CNN seem to be saying in their own statement, it's not about whether or not medicines can have various applications. It's about the framing of those applications. If you particularly and specifically emphasise that it's a veterinary medicine, what you're saying is it's not for humans, and that's a critical and pejorative perspective. Also that day, Don Lemon said, controversial podcast host Joe Rogan tested positive for COVID and he's taking several medications, including a drug meant for deworming livestock. So it's, the, again, the ongoing association of controversial and Joe Rogan and the ongoing association between the drug in question and livestock. That's two sort of amalgams. On the 3rd of September, CNN political commentator Bakari Seller said, I think the unfortunate part about all this is you have individuals like Joe Rogan, for example, who don't want to take an experimental vaccine, but will take horse dewormer. And on the September the 4th, anchor Jim Acosta played Rogan's disclosure video and said, in case you missed it, Joe Rogan said ivermectin. Yes, that's the deworming medicine made to kill parasites in farm animals and weirdly is being promoted by right-wing media figures and even some politicians as a COVID treatment. It seems like the longer the story ran, the more more pejorative the language becomes. There's a reason for reciting these transcripts. They turn up a consistent formulation from multiple CNN voices that surely wasn't a sober recitation of the facts. By highlighting that ivermectin is a horse dewormer and downplaying that ivermectin has important uses for people, CNN facilitates a certain assumption among its viewers. After hearing Rogan's concerns about how CNN cast the issue, Gupta said they shouldn't have said that. Given that a prominent CNN personality agreed with a strong critique of his own colleagues, we placed the matter before the network's PR department. They issued 
this statement. The statement, I think, is really fascinating because this is a news network that has a great deal of communicative bandwidth, a great deal of power and reach. And the choice they made at this point where they didn't use it as an opportunity to be honest, to defuse the situation. Remember as well, by the way, that the whole point of a society is for us to look after one another, create successful systems. If you're in a position of significant power, like a news broadcaster, then surely the response to a pandemic ought be, how do we get to resolving this situation as quickly and effectively as possible. Now, in order to have that perspective, there can be nothing else at play. There can be no financial obligations that you have as an institution, no agenda or requirement for viewers or listeners or readers, no affiliation with other groups, organisations, no funding discrepancies. So think about what's required in order to achieve what surely we are aiming for, a fair, decent society where all of us can actualize, become who we really are. And when there are big social problems, we have the power to address them socially. When there are individual problems, we have the collective intelligence to analyze it critically. What we're creating here is a kind of um, ubiquitous hysteria, a totalitarian idiocy. That's what's created when institutions with power behave irresponsibly, or if not irresponsibly, in accordance with principles that are not transparent or easily viewed and critiqued. Here's the statement from CNN. The heart of this debate has been purposely confused and ultimately lost. It's never been about livestock versus human dosage of ivermectin, right? That already doesn't sound that honest, does it? Because of the amount of times that they talked about livestock. They didn't at any point go, even though this drug is used for animals, it's also used for humans, so it's not important whether it's livestock versus... That was what they were really amplifying. So it's disingenuous. They're opening straight off the bat, lying. The issue is that a powerful voice in media, right now we're getting somewhere, powerful voice in media, CNN do not like, Joe, no one in media likes Joe Rogan having the amount of power that he has, that he doesn't have to be beholden to the, uh, the kind of same commercial interests, that he can't be controlled, curtailed, limited, diluted in the traditional manner. Why do you think that for 50, 60 years, as long as there's been the kind of media that we've had, it's been controlled in particular ways, regulation from government, funding from private interests. These are the two pincers that close down, that squeeze information into manageable little tubes of data that serve the interest of the powerful. We always maintain that little equation in mind. How does this serve the powerful? How does this serve the powerful? If someone says something that potentially is dangerous or disruptive to the intentions of the powerful, that person will be censored. If they can't be censored, they'll be uh, criticized, slammed, slurred, smeared. Joe Rogan, powerful voice in the media, who by example and through his platform sowed doubt in the proven and approved science of vaccines while promoting the use of an unproven treatment for COVID-19. I don't know that Joe Rogan was promoting that use. He was talking about what he himself did. There are other questions that could be asked about some of the other information conveyed in that sentence, and you could look that up for yourself. A drug developed to ward off parasites in farm animals. Imagine being married to to CNN. It was so boring. No, look, look, although it was essentially developed as a parasite thing, it is also used for human. Oh, okay, animal drug user. No, listen, I know that, but also it has been given in billions of doses have been given to humans. Yeah. Bah, bah. No, no. Oh, CNN. It must be frustrating, and I wonder who they are married to. Stay to the end of the video to see what kind of marital bonds they have. The only thing CNN did wrong here was bruise the ego of a popular podcaster. Now,
I bow to no one in my defence of the egos of popular podcasters, but I would say here that's like a that's a corporate jive, isn't it? Hey, we're gonna we're gonna burn you bad, baby. We're gonna burn you with the ego with our statement. Continuing with the article, the issue actually begins and ends with the integrity of CNN's content. I believe that's right. Remember, this is in uh, the Washington Post, man. If we take Rogan's prescription claim at face value and CNN hasn't challenged it, the network's coverage was slanted in some cases and straight up incorrect in others. In this instance, you don't have to endorse Rogan to abhor CNN's coverage of this topic. Well, it's good to hear that kind of coverage in a uh, what you call a mainstream media resource. And we often look at mainstream media and try to find content within it that we feel is at least open to various potential outcomes. As you know, if you're a regular viewer of this channel, me, I'm on an ongoing journey of discovery. Oh, I thought this. No, you're wrong. You know, you read the comments, you see what people actually think. You get the benefit, the privilege of thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions, four million plus subscribers, all of the various opinions, insights, personal experiences. And as long as you're not pushing a particular agenda, and as far as I know, I'm not, then you have the advantage of changing and learning. And one of the people that I I must say was an influence on me with Joe Rogan from the times I've been on his podcast. I learned a lot. Now, let's have a look at this montage, which I'd see it, see it before on another YouTuber's video. You have a look at this montage of the relationship between just one pharmaceutical company and various broadcast outlets in your country, America. Good Morning America is brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360. Brought to you by Pfizer. Every single degree of that 360 is sponsored by Pfizer, but we still have a really clear outlook when it comes to subjects related to Pfizer. Now, a lot of you, I know, when I say stuff about capitalism, particularly things that are anti-capitalism, you go, no, this isn't, well, the free market's a great thing. Now, let me use this example to further advance my argument. If you have a media organization that is to some degree controlled, and by controlled I mean financially dependent upon a particular organization, for example, obviously Pfizer, if Pfizer spent a lot of money with CNN, do you think that CNN are gonna criticize Pfizer in the same way they would if Pfizer didn't spend a lot of money there? Do you have that kind of faith? And like, this probably doesn't apply to just CNN. There's probably numerous financial interests and numerous networks that are embedded within one another. In fact, the system itself is just various sets of these relationships interacting. That's why I figure like Joe Rogan is fascinating because due to an anomaly because of a technical advance, because of the internet, because of podcasts, because of his own personal endeavor, set of talents and various other things, you know, that you could list, he ain't gone through that channel. He's sort of whisked through the lucky sperm. He's not had to hit the prophylactic of corporate interest. He's not been stymied by the regulations and controls that usually would come along with that level of success. Now, this montage is just a visual, when I first saw this, I was awestruck by it. I couldn't believe it. This ain't new, but it's still shocking. ABC News Nightline, brought to you by Pfizer. Making a difference, brought to you by Pfizer. Yeah, you know what difference they're making. Don't criticize Pfizer. CNN Tonight, brought to you by Pfizer. Early start, brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett out front. Brought to you by Pfizer. Aaron's one of the people. That stinking, dirty, non-Pfizer horse butt medicine that's just for horses and their dirty butts wouldn't be made by Pfizer. Pfizer are making their own version. 
That is a good drug. That is a good, reliable, decent drug. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. This weather report brought to you by Pfizer. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer. The royal wedding's been Pfizer now. Why are Pfizer spending all this money? It's in order to create a positive association with Pfizer. So generally speaking, you feel positive about Pfizer. For at least as many examples as we have found for Pfizer sponsoring shows, you could find outcomes of various lawsuits around the opioid crisis in particular where Pfizer don't come off looking so good and many of those lawsuits they paid off in bundles. The way that we feel about a company, an organisation and their products is integral to financial and business outcomes. If you're not able to talk about that openly, freely criticise it and discuss it, that's censorship. You're living in a censored, authoritarian, dystopic culture. So now we can see why Joe Rogan's voice matters, why what Joe Rogan said matters, because inadvertently or otherwise, his words challenged an authoritarian telos towards the power of media, government and their relationships with corporate sponsors. If you don't think there's a connection between those things, then that's up to you. This is just the way that I see this situation playing out. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Meet the Press data download brought to you by Pfizer. This portion of CBS This Morning sponsored by Pfizer. Just when you think Pfizer aren't going to sponsor another program. On how to find the hidden sugars in the American family diet. Sponsored by Pfizer. Anyway, listen, you can decide for yourself whether you think it's wrong for media organisations to perhaps carry an agenda that would, you could say, benefit outcomes favourable, perchance, to particular pharmaceutical or other entities. And you can decide for yourself whether you think there's a connection between the stance of particular media organisations and the kind of uh, financial partnerships that they have. But once you've seen that, bloody montage, it's like the scales fall from your eyes, surely, don't they? But that's just what I think. What do you think? Do you think that Joe Rogan's words of like uh, let a fox in the hen house or some other metaphor that you prefer, do you think that Joe Rogan should be able to speak freely? Are you concerned about the relationships between big business and big media and government? Do you think there needs to be regulation? Do you think it needs to be broken down? Do you think it should be banned for pharmaceutical companies to make a profit do that they should think... operate within tight regulation so their focus is entirely on the health of ordinary people? Do you think it should be impossible for these kind of organisations to sponsor media organisations? Do you think media organisations should declare up front publicly? I mean, they are there. Every other word they are is Pfizer. Their relationships with... Uh, corporate entities. Let me know in the comments below. Let me know all of your inquiries and thoughts. It's vital that we stay in connection because I know you know more than I do, that you can teach me so much about these things. Give us a little thumbs up, why don't you? Subscribe to my channel. Maybe go over to my Awakening Side channel as well. And sign up to my mailing list. It's just one click away and I'm going to be teaching you 12 ways that you can change your life today. Altering your entire psyche using methods that I've come up with myself. No, they're probably really good techniques. If you enjoyed this video, have a look at this saucy little Susie. What a dirty little video that right, one is. Ahead, or it. perhaps have a glance at this. <clears throat> it's almost like the only thing that Pfizer doesn't want to sponsor is your informed consent. Everything else, they're pretty good at sponsoring, right? And can you really expect to find out like what Pfizer doesn't want to tell you on the news station that is sponsored by Pfizer? Or any of the other stations it's sponsored like every by Pfizer? Station, it's yeah, like right? Yeah.
And at the same time, sponsored by Pfizer, they're showing you like their, their little erection pill. Cause that's what the logo is. Right. So there's like subtext to it all. All right. So there's a couple of things I got to break open before we can move on. <clears throat> and he said, he speaks fast. So, you know, we got to break a couple of these ideas open. He mentioned the concept of free trade. And I said to myself, you know what? Free trades right here. Didn't we just talk about the old China trade? What is this concept right here? Free trade. Do you know why it's under the old China trade? Because if you read this old China trade article, you'll find free trade discussed. And free trade, as Adam Smith was writing about, is about the opium trade and subjugating China by having unfair rules. So I'm going to go it's ahead. A PR, and... It's a PR sort of like a manuscript, if you will, for justifying why the British have the right to go in and force their hegemony onto the Chinese people and government in order to trade opium that's all it is it's like uh, essentially saying like here's the here's the rationalization for us doing this very irrational thing i'm just going to uh i'm going to click it open in the browser real oh, quick yeah so, trade makes so bear with better. me we can all I'll work in our uh, browser land competitive advantages comparative whatever and now on the browser you can see my browser yeah i'm going to control f free oh subsequently freed american trade from british control nope that's not it so i'm going to keep typing in free trade oh the new middle kingdom china in the early american romance of free trade johns hopkins university press that's not a claim in the article that's a source material reference that one interested in such topics might read into and i can tell you that when i put this article in there it used to talk openly about free trade in juxtaposition to the old China trade, but it seems like it's been uh, a little washed. Also, you might check into some of these people like Caleb Cushing and the other people that were, uh, you know, there's Eastern establishment families that are very powerful that had their hands in the opium trade, which is why they were Eastern establishment, very powerful Boston Brahmin type families. And uh, they had their own, Boston Tea Party, only it wasn't in Boston, it was in China, and it wasn't tea. It was British East India Company opium. I think they might have did it at least once, the emperor did it. I thought it might have happened twice over there, but I'd have to reread some of those books. The point is, there's a lot more to this story, because don't think that the pharma companies didn't come out of the East India Company. Come on now. There's, there's a history, an ominous continuity of this history that is like uh, not seen if you just watch the daily, here's the news, here's the blurbs, here's the things. You're not going to get the longer-term meta story of people who are multi-generational actors in this and that those legacies outlive our, you know, the, the kind of short attention span goals that most people here trying to survive and thrive have. So it's about learning that, and it's like, what can we do? Then it goes back to solutions with Stefan Verstappen and go back and rewatch that. But moving forward, um, I got a couple more things. The other thing, like CNN told everybody about Joe Rogan took horse pace. Joe Rogan took horse pace. Joe Rogan took, did you ever ask, did, did CNN ever, ever question the doctor? Like Joe Rogan didn't prescribe himself horse paste. He had a doctor prescribe it to him, right? Did CNN or any of these other channels ever, instead of questioning the patient, question the, the modalities and, and uh, you know, Hippocratic oath of the guy who did it for him? Well, no. Because that's a taboo topic. You can't talk about Joe Rogan's doctor in open society. His doctor's name, and I know his doctor's name because his doctor's been on this show. His doctor was on this show December of 2020 
because he did a YouTube video that was published on Senator Ron Johnson's YouTube page on December 6, 2020. And it's uh, frontline doctors, Pierre Corey, talking about <clears throat> ivermectin, right? So this is where it starts from. It starts from Pierre Corey and that recommendation and that therapeutic regimen of a whole bunch of different things, monoclonal antibodies, uh, corticosteroids. There's a whole bunch of things that are in that prescription set, right? So the media didn't want anybody to go back and be like, who's Joe Rogan's crazy dog? Oh, it's the guy who talked to the Senate and Congress and got... The reason people don't know about this is because YouTube censored it. That's why they could go with horse paste over a year later, a year and a half later, about a year later after to go after Rogan. If they had not censored Pierre Corey, they could never horse paste Rogan. It couldn't happen because people would be like, no, it's a legit therapeutic. Thousands, millions of people have been using it at this point, right? But instead, because that's been censored for a year, and not everyone knows Pierre Corey or the frontline COVID doctors network and all their, you know, the things they've done for real patients all over the place, keeping people alive while these other places turn into death mills. Right. So I, I think that's also mm, worth Is that Joe Rogan's doctor, Pierre Corey? We will find out in a couple of clips for sure. But that's a strong suspicion on my part because I don't going to say Joe. Bartlett, but they're all very similar. And <laughs> I had guesses. I thought McCullough, yeah. Bartlett. McCullough but, too. Yeah. But when Pierre Corey was the the one offered, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. he had him on his podcast, the emergency, the only emergency Saturday podcast. Journey the only other guy done. would have been um, the the doctor from New York who's treated thousands and thousands because mm. he was one of the earlier protocols too. Yeah, uh, his last name yeah. starts with a Z. I, I do. Zelenko. Zelenko. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Find thinkers of our time who do what they do despite everyone else saying. Uh, you can't do that. They're, they're, they're making rules. You can't do that. He's like, well, the other option is put people on ventilators and kill them. So let's do or this other thing over anything. here that, yeah, right. Or send mm -hmm. people away to or the we can use an off, and they come back. Yeah. Off-label therapeutic that is mostly safe, that the doctor will be able, be able to make a determination on it if it's safe for the, that particular individual. And at worst, it won't really do anything. And at best, they'll stop viral replication. So, you know, it's, it's not like they don't take all these factors into account when they prescribe off label for, um, various ailments. Now we're going to go to the clips alluding to those pieces of news, uh, that we just talked about, but LD, can you find that, uh, what's the Jimmy door clip with, uh, there was also, there was also a e couple of door on the shore show. Yeah. So, uh, there was the one Jimmy door clip that I had marked. It was a Fauci story about, 2017 how you can't force people to do stuff probably and then there was also like a eu parliament type person that had some provocative things and i thought that was like one of his tightest clips this week i don't watch all his stuff but uh he actually had a lot of vaccine and stuff this we're week, limited yeah, but... to comedians out there that are allowed to speak about these things in open territory like youtube land and these sort of things so yeah we're getting it where we can get it russell brand joe rogan jimmy Dore. we might see from tim dylan later tonight when things get sketchier is this uh, this comedy critics of one. covid policy are not anti-vax is this the one you're looking for i'm not sure that's one i have in there i have another one isolate unvax from society that's about on chonsky that jimmy Dore also went over and then there's another oh, one where he said yeah. vax just as likely to spread covid as unvax so i have lunch from jimmy Dore because he did a lot of vaccination stuff this week where it's uh yeah i guess we gotta play two clips we'll play the the chomsky clip later because that's going to make yeah. me use some adult language i'm sure but there was another clip that was i might not have the one on mine's the in the youtube playlist the production yeah. playlist so that's easier to find it 
if you have your tabs open, LD. Well, and the good news out. is, I mean, well, real quick here, Jimmy Dore often does better coverage than Washington Post on these things. No, I mean Russell Brand. I mean he's reading Washington Post and is doing a more well-rounded. That's a good selection too. That's something good to read from there. Because yeah, right. it just shows like the, impl- the entire place isn't crazy. Every now and then they squeak out a little. Here's oh, we see well, what's going on too. Through it's just like it doesn't get talked about in the plus they're starting media. to eat each other. Yeah, and they're yeah. starting to compete because they know that people seek truth. People are looking for not woke stuff. They're not looking Look to at be Tucker Carlson on Fox News. His ratings are through the roof for what's left on cable TV compared to the rest of the news stations. And I'm not a bit, you know, I'm not defending Tucker. I'm not talking about anything. I'm just saying, like, here's someone who's certainly presenting a more alternative type of perspective, and he's getting crazy ratings from the older um, generations that are that still frequent cable TV and cable news and that sort of thing. So they are, you're right. There's too much. They're all too much, you know, holding hands, singing Kumbaya, saying everyone's trans or something like that. And they don't really differentiate too well from each other. So well, also, I think it's thing. important. I think it's I important when you lie too, is your business model. It doesn't Wasn't it that we covered that Lincoln project story earlier tonight, but I thought the Lincoln project did that on behalf of the current Virginia governor, uh, I, I don't I, remember his name. No, uh, McAuliffe, McAuliffe, McAuliffe. Any relation to Krista McAuliffe? Anyway, uh, Governor McAuliffe, the, he had this, this uh, group of actors setting up his political opponent, someone named Youngkin. And I remember driving through the most beautiful part of, of Western Virginia uh, about a month ago. And all I saw were Youngkin signs everywhere, right? And I thought, wow, that's probably going to piss off Democratic governor. Wonder what they're going to do to keep the Democratic governor in office. And what you see is they had their good friends, the Lincoln Project, who are leftists mm-hmm. who pretend that they're rightists, right? Like, you know, uh, conservatives dress up basically like KKK with torches to blame it on Youngkin. So I don't know, man. Like, I- I'm glad to and see it's... people catching on to these things, you know? Yeah, especially even with, um, what was that recent supposed protest or rally at the Capitol, not the January 6th, obviously, but where they had the FBI agents where they clearly are buzz cut and they're all together and they're all just about every domestic you know, terror story in the 20th century. But now century. to your point though, people are catching on to it. It's becoming yeah. like that. People caught that quickly. They took, you know, there was on Twitter, it's on Instagram, it's on Infowars, it's on gateway pundit. It's on all over the place. Now, obviously the mainstream isn't going to pick it up, but it's kind of hard to produce a false flag when you've done it so many times and now people have sort of picked up on the trail. I have three and we won't get to these tonight, but just to your point, Rich, I literally have three different people talking about this phenomenon that you're talking about. Tucker talked about it. I have another one here, Owen Schroer talking about a false flag confirmed in Virginia governor race and the Lincoln project admits orchestrating racist campaign stunt. This is from Fox news. And that's just a plain Fox news report. It's not Laura Ingram. It's not Tucker Carlson. It's not, you know, who else, but they uh, say, they say Roger Stone is dirty. <laughs> you know that's I mean, they, have, that's what they claim but, but they this, you know but they're the ones doing the dirt that they're casting on these like they they're the, these are the people who brought you russia gate i know a whole, yeah and, and i yeah. feel bad and for all Ru- those audiences of places that believed in that but let's play let's let's say i like, had a bunch of friends those news deranged, outlets play their audiences like they were dummies because they're like here's this thing but we don't have any evidence of it and when you well, find yeah. the evidence goes back to mi6 and you're like oh it makes a lot Steel of sense and, bill clinton's yeah. a Rhodes scholar and he's there to help the british empire take over this place make total sense when you understand the big picture like that's yeah. the cool thing is you learn enough you can get things to make sense it's just a very different picture than what they tell us 
can and make I, sense. I had something on the show, I don't think we'll get to this either, but Tucker, I think talked about how, so if you, I think it was Tucker, it might've been someone else. We're showing montages this week of CNN, MSNBC, ABC, whatever their ratings are just absolutely dismal. And what they're trying to do to bring them back up is they start talking about Trump. Trump's not the president anymore. He might not ever be the president again, but they're bringing back the old Trump narratives. They have nothing on their side. That's interesting. And the best they can do is go to the former president and, you know, you know, whatever they're going to do this next week. And he knows that when he's doing that. Yeah. That's that's why, that's why he's doing the, he's running them like they're a machine. But they don't get it. <laughs> they sure they don't. And I'm not They're even really saying he's that smarter guy, but no. he's an interesting character in this whole. He is pageant. <laughs> in it's this pageant. stage play, isn't that isn't oh, that what boy. they said in Wag the Dog? That's why I said it because Robert De Niro's like, no, no, it's a pageant. It's a pageant that they got going on. You know, I was thinking something more eloquent, like from for anyone or something younger than Tony watching this show. If you have not seen the 1990s. Was it 1996 or 1990? Yeah, 1996, because Kubrick died in 1999. 1996 movie, Wag the Dog with Robert De Niro, shows a lot about how media and intelligence and politics all works together. And in there, there the, the, the underlying theme, it's not subtext because it's in the dialogue, but it's about a troublesome director named Stanley who can't keep his mouth shut and might get whacked because of it but I'm not going to spoil it for you because that's not going to give away the movie. You should see Wag the Dog, watch it, laugh, and then realize that they've been doing that Tostitos bag trick longer than we care to think about. <laughs> Tostitos go. bag trip. It's a calico. I like that. That's nice. Let's see. <laughs> All right. Did we find the Jimmy Do Re Mi Faso Latitos clip? No, I'm not sure what you're talking about yeah uh because the last two on the list are uh keith olbermann we played last week and and then joe rogan schooling sanjay gupta those are the last from jimmy Dore on the list so really he has a lot of vaccine uh, stuff to speak like i have which three describe the video we're talking about well i could look on uh my phone would tell me so let me go over here to my other device let's check out let's do it live because this is how we get it done it's an important clip to find YouTube, if they're going to keep a history of everything I watch, this is something useful they can do for me right now. And <laughs> right, <laughs> it'd be like if you could query the NSA when database you, to get delete. back your lost passwords and stuff. Like if they just gave us a few features and benefits from the system, maybe we wouldn't be so against it. But since they don't go through that trouble, I don't think we should go through the trouble either. That's a fair point. Yeah. Uh, let's that. see. Uh, Friday night tights. No, no. Those guys are kind of funny. They do a live show like this on Fridays. Friday night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, they had Alex Jones on. That's the uh, only reason I watched it. <laughs> Alex Jones has actually been pretty good on that. And then occasionally if Rogan or T- uh, Jones is on Kill Tony, I'll watch Tony Hitchcock's yeah. comedy show when I need a laugh because there's some funny stuff that happens there. All right. Uh, apparently, where's Jimmy Dore? I should be able to search. This is probably not going to be good airtime so let's <laughs> well let's play uh if let's I go keep, to a clip keep and then making we'll it find funny. it uh, that's what someone else was an audience let's like, do a small just clip. play a clip and find I'll... it while we watch the clip oh here's this one play the joe rogan uh... one joe rogan confirms yeah. his doctor treated 200 members of congress with ivermectin which is the follow-up that, we were just talking about joe that rogan. actually fits joe rogan than the one i'm trying to find his doctor treated over 200 members of congress with ivermectin like that's kind of a crazy anyways sorry yeah, good this, that, I guess, this, I've never seen Alex Jones look more beautiful. This is—he's got <laughs> a special angelic. About him. 
Okay. Looks like he's the angel Gabriel. <laughs> Anyone gets the reference? Thing. So share this video. The establishment does not want this information known. Here's a clip off Joe's hit podcast. Laid it out with Michael Malice. This this framing of uh, like ivermectin as horse medicine was I, I'm in, in in some ways I'm really happy that they did it to me because if they could have done the it, audience. Yeah, blast back. Did you see that supercut? Yes. Uh, of, of yes. Just one after another, them laughing yeah. at you. Yeah, yeah, hilarious. It's, uh, but also, the, this is what's interesting. They kept saying that ivermectin, first of all, it's like you c- called your dealer. You had it prescribed, right? Yeah. So when they say it's not approved, it's not like you are using your own judgment. You're using the judgment of a medical professional, which is what they've been yelling for a year and a half. Listen to the experts. Well, not only that, I listed off a laundry list of medications, and that's the one they focused on. Right. I said I took monoclonal antibodies. I said I took prednisone. I said I t- took z I said I had IV infusions of NAD and of vitamins, and I also took ivermectin. I mean, it should be no surprise. I had Dr. Dr. Pierre Corey, who is one of the doctors from the frontline uh, critical COVID care group that has been treating people, including, by the way, 200 congresspeople have been treated with ivermectin for COVID. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. Holy crap. Google that. 200. I believe you could probably find it in Dr. Pierre Corey's uh, Twitter page. Yeah. Be- before there were vaccines, this was a common treatment, an off-label treatment for COVID. Now, I do not know what the motivation for demonizing this, this particular medication is. Uh, again, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a scientist. But I would imagine some of it has to do with money. The reason being is that it is a generic drug now. They've, the patent has run out. So anybody can make it. Anyone well, can make it. If I had just watched that interview i would know that stuff and could speak more certain about it i had watched michael malice with glenn beck the week before did not watch that conversation also it was good. how many people are in congress like 500 and some so like a third of congress has been taken ivermectin and so that they can keep and their it. staffers and their family but they all they all just act like you know, the news is telling you the truth see that's the problem here that's not really an elected official i i those people don't trust us with that type of information why should we trust them with governing in our in our stead you know the whole january 6th thing first off the only person got killed got killed by someone from so did you see the side. 60 minutes of that too by the way or the, when they basically gave this apology sort of like apology where they had the dude come out and say, yeah, like I felt threatened. Like she seemed like she was pointing a gun at me and all this. No, it was crazy ridiculous. The virtue signaling going on there. I want to like, know why the, the special ops team right behind her had no reaction when gunshots came through the window and t- right. took her down. If you watch, cause you don't, I know I've watched. Yeah. It's but, oh. but zooming back, it's the people's house. Why can't citizens walk through the house where they choose to have representatives for their government? Right. And why did they open the doors? And when you get down to that footage, I saw this past week of like that FBI guy getting everybody to do the everything that starts the whole thing. Like he was doing it the night before. He's very, very professional in what he was doing. Almost like he was being paid Hmm. to do that. Or that's what he does for a living. Right. And if you look into, is there any precedent between FBI kind of concocting uh, homemade (laughs) terrorists, uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's easier to find that than it is like the things they get right. Oh yeah. 
I mean, the FBI is targeting parents that are getting pissed off about their kids reading pedophilic pornographic material at scoreboards and claiming they're domestic terrorists while at the same end, of course, people were supposedly stormed the Capitol while they're being nicely filtered through it and uh, seemingly allowed to go through this. And LD, make a note. I want a couple clips ahead. I'd like to play uh, the TED Talk from a journalist called Trevor Aronson, A-A-R-O-N-S-O-N. His 12-minute TED Talk will tell you, like, maybe that's a a valid point that I was expressing in a much more credible way because he's a professional. I'm just a guy with this going on, reading books. (laughs) I'm just reading books and repeating what these people wrote down. But he, he's on a TED Talk floor, and that's much more like palatable to some people that can hear it. And sure. if you want to know more, I got his books. <laughs> I also tried to interview him, and he wasn't up for doing interviews because I was like, dude, you got this. He's like, I know. And I put my foot in a bear trap, apparently. Because I yeah, guess they don't like that. They don't like him out there on a TED Talk stage, I'm sure, talking about these things. Mm-hmm. So it's very inconvenient. For God's the official sake, story. TED Talks, TED Talks and like fucking sheldrake rupert sheldrake and like graham hancock he's not four years they're ago. not dangerous i know that's my point that's what they're not dangerous and they they're still interesting people thinkers. like that they're in, no, i'm not this is not an indictment of their work or me praising that i'm just saying they're not dangerous thinkers and they banned them so i mean the precedent's already set they'll ban just whatever they feel is not worthy necessary pertinent to the propaganda agenda of the globalists whatever all right, so I'm still looking for that Fauci clip. I found the uh, I'm, the, the Fauci door clip. I found the uh, Noam Chomsky clip with Jimmy Dore. We'll play that. Well, that I have in the show card. We can yeah, play cool. that. Well, yeah. right on. All right, so are you uh, going to show some um, news articles until you find it? Or no, no, I was just going to say the one the next uh, clip confirmed liar or the end of Fauci. Probably it's one of those two. I'm, I'm scrolling through. I got my history up here on screen. The end of so Fauci's about phone. the dog experiments. Confirmed liar was released on the same day. Fauci's Wuhan lab lies to Congress well, exposed. Yeah, let's go to the confirmed liar one because I think that's the one might also have the EU parliamentarian clip. Let's roll the dice. Now let's bring in uh, Max Blumenthal. You know Max Blumenthal because uh, he runs The Gray Zone, the investigative journalism website, The Gray Zone, and he's the author of many books, the latest Goliath. Uh, Welcome, Max Blumenthal. Thanks, Jimmy. Good to see you. So let's get to this. Let's get to the story. So this is from Vanity Fair. Look, the fucks over at Vanity Fair are now even catching on. Before they were calling us all conspiracy theorists, and now they're they're only a year behind us, which is how it normally works for the establishment press. Except when it comes to stuff like RussiaGate or Syria, that they never catch up. Okay, so here we are in major shift. NIH admits funding risky virus research in Wuhan. By the way, that picture of Fauci, it's like he's going, oh, did you say you say Wuhan? I thought you said crouton. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Uh, I was. I don't know. You said Wuhan, but my mind was thinking Wyoming. Don't you hate when that happens? I was thinking Wyoming. I was like, no, we've never done research in Wyoming. I mean, except for maybe that cyborg Cheney. We did that. <laughs> Wait, what are we talking about? You know, I just forgot that one thing that, oh, fuck, we funded it. There was so much stuff going on that weekend. I had my cousin's wedding. I couldn't think straight. Oh, sometimes receipts just get mixed up. I mean, it's kind of funny. The 
virus research was filed under Girl Scout cookie. Crazy world. Isn't it a crazy world? <laughs> Maybe at some point we could potentially, somewhere in the next few decades, potentially tell the truth to the American public. <laughs> potentially. But for now, we tell the noble lie. Uh, <laughs> uh, nice. Uh, Mask up. Don't talk to your neighbor. Don't hold the line. Don't hold the line. Here it is. On Wednesday, the NIH sent a letter to members of the House Committee that acknowledged two facts. The House Committee on Energy and Commerce that acknowledged two facts. One was that Echo Health Alliance, which is a subsidiary of the NIH, they were getting money from Fauci. One was that the Echo Health Alliance did indeed enhance bad coronaviruses to become more infectious to humans, which the NIH letter described as an unexpected result of the research it funded that was carried out in partnership with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The second fact they acknowledged was that Echo Health Alliance violated the terms of its grant conditions, stipulating that it had to report if its research increased to viral growth of a pathogen by tenfold. So I know nobody's a scientist. Uh, I'm the furthest thing from it. But sounds like shady shit that they didn't they didn't really do what they were supposed to. An NIH spokesman said Dr. Fauci was entirely truthful in his statements to Congress and that he did not have the report that detailed the controversial research at the time he testified. I think that's not true. Why do I think that? Well, because Echo Health Alliance contradicted that claim by the NIH, and they said in a statement, this data was reported as soon as we were made aware in our year four report in April 2018. So Fauci was aware of this when he was asked about it, and here he's being asked about it. That the NIH has not ever and does not now Hang on, Fun. let me start over. Here we go. That the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute Do they fund Dr. Barrick? We do not fund... Do you fund gain, Dr. Barrick's gain-of-function research? Dr. Barrett does not doing gain-of-function <laughs> research, and if it is, it's according to the guidelines, and it is being conducted in North... So... That's one of my funniest answers. We are not doing that. And if we are doing it, we're doing it according to the rules. Okay, I think you just admitted you're doing it. So that was him lying the first time. Here we go. For which there was supposed to be a federal pause. And now, Ron Paul, the next time Fauci came back to the Congress, Ron Paul, Rand Paul, then says, hey, you lied to me last time. And watch what he says. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Microphone. Your microphone. Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper <laughs> that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain 
of function. So there he is. Uh, did you see his defense? His defense is hilarious. The people that work for me up and down the chain. He makes it sound <laughs> like some. They say that you're wrong, and all these people who say it's right are wrong. Okay, that's him lying. So he lied. Rand Paul called him on lying, and he lied again. Okay, just want that to make that perfectly clear. The NIH letter coming after months of congressional demands for more information underscored that America's premier science institute has been less than forthcoming about risky research it funded and failed to properly monitor. Let me bring in Max right now. Max, uh, it's as we have been reporting on this show for over a year that uh, Dr. Fauci is a pathological liar. He's not to be trusted. He's working for special interests. And that guy should be fired because how can you trust a guy who's already admitting to lying twice, two huge lies about coronavirus? At, but, and now he's gotten caught lying about the third thing. So let me bring in Max. What do you have to say? There's a lot to say, and I don't think in the short time we have, we can even get to the bottom of this. I mean, this is one of the most significant, uh, one of the most significant lies that's been told in modern politics, because it relates to the origin of the pandemic, potentially. At the very least, it relates to some very dangerous scientific research that was being carried out that probably should be banned. And Fauci, as you noted, Jimmy, and you were talking about this early on, has lied for what he considered noble political purposes in the past. <clears throat> he lied about, well, actually, he didn't lie about masks initially. I, I think I initially got it wrong early on after the pandemic was declared. Fauci said, masks do not actually prevent the viral transmission of COVID-19, and you know, you might just get a bunch of stuff in your in your face. He told uh, colleagues in emails that were later released not to wear a mask. There was no point. But when it became clear that governments wanted to implement mask mandates, then Fauci reversed himself and said, "You not only have to wear one mask, you have to wear two masks. You know, one schmata on top of the other will somehow protect you more." So we can see him adjusting his scientific opinion according to the politics. And he did so again when he wanted to induce herd immunity in the public. And he said, we only need to get to 70% vaccination rate. Then he said he basically told a noble lie and that the reality was we need to get to 80%. And that he said that in order to not deter the public from getting vaccinated. At least that's how I understood his rationale for, for saying that. And now we have something more significant because we still don't quite know how COVID-19 was produced. Uh, there are some who allege there's an anti-China faction that alleges that it was some kind of bioweapon that was deliberately released from the Wuhan, Wuhan Institute of Virology, or that lack safety standards completely on the part of the Chinese government and Chinese researchers resulted in a lab leak. There is also a faction that wants cooperation with China within the U.S. establishment that's determined to kind of deflect and dis distract from any discussion of the U.S. role. 
And the U.S. role is what's most significant here, because Fauci and those under him and, and, and at EcoHealth Alliance were carrying out a very dangerous kind of research called gain of function, where pathogens in bats are actually increased and effectively weaponized to determine how they can infect humans. So they're basically playing God. And another way of looking at it is how Sam Husseini explained it. Sam Husseini has done work on bioweapons since the very mysterious uh, anthrax attacks that took place right around, right after 9-11 and kind of created the political momentum and the helped drive the narrative for an invasion of Iraq. And Sam has written a lot on COVID-19's origins. And what he pointed out is regardless of whether it came from the Wuhan Institutes of Virology or not, gain of function is kind of like military interventionism, where you're trying to get out ahead of a virus by creating something that's potentially more dangerous than the virus itself. The same way that military interventionists will bomb the crap out of Libya or Syria in order to save the children, and they wind up doing more damage. Have we ever seen gain of function actually resolve one of these viruses? I don't know. I don't think so. I stand, I'll stand corrected if you know anyone um, can point me to an example. And it raises certain questions about whether this kind of research was actually an end around to do bioweapons experimentation. What we can say, there. regardless of the origin. We have Fauci on video that we played last week where he's talking about such things. So it's not like maybe he came up with the, no, he said he came up with the idea. Wouldn't it be great if we just circumvent the process and the, the New York times reporter was egging him on and said, yeah, why can't we just do that? So <clears throat> we don't need to play that clip again, but the point is uh, Fauci's not telling people the truth. That's not his job to tell people the truth. You shouldn't believe him. And it's not really just about Fauci. It's about all the other people above him that use him as their front man as their pitch man, as their sales guy, he's selling you on a story. You don't have to buy it. They're going to try to mandate it again. Mandates are one thing like there's, there's making the law and then there's enforcing the law. And there's a lot of people right now. I saw how many people marched in New York and that was just like EMTs and firefighters and people from hospitals and, and policemen and stuff. There's a lot of other people out there with various jobs and occupations who also uh, you know, are a little bit more sensitive to this topic. And it's not, uh, you know, some country bumpkin from the hills of Alabama or, or someplace like that. There's a lot of educated people. There's a lot of people of color. Sometimes those groups overlap as well, right? So there's a lot of people who are skeptical for good reasons, and they're not being represented in what is called the mainstream, mainstream media. Mainstream media would have you believe these people don't exist, or if they do, they talk with a drawl and they only got a couple teeth and they're married to their sister. That's what they're all trying to do. In fact, I think that was part of who was it? It was either Rogan or Jimmy Dore. It says every time they these people want to make fun of they, that's what they do. They go to the southern accent, and you haven't seen or the emasculated know, male sort of soy boy like sure. commercials and the sitcoms that show like yeah yeah a complete destruction of the family dynamic with a very, very weak male, a very sort of like, um, um, female that's like very empowered and the, the feminist version, which is just turning them in the mail. It's just, everything's backwards. So, so there's, a, you know, there's uh, hospitals being overrun with COVID non COVID patients. Cause there's a super cold. 
There's hospitals being flooded with patients suffering acute organ failure that has nothing to do with vaccines or anything like that. Uh, there was this big, uh, Dr. Richard Fleming did this. I was big, just going to say, I haven't seen yeah. this Fleming clip and I know no, there's this, two uh, of them. There's one that's, yeah. So let me give you the quick rundown here. There's two of them. One's 33 minutes. That's just his base presentation. The other one's um, him talking with Owen. That's about nine minutes long. That kind of goes over the gist of it. So whatever, whichever one you find might work best for time. I feel like if we play the nine minute one and we don't preserve the actual presentation, then we're getting fluff and not substance. No, that's I fine. feel like yeah. if we don't play the whole presentation, then we're not preserving it. We're giving people a fragment and that's not necessarily good too either. Cause I haven't seen the presentation. You've seen the presentation in its entirety. Uh, no, I've watched like 10 or 15 minutes of it, but it was earlier this week. So I don't remember. I remember it being very good and I immediately put it on the show card. Then I found later in the week that Owen interviewed, uh, Richard coming about it. So just to go over the details. So right, Cause I also want to get good. to the, uh, the intermission with Jason Burmis's mm -hmm. interview with Whitney Webb. Cause that was awesome. I did watch that on Rockfin, mm -hmm. and it's not Rockfin because of anything other than the content they're talking about. So I think we're good to play a clip from that or play it in its entirety and point people. To yeah. The, the intermission is too, too long either. So we could just do a couple, one or two more from the vaccine section. Anything you find interesting that we could just jump to the intermission. Yeah. Let's go with Fleming's presentation and um, maybe the Noam Chomsky thing with Dora or something. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to definitely cover that. We'll do those too before we we'll close the show, but let's go to uh, the Fleming presentation because it's important because basically, uh, and have you seen anything credible that like pokes holes in the theory that we're about to present? I have not. Or, or do we need to present it for more people to be able to, you know, need to present it for more people to critically it? All right, good, good. Yeah. Right, I, haven't, so gonna... I haven't fleshed it out enough this week because like I saw it, I watched 10 to 15 minutes. I was relatively impressed as I usually am with Dr. Richard. Well, and I've, yeah, I've watched him before. So yeah, I know he's a little dubious, but at the same time, he does. My ears are open because I yeah. heard what Fauci's peddling and listening to Fauci as much as he talks, isn't going to help us get out of this situation. So maybe by listening to Pierre Corey or Dr. McCullough or, you know, any of these other, there's, you know, a handful of doctors who are risking their careers to do the right thing and come out and say, look, there are effective treatments. And, and now they're going after the Zelenko treatment is treated tens of thousands of people. They're not going after Zelenko because he's keeping yeah. people alive. They just don't want to talk. They don't, well, they, they kind of are now. They kind of are. They? They're going after Zelenko. They're going after Peter McCullough. Now they're trying to get him. Uh, These people have been healing very powerful people, keeping them alive. So, you know, they've made allies in the past 18 months. These aren't the doctors they were 18 months ago with like no friend network to tap in and call. Right. Yeah. You go pressure on some of these doctors, they're going to tap in on Joe Rogan and be like, I got this dude in my corner now. What's up? You know, <laughs> this dude over here, I saved his dad with a hundred million viewers. Right? Cause I think it was, was it uh, not Fleming, but McCullough, I thought had saved Alex Jones's dad's was that's who, uh, he, that's Bartlett. who he was credit Bartlett Bartlett. Yeah. Cause yeah, yeah. He's also, they're all kind uh, of on the same team. They all recognize like Bartlett would say he prefers the corticosteroids more. Um, and they all have a little rough course. edge. These oh, are not yeah. like highly polished, you know, these they're are human. Right, exactly. They're human beings being put rapidly in the spotlight, triggering complexity because they're trying to help people out and they're chagrined at, what do you mean you're trying to keep people sick and not let people know these therapeutics that are very effective? Only disease like, I've ever heard about in history where you tell people to go home and develop the worst symptoms, then come back. But I guarantee now I could sit down with a Chris Martinson or Pierre Corey and be like, oh, did you bump into some globalist structure that is not wasn't on your radar before what's up how you doing 
Oh, you've seen, you know, since hey, you've Oscar seen Calloway, Adele, 1918. Dixie. Yeah, like, yeah. Dell wasn't very privy to that, but lately a lot of his rhetoric is... Sometimes much... all it takes is contact with a whistleblower and you can get your mind blown. All right. <laughs> all right, let's go to this uh, clip with Dr. Richard Fleming. This is brought to us by the crew at InfoWars. It's not Clearinghouse. They actually made this. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Um... I wanted to Hello, go over some very important information on the SARS-CoV-2 drug vaccines by taking a microscopic examination of really what the Pfizer vaccine does when it comes into contact with red blood cells or a person's blood and the concerns that I've had with these. Uh, the investigation that you're going to see was a combined project between Dr. Kevin McCarran, PhD, neurobiologist in Japan, uh, originally from the UK, and myself. And we did this uh, in the uh, last several days, actually. Um, one of the slides that I like to share with people is that uh, the difference between a PhD MD JD is that PhDs actually figure out problems while MDs treat them and JDs typically cause them. And this presentation, we believe, will have all three effects. For the last 22 months, there has been a huge amount of misinformation, so much that you know, it's it, it's phenomenal how much misinformation versus real information has gotten out there, including people who've said that the virus isn't real and hasn't been isolated to people confusing virus SARS-CoV-2 with the disease COVID-19 to misinformation about PCR testing and misinformation about masking to confusion between the use of terms like cytokine storm versus inflammatory response, which is what's really going on, to people being told to take certain drugs that there's absolutely no proof that they work, while other people are uh, being told that other medications that do work can't be provided. All the way from there to doctors not treating symptomatic patients until it's too late, to physicians using the ventilators incorrectly, to doctors being threatened if they actually uh, try to treat patients with uh, loss of their license or legal actions, to the promotion of vaccines that the emergency use authorization documents actually show do not statistically lower the instance of COVID or deaths, to a failure to provide informed consent for people receiving the vaccines, to Individuals overstepping their constitutional legal authority, including mandates to blaming the unvaccinated for the promulgation of vaccines to actually people claiming there are things in the vaccines that simply aren't there. And so it's this latter one that we really want to look at today because there is so much misinformation about what's in the vaccines, all the way from the pictures at the upper left-hand corner that talk about graphene oxide and and uh, to the right of that little creatures. Uh, the video here that we won't play at this point in time is uh, from a, uh, Dr. Zil Zelowski, Z-A-L-E-W-S-K-I, who was giving a presentation explaining that he had found the eggs of these creatures and their three-legged creatures. A lot of misinformation is simply and has not done nothing to uh, add to the scientific discussion and the important discussion about what's in these vaccines. I've been concerned about 
the vaccines themselves. And so you can see here uh, that I sent Dr. Uh, Borla on the 30th of January, the first request for Pfizer information on the emergency use authorization documents. I submitted three of these to Pfizer and have received no response given the concerns. And you can see that we were talking about antibody dependent enhancement and potential for the gene therapy interactions and knowledge that the lipid nanoparticles actually cross the blood brain barrier and all of the concerns that we had. This document has not been responded to by Pfizer. You'll see that the same thing occurred for the Moderna vaccine that also on the 30th of January I submitted requests and we followed this up uh, for a total of three with no response from uh, Pfizer or Moderna. The problem for all of us is that we've been depending upon the FDA. The Food and Drug Administration has reviewed these vaccines and issued emergency use authorization documents. And while there's a lot of material here under this mission statement, the key point is that the FDA is responsible for protecting the public health and ensuring the safety of these medical products. If you also look, unfortunately, at what happens with many people in the FDA, you can see that Scott Gottlieb and Stephen Hand have uh, actually now acquired jobs at Pfizer and Moderna, and they were former FDA heads. <clears throat> you can also tell that mainstream media with uh, Mr. Smith from Reuters now has a job at Pfizer, and it's anybody's guess right now where uh, Dr. Fauci is planning to be uh, employed in the future, although given the recent information that shows that he did commit perjury when he was being deposed by Senator Dr. Rand Paul regarding gain-of-function research at NIH and NIAID, he might be looking for a new job in the near future, and he might have one in China. The failure for any of these uh, vaccine companies to respond resulted in me submitting a letter to uh, Janet Woodcock, who is the uh, head of the uh, uh, FDA, acting commissioner. Uh, this document actually shows that uh, myself and several colleagues, as you can see here on the uh, bottom right, submitted a letter requesting from Dr. Woodstock information uh, and a cessation of the vaccines until some of our concerns could be uh, taken care of. You'll see on the very bottom left uh, a way for you to reach Dr. Woodcock at the FDA. There's her uh, email address, her telephone number and her address should uh, the listener want to take and uh, submit their questions to Dr. Woodcock, and I would encourage you to do so. Last week, uh, I received a response uh, from the FDA from Paul Richards, and as you can see here, that document shows that the FDA believes that the vaccines are completely safe, that they've looked at them, and if you go to the middle one uh, at the very bottom, you can see that uh, uh, Paul Richards uh, includes, in closing, these vaccines have met the FDA's robust standards for safety, efficacy, and manufacturing quality. Now, that's a fairly bold statement uh, from the FDA, and it would suggest to me that they've done a thorough job of evaluating these vaccines and what's in them, and that would include uh, anything under the microscope. And so we decided to investigate what's actually in these drug vaccines. <clears throat> But we did more than people have done in the past with simply putting drops of the vaccine under a microscope. My real question, as and Dr. McCarran's question, was what does this drug vaccine actually do when it hits the blood? And we know that these vaccines travel around the body, which means they're clearly in the blood. Uh, this has been known since 2017. Moderna lipid nanoparticle research showed that the vaccine spread all over the body. Um, 
So we conducted some research, uh, which included a uh, light microscopy. You can see the microscope here, human blood. Uh, we actually took Dr. McCarran's uh, normal saline, the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine, and recording equipment. You're going to see bits and pieces of what we saw under the microscope, both real time and then some static pictures. This is Dr. McCarran and myself and uh, Professor Luc Montagnier. Uh, all three of us have provided uh, affidavits to the International Criminal Court for a case that's been filed jointly between the UK, France, Slovakia, and the Czech Republic. So here's what we tested. We looked at Dr. McCarran's blood under the microscope so that you can see what blood looks like just by itself with nothing else happening. Then we looked to see what happened when we added sterile. That means there's nothing in it, no growth, no garbage, normal saline to see what that did to the blood. We then follow that up by checking to see what happens to the blood when we injected some of the Pfizer BioNTech drug vaccine. We then look to see what the vaccine looked like just by itself under the microscope. And then we look to see what normal saline looked like by itself under the microscope to do a comparison of all of this so that we could then report honestly and transparently to you what we saw and show you what's really happening with these vaccines. And we repeated this several times over many days. The red blood cells get their color red because of a combination of what's called hemoglobin and oxygen. If the red blood cells lose oxygen, as you can see in the upper two syringes, so that cardiologists like myself, when we're concerned about holes in the heart and the lungs, will draw samples of the blood in the, in the right side of the heart, in the left side of the heart, and in the lungs to see how much oxygen there is. Now, the blood coming back to the right side of the heart is coming from the body where the oxygen has been partially used, and that blood is darker in color because there's less red vibrant blood from the oxygen. After it goes to the lungs and out to the body, it should have the vibrant red color as uh, shown in the bottom three syringes. But over the course of this COVID-19 inflammation and blood clotting, what happens is that the lungs have difficulty getting oxygen into the blood. And so the blood loses some of its vibrant color. And this is why people have respiratory problems and are short of breath. And eventually many of them have ended up on ventilators. But if you actually remove all of the oxygen from the blood or you destroy the hemoglobin, that oxygen carrying molecule from the red blood cells, the red blood cells lose their color. Red blood cells are themselves unusual in shape. There you have what's called a biconcave disc. So in the center part, they're thinner than on the outer part. And this is where the oxygen carrying capacity is. And so I'd like to uh, run the video here. And what you can see here is uh, the red blood cells under a microscope as, and you can see them moving slowly but surely moving and it's just a nice example of these red blood cells under a microscope. And um, so that is simply a static picture reminding you of what the red blood cells look like. You can see this uh, a central darker area and then the rim around it. And this is just a light microscope of what red blood cells look like. So red blood cells are biconcave. They have that disc and their function is to carry oxygen from the lungs to the body pick up carbon dioxide and carry it back to uh, the lungs. And the slide that you're on right now, it shows us what happens when you take red blood cells and you simply add 
normal saline to it, which is called normal saline because it's what's in your blood. So you can actually see uh, the red blood cells in the right half of the field. You can see the red blood cells moving around. That's because the saline has been added to them and that allows them to flow. But you see this vibrant red color throughout with the red blood cells. And there goes some red blood cells floating across the screen as we kind of continue to watch it. And that's because there's fluid there. So you can tell that the normal saline has been added to it. And uh, it gives you a good impression of the vibrancy of blood when it's not been damaged. That's a nice picture of what you just saw. So you can compare on the upper left half is where the blood was so thick that you couldn't see through it. And the, and the right two thirds of, of the image is just simply uh, the red blood cells being shown with their oxygen carrying capacity. So red blood cells move with the addition of saline. They're biconcave. They're carrying oxygen no different than what we saw with just simply the blood by itself with the addition of saline. You can see the, uh, as we come into focus here, you can see uh, the Pfizer vaccine causing some movement of the red blood cells. And we're scanning around here to show you other areas where the vaccine's not. You can see how thick and rich the blood is. But as we get over into the area where the Pfizer vaccine has been added, you can see the cells not only are thinning out, but they're losing some of the red color. Now, again, that red color is because of oxygen and hemoglobin. And you can see now cells beginning to float together and they are beginning to clump as you see them floating through the bloodstream. So not, or through the, the uh, Pfizer vaccine. And this shows the loss of either the oxygen or the hemoglobin being pulled out and the clumping now, this inflammation and blood clotting that's occurring with red blood cells, just simply with the addition of the vaccine. And this only took uh, a minute or two to really be seen. You can see here a much more pronounced area. This is an area that you can see the complete loss of red color after another minute. And you can see the movement of the red blood cells there, but they're not so red anymore. They have, they have lost their oxygen carrying capacity so that this blood floating through a human being after the injection of the Pfizer vaccine will have a significant reduced ability to carry the life-saving oxygen from the lungs to the body. And in the next slide, we're going to look at what uh, that appears. We're gonna play this video. This is what happens under a higher magnification. So we're looking at 40 times before, and this is 100 times. And you can now see uh, as we're moving around, this, these are red, and you can see a very nice droplet effect there from the Pfizer vaccine. You can contrast that to the red blood cells that have not been touched by the vaccine that are surrounding this entire entire area where the vaccine is. And you can see the movement of the red blood cells even inside that uh, Pfizer droplet. And just the sheer lack of red showing that the cells have lost their oxygen, either the oxygen or the hemoglobin has been damaged simply by dropping the Pfizer vaccine on the slide 
of red blood cells. So they, these are two still pictures of what it looks like under 40 uh, times magnification under the microscope. The left one was some of the first video we saw and the right one, some of the latter video we saw. And again, the contrast is very clear. Uh, the area of the red blood cells affected by the Pfizer vaccine shows a marked discoloration. There's a loss of the oxygen, which means either the oxygen itself has been pulled out or the hemoglobin that carries the oxygen has been damaged, which means the oxygen is no longer in the cell. And this is the consequence of Pfizer vaccine being added to human blood. Um, this is not compatible with a, a good outcome, as we've seen over and over and over again with deaths and injuries in the VAERS reporting system. Under 100 power, you can see the contrast again, uh, with the left side being some of the first images. You can see to the left half, the um, loss of hemoglobin, the loss of coloration from the Pfizer vaccine, and to the right part of that image is the are the red blood cells that weren't affected by the Pfizer vaccine. And then in the right half of the image, you'll see that second picture that shows that huge area that that's just a single droplet effect of the Pfizer vaccine on red blood cells and the complete leashing out of uh, oxygen. It's very clear from these videos, and we have more, and we did this multiple times, that the red blood cells, once the Pfizer vaccine is added, become paler. That means that the oxygen has been lost, they're desaturated, and the videos show that those red blood cells were beginning to clump. And this was in a matter of minutes of just simply being exposed to the Pfizer vaccine. There you go. There's, there's one this, of the things the that we slides, often see. So this, this looks like more crystalline garbage crap. Mm. But we keep seeing this a lot. Don't see it on the slides, but you see it in the, in the vaccine. Yeah, but this isn't a, a living creature of some sort. Or, or I mean, this is garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not... Uh... It's just aggregations, and we've seen like crystalline. So you can see to the right of it, there's like a sort of there's a fiber-like structure, sort of coming in and out. Of yeah, I see there. that. <clears throat> and there's some down here, and I mean, how do you get by with this? Um, I mean, how does this pass quality control? I have no idea. I, I mean, the, the only thing that I've said is that this is done with. Um, minimum wage for the skill set that's required to mass produce it. Right. I mean, they gear this up so fast that I don't think that they have the, the, the people uh, trained or, or to no, do the job. I think, I think they had uh, many, many years. Uh, they were going to go for Zika. All, all this infrastructure was in place. And that's how they could spin it up so quickly. And, um, you know, I hate using their words, pandemic, but here, here's a lot of uh, fibers. So you can see here a tremendous amount of garbage material in the Pfizer vaccine. There's no little creatures. Um, there's no graphene showing up. There's lots of lipid nanoparticles, but there's other crystals and there's fibers and there's garbage that simply would not pass quality control. And for for the FDA to say that they are happy with the end product of this, 
uh, and that it meets manufacturing specifications. This is not what you would approve to inject inside of a human being. It, you, it, it's never been acceptable to inject this type of garbage inside of a human being. So what we see here are just three still pictures. You can see in the far left uh, the image of the uh, just one of these crystalline structures. You can see in the middle uh, some of the uh, other garbage and, and that's seen as well as on the far right. So there's clearly uh, lipid nanoparticles there, but there's also just a host of other garbage. It's very clear that the Pfizer BioNTech doesn't have graphene. It's certainly not to the extent that people have been suggesting. There's no microchips, there's no alien life forms. Uh, all of these conversations have made it very challenging to address uh, what these drug vaccines really do. But it does appear, it is very obvious, and, and we had five different vials of the uh, Pfizer vaccine that we analyzed, that there's considerable degree in garbage, all of which violates accepted standards for product liability. And certainly it's not in keeping with the expected safety that the FDA is responsible for guaranteeing either an improved product to inject into people, independent upon whether that product is fully approved or authorized for use under the emergency use authorization. So by contrast, you can see what normal saline looks like. Three to six o'clock, that's the uh, whiter area, shows uh, the slide. And above that is the fluid, which is normal saline. <clears throat> and you don't see Japanese garbage floating around the uh, in the normal saline. This is this is not your, uh, how would you say? Well, <laughs> the uh, mass produced. I mean, Japanese caught the uh, contamination straight away. I mean, it's not hard, right? Um, yet they've still gone ahead and yeah, I mean, they stopped some patches. <clears throat> but I mean, the the little specks that you see are just artifacts on the glass. So this. Uh... I mean, that, that's Dr. McCarran and myself talking uh, as we were analyzing this under the uh, under the microscope uh, and recording it. You can actually see this is normal saline. You don't see crystalline garbage. You don't see fibers. You don't see other strands. This is what's expected when you inject into a human being that you not have this garbage. Uh, so, you know, this provides the control. And this was the same normal saline that then was put into the red blood cells as you saw earlier, that simply caused the red blood cells to float in fluid, you know, the saline, but didn't cause any damage to the red blood cells as the Pfizer vaccine did. So this is a nice little example for people of some of the artifact that uh, has actually been seen in the upper left hand. You'll see uh, the streaks going across the glass. That's what um, fluid looks like when it's drying out under the microscope and, and much of the artifact that you're seeing, there's nothing but the drying of the fluid. And then below that, you see those big round rings that many people have talked about being nanoparticles in uh, in the vaccines. Those uh, round rings are nothing but air bubbles on, on a wet mount, and which means that you have a slide that you put something with fluid on. <clears throat> 
And then to the right, A, B, C, and D, this is actually what uh, eggs look like under the microscope of a variety of different parasites. And nothing like that has been shown, um, uh, including in that initial video that, that uh, showed the support, supposed uh, three-legged creature. There are no three-legged creatures in these vaccines. Um, there's just a bunch of garbage. So the normal saline... Uh, follows accepted product liability and uh, FDA guidelines and has no garbage in it. The only artifacts that you actually see are the slides themselves, the quality of the slides, because obviously, uh, depending upon who buys the slides, if you're using them in a routine lab versus a pathology lab, that you're going to get different manufacturing qualities of that. And that's why it's important to compare these slides, normal saline, Pfizer vaccine, red blood cells, red blood cells with normal saline, red blood cells with Pfizer vaccine. So you can compare, and then the difference isn't due to what's on the slide or the, or the quality of the slides, but what's really happening as a result of the uh, vaccine and the normal saline. So under the microscope, it's very, very clear that the Pfizer vaccine is filled with a lot of material that simply fails to meet accepted standards for a product to be injected into people, whether it be a drug vaccine or anything else. Uh, this demonstrates a complete failure on the FDA's part, particularly when they went ahead and filed letters and documents and sent it back to me that said they're happy with, with the product that's out there. Well, if they're happy with the product that's out there, um, it either means that they haven't looked at the product or they've decided that there's a new standard of garbage that's allowed in drug vaccines that isn't allowed in anything else that's that's an FDA product. Um, there's a new issue here that comes up with this, which is that the drug vaccine manufacturers have had a certain immunity from liability in the past as to reactions to the drug vaccines, but that presumes that it's just the drug vaccine. There's a different product liability issue now that, that is before us and it's strict liability which is uh, the selling of a defective product that unreasonably threatens a person or consumer uh, that promotes a new legal liability and so for all the attorneys listening to this uh, and anybody involved who's had a problem uh, this opens the legal lawsuit opportunities for addressing these these vaccines because this is now a strict liability product liability lawsuit issue not uh, an issue of the vaccines themselves. Again, using the FDA's own words, I mean, this is uh, Paul Richards in response to the letter that I submitted to the FDA uh, that they have, uh, they continue to monitor these vaccines, that they have every confidence in these vaccines, that we can be assured that the FDA is doing its job and unwavering in its commitment to us, again, that the vaccines have met the FDA's robust standards for safety, efficacy, and manufacturing quality. These are not the standards uh, uh, required by the FDA for products. These products, what we've seen here from, from the videos and the still shots, show that the Pfizer vaccine itself causes a desaturation of the blood, removing the oxygen from the red blood cells, which is the function of the red blood cells to get oxygen around the body. We've seen it in and on the left half of this with the loss of vibrant color uh, from the red blood cells, showing the oxygen has been pulled out. And the Pfizer vaccine themselves in the, in the two thirds, 
to the right of garbage in the materials of fiber strands of other crystalline products of just junk and garbage in the in these vaccines none of which follows fda standards or, or required standards for a product to be injected into a human being the microscopic examination that you just saw this is the first time that this has been presented not only still pictures but actual video recording of what occurs under the microscope examining red blood cells and those red blood cells being exposed to the pfizer BioNTech drug vaccine biologic it clearly showed the red blood cells lost their oxygen carrying capacity. It clearly showed the red blood cells beginning to clot together, this inflammatory thrombotic response. And it clearly showed significant contamination in the Pfizer BioNTech uh, drug vaccine biologics. We're calling upon the FDA and others to repeat this. Anybody with these, with, with a microscope, recording equipment, normal saline, Pfizer vaccine, Moderna vaccine, any of these drug vaccines and blood can repeat this experiment. You don't take my word for it or Dr. McCarran's word for it. This is video, this is, this is evidence um, now being presented to the world and it can be repeated by any reputable scientist um, who has that equipment. And the FDA has a, an obligation its mission statement is to protect the public. It has not protected the public. It has failed. It provided EUA documents uh, approval when the documents showed there was no benefit from the vaccine statistically in the number of COVID or, or uh, cases or deaths. And now we see for the first time evidence of what these vaccines do when they touch red blood cells and the garbage that's in these Pfizer vaccines and until proven otherwise, all of these vaccines, since the FDA was responsible for, for evaluating these vaccines and so miserably failed on, on the Pfizer one, uh, not only for these uh, experiments to be replicated, but for the FDA, the CDC and the federal government to investigate all three of these concerns, the desaturation of oxygen, the inflammatory thrombotic cl blood clotting effect, and the contaminations. And until resolved, the FDA has an obligation, a commitment to the American public, and I would argue every country's uh, um, equivalent agencies, to pull these vaccines off the market until these three issues can be addressed because one of these issues would be enough to pull these vaccines off the market, but three of them is game, set, match. This is unacceptable on the part of the FDA, unacceptable on the part of Big Pharma, unacceptable uh, for a mandate. The CDC to state that uh, federal employees uh, are going to be educated about these vaccines if these if, if uh, police officers and fire and military do not take the vaccines. Well, that that education then needs to go right back to the CDC and the FDA because here's documentation of real harm being caused by these vaccines and real damage and garbage in these vaccines. I gave the uh, Pfizer and Moderna companies an opportunity to respond to concerns beginning in January. We gave the FDA an opportunity to respond to concerns and got one of these standard, what I consider just basically form letters that says, oh, thanks guys, uh, Dr. Fleming, thanks for being concerned, but rest assured, we've got you covered. We're doing our job. Well, this information shows you're not doing your job. 
you've got vaccines that are garbage, allowing garbage and debris to be injected into people. We very clearly showed that the red blood cells were normal. We showed that the red blood cells responded normally to normal saline, that nothing unusual will happen, but add the Pfizer vaccine and the red blood cells lose their oxygen carrying capacity and the red blood cells start to clot. This is exactly what I laid out in the 1994 theory of the inflammatory response. This is exactly what we're seeing with the VAERS reporting. This is exactly what we're seeing with neurologic harm, with, with heart, with cardiac harm, with blood clots occurring in the body. This is proof positive that these vaccines cause this type of damage under the microscope just simply by being added to the blood of a human being. And with that, I want to say thank you. And I think it's time for the FDA and CDC to actually do their job instead of giving it lip service. If you're listening to this message in the weekend of Friday, October 22nd, 2021. So it's another fantastic presentation by uh, Dr. Richard Fleming. Interestingly enough, he did that with um, McCarran, who I was a fan of early on in the pandemic. He sort of, um, uh, he came out critical of some of claims made by other alternative medical practitioners in regards to the nature of viruses and stuff. And so he does some interesting work. Uh, I'm glad to see that Dr. Richard Fleming teamed up with him to give us a more sort of critical analysis, more objective analysis, rather than um, uh, a sort of imaginary analysis. Imagine imaginative, excuse me, analysis of what's going on inside the vaccines. Cause I've seen everything I've said. So many people send me so many different, um, video requests and documents in regards to the potential, what might be in the vaccines, but I think they did a very objective and a very sort of skeptical approach to it. That was very nice to see. And I want to point out something that's very important in Japan. So they're talking about contamination with the vaccines and quality control in Japan. They, um, contracted with Moderna. And the Moderna vaccine is not only much higher dose than the Pfizer, but uh, Japan pulled the Moderna. So the reason why I say this is Richard Fleming and McCarran, they're talking about the Pfizer vaccine. But even with the Moderna vaccine, uh, there were uh, so many contaminants that they had to recall millions of doses in Japan. And since then, since then, they've decided to go ahead with ivermectin as an alternative treatment protocol. And Crazy also, Japanese. They they right. nothing. Oh, they my goodness. Haven't they talked to Fauci? Can't they get some Konnichiwa with him? <laughs> I was just I mean, out there. You never know. I Domo mean, arigato, Mr. Fauci. Anyway, if anything, they... So I got a couple questions. I watched, I watched the Fleming presentation. <clears throat> Thought it was pretty straightforward presentation. Mm-hmm. I have a question now. How, what, is, what is the width of a human red blood cell? Hmm. We talking is it nanometers what's the measurement nice scale let me look it up real quick because it occurs to me that fleming might not be looking close enough not saying he's wrong well, I they have did a have questions. a couple they did have a couple at 100 nanometers which is the scale of a uh, coronavirus all right all right yeah because i was, trying, scale on I was trying to watch the scales and the magnifications i was paying attention but it occurred to me like this He's showing you the red blood cells. That's all well and good. Saline with red blood cells, they play nicely. Vaccine with red blood cells don't do so well. And it seems to generate effects that we see in the illness, which is interesting, right? People with low oxygen in their blood. Then you got all these 
particulates precipitates not the 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 stuff of the ingredients there's other things in there right and he's mm-hmm. like there's a lot of junk and like red flags are going off in my head i'm like oh what do we call junk stuff that we don't know what it is yet we got junk dna you know cuz nature doesn't know what that dna does right so it's just junk right your appendix is junk uh you got you got some junk organs in your body like Sounds you like know there's some junk brains analyzing the junk all right so they got this there's junk in their sample and that is found across a wide number of samples across many different than, types of vaccines right 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 Pfizer, moderna i'm sure j and j and astrazeneca and covax and cinevac and all the various vaccines. it occurs to me that the saline doesn't look like that and these are like the same they make saline too so they mm-hmm. can make things that are clean why aren't the vaccines clean and then what is the junk and how many times do you have to magnify in on it before you start seeing whatever they got cooking but i would guess this is just a guess you could very you could fact check me i would guess that the type of nano particuli that they are generating these days are much smaller than a red blood cell and that you might only see them conglomerated uh, you know at a higher level and it might look like oh there's some threads in there there's some fibers what are those fibers made of how did the fibers get in there where did they come from what are they made of is anyone like we should be checking into this because I remember reading papers where they've got nano glass particles to, to do skin, like through the skin uh, transmission with the bats. I remember reading their research papers. So they had a lot of research papers with nano particles in them, nanomagnetics to treat. And if you remember, Moderna was a cancer gene therapy company. They use these ferromagnetics uh, nanoparticles in these various types of treatment. If you look on, PubMed to look at what types of nanoparticles are in these types of things and where they're trying to go. You can get a much better picture of this. So it just occurs to me that maybe another look needs to be taken at this junk. So we have positive identification and we could talk about something instead of nothing. Cause that's a problem, but it's just being labeled as junk. We don't know what it is. And then the conversation kind of stops there. Most think- of the junk ends up becoming um, something like, sorry, I have something new. not there. It usually ends up becoming discussions on graphene oxide um Ooh. and things of that nature which i'm fringe i don't have too any far sort out of, too little substantiation at this point well there's just not enough consistent evidence there like the what what richard fleming is showing there that's really interesting is all of the mechanisms are in place without needing the graphene oxide and all these other all this other junk inside the um Pfizer vaccine for it to do what it's doing which is causing the loss of oxygen uh, causing red blood cells to clump together. And there may be more to it, but until there's more direct evidence for it, I say this is a good start because um, this is so obviously ob- ob- um, objective and easy to reproduce by other laboratories that you know you would think they would have already done this, but probably cheaper to produce. I don't know. Quality control could be a problem for pharmaceutical industry i'm sure there's a lot of costs well, tied up in qc they definitely do have quality control because at one point astrazeneca and like j and j vaccines were being mixed at the same factory mm-hmm. and they yep. had to recall a whole bunch i think That's there's right. two companies yeah j and j was involved it was either j and j or astrazeneca with it's uh, tough to Moderna keep uh, keep keep up with all the shenanigans going on you got a bunch of different companies with a bunch of different criminal records and history on you know <clears throat> out there for the study and then you see some of the history that they've done in the past and the things they've supported like it's not 
It's not people you would trust. I would think no, 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 no. if people haven't been fully indoctrinated to the lie that people watching this, this series of podcasts in the future, they would have a very hard time believing how so many people believed anything other than the, the facts and the evidence. Cause it seems like so ludicrous that hundreds of millions of people would be like following Tony Fauci and listening to Bill Gates and giving up meat to have, you know, a eugenics future and have cockroaches and grasshoppers and just like the whole wokeness of it. Right. Like these guys, they are, they are being like Bill Gates just had his 66th birthday party in Turkey. Right. Flying all these dudes. Oh, like they don't give a fuck about the environment. All they want to do is control you with your carbon footprint. They're going to start half the labeling that on products. Like, you know, it takes this much carbon to make this thing. And therefore we're going to, it's just a new tax scam. It's a new type of tax. It's a new type of society. It's a monetary switch over because too many people were catching on to their federal reserve scam after 120 years, 108 years, whatever it's been. They, they just want to take that to a great um, reset. That's what it's yeah. called, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, the issue here is it's literally immune system by prescription. So, I mean, maybe in the future you get vaccinated. And if you don't continue to get vaccinated, you don't continue to take their drugs, you die. Let's call it what it is, Tony. It's life by prescription. It's life by yeah, subscription. Life by prescription. Yeah. Yeah. They prescribe or otherwise you die, right? You subscribe, otherwise you die. Or, so you, you know, you, you produce and you get a carbon limit and you get, you know, it's, it's everything under this. It's total control over the micro decisions that individuals make every day that they don't think anyone's around watching them. Well, making, they're selling but... people on it. Cause they're like, look, if we all just give up our rights and do this globalist thing, we can do star Trek. They don't want to do star Trek with you. They ain't, you ain't going, you're not in the club. They're, I thought in they, star they, Trek they beat you with. Wasn't it uh, First Contact? It was a movie in like the mid '90s or something. Uh, yeah, there First was Contact, Borg, April fourth, and then there was. I love that. Sorry, I always do that. that was good... <laughs> yeah, it was a good plot. April fourth, twenties. I just find it interesting that the Borg is what they were fighting against. You know, it's, it's when they invented time travel. I know. Wow. Well, well, they warp, it, they warp yeah, speed, and then they yeah, they discover warp speed. Warp yeah. speed. We're, we're back on the vaccine already. Whoa, that was quick. <laughs> warp speed is like quick. I did that. Mm -hmm. All right, so drive. the clips we got <clears throat> cover before we conclude the show are copious and very uh, prestigious. Yeah. So let's get this Chomsky Chomsky thing out of the way because I find it so ironic that I mean it's not that ironic that at his age he lets the mask slip. No, I'm not talking about his COVID mask. Although I hope he's in good health. Um, I'm talking about, he said the quiet part out loud. He's like, uh, however they get food is their problem. I was like, whoa, whoa, tap the brakes. This dude is surrounded by everything capitalism at a Boston or, you know, MIT, a Massachusetts university. It's everything capitalism. And he's like pro-communism. And I, one part of me wants to say, let's give him his dream. Let's give him his dream. Let's take everything that capitalism has produced from him and let him have what communism produces. I was just going to say, yeah. And then I thought that dream. And then I thought he's going to live it because I don't know. How that, old is he now? He yeah, looks old. He's going to end up in a place where they take away your personal possessions. And you know, that's what goes on. So I don't wish that on my worst enemy. And Chomsky is certainly not an enemy. He's not the worst among them if there were enemies, but he's yeah, that idiot. dude, he, he's been a useful idiot. I have many, many of his books in the other library. Oh, I know a lot of it. Yeah, I know. You know yeah. Manufacturing Consent, his work with Edward Herman uh, or Harriman. Uh, he's done a lot of good work in the past. 
His work on linguistics is interesting. He's a very not... cunning linguist. That's well, true. And a cunning linguist, yes. but his work on yeah. just linguistics in general is right. very interesting. Along right. with Pink Pinker's work as well. And we were talking about his use of words. For those of you with dirty minds out there, when we said he's a cunning linguist, you know, we weren't, <laughs> we weren't reading anyone's Facebook page or anything. We're say just saying he's, time, say he's, a ling he's a linguist. He's a linguist. He's a wordsmith. He's a shaper of narratives. And, uh, you know, his, his uh, monotone Certainly voice. shapes some narratives. I'm not even, even going to do it, Chomsky. Cunning linguist. He deserves no impression. All right. So uh, <clears throat> Jimmy Dore, I thought, took him the task most righteously because I saw other clips where he said it and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know. yeah, Tim but it's like, but yeah, Jimmy Dore. Who can, who can make you laugh? Jimmy Dore can. Let's check it out with uh, the Chomskyisms. He's going to be a poster child for let them eat cake. Sounds like <laughs> yeah. only he's not, he's just like, let them figure it out. He's not even offering cake, everybody. Yeah, at least when you answer that. I just think that the people who are like pro-communism should get communism. And those who don't, like, you know, we don't. Why can't we have that choice? Communism. <laughs> when did human beings ever get free choice, right? Well, sometime after free trade and before federal reserve. <laughs> that's a that's a good thing. Hey, real quick, since, since, that's since, a good since we didn't that's cut good. yet, since we didn't cut yet. Old China trade. I remember I was saying how it was free trade and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I went to the free trade article and guess what's not there anymore? Opium. There's no opium. There's no free China, like a uh, free trade. Which is ironic because in the wealth of nations, the context I, around which he talks I about know, free trade is it's around the opium trade. Yeah. However, I did find this is a, this is a topic of liberalism, everybody, free trade, democracy, economic liberalism, globalization, Equality, God, equality, right? gender, legal. However, freedom, however, the, the censors, the censors missed something because I did the search on the page and there's two references for opium on this page. Let's find them. Britain waged two opium wars to force China to legalize the opium trade and open the all of the free China. trade, the free trade. This is right. Yeah. It didn't open all China to British merchants. The whole page or a big part of the page used to be about this, this part they forgot to mm -hmm. censor where free trade, as it's talked about today in this long page, was John Stuart Mill of the East India Company. Right here, they still will talk, but they won't tell you, right? So it's like mentioned, but if you don't know the context, it used to be the main paragraphs were about the opium and <clears throat> the push for Great Britain to go ahead and kind of monopolize this whole thing through use of force and military might. It was very open history. Now the people that are behind that, they seem to be scrubbing their tracks. Like who else is scrubbing the tracks of the, the killers and criminals here, except the killers and criminals in their Renfields. Like, I just want to know when did they figure out how to scrub the tracks so well? Not saying I would ever, but it's just like, I mean, they must've had a long history of figuring out, figuring out how to get away with these sorts of things. It's pretty much all the technology we play with that they use to leave I mean, tracks on. They know how to scrub them because they created all this stuff. During wartime, nonetheless, for yeah, the most during part. wartime. Yeah. Back when they were spying and learning about stuff ahead of time and not telling the Americans. What was that? World War One, World War Two? Yes, that's right. Both of them. All right, it's so let's freedom, move forward. Though. Let's hear yeah, from made... uh, Dr. Chomsky. Go ahead, LD. What do you got? Yeah, I'm, I made some shirts, you know, to know it, help know your heritage, start a conversation. Have you heard of the mm -hmm. East India Company? There we go. Let's go to Noam Chomsky. 
That's a Grand Union flag. What are you talking about? It's not the East India Company flag. Oh, they're very similar. Yeah, let's go here from Dr. Chomsky. It's the last lesson he's going to teach us. Because we stopped learning from him after this comment. That's why. Wish him well. Let's talk about Noam Chomsky because this is super important. So this guy is Andy Slavitt. Now, if you don't know who he is, he is the senior advisor for COVID response. He was the past head of Medicare, Medicaid for Obama, author of Preventable. So he's the former Biden White House senior advisor for COVID response. That's who, that's who he is. And what did he tweet out? What did he say? He said, given Delta's contagiousness and the fitness of future mutations in order to beat it, this means that SARS-CoV-2 will be contagious enough that everyone will get the virus. Everyone is going to get the virus. I've reported this before because why do I know this? Because that's how the science is. And also because I watch John Campbell on YouTube, who is a Ph.D., and he teaches nurse nursing. Uh, and he's the one who showed me the research on his show that now all the experts are agreeing everyone is going to get the virus at some point. So it's going to go endemic. from a pandemic to an endemic. And the countries that are opening up now, they're not opening up because they beat the virus. They're opening up because they realize they have to live with the virus. That's what's happening. Look at places like Iceland. Look at places like Denmark. Look at places like Sweden, Finland. They're realizing they have to live with it. And that's what's called an endemic. An endemic is when you decide you're going to live with it and treat it. Uh, here's Noam Chomsky being asked about unvaccinated people. What are your thoughts on mandating vaccines? Well, it's a mixed story. I think uh, we, people who refuse to accept vaccines, I think the right response for them is not to force them to, but rather to insist that they be isolated. If people decide, I am willing to be a danger to the community by refusing a vaccine, they should then say, well, I also have the decency to isolate myself. Okay, I don't want a vaccine, but I don't have the right to run around harming people. I'll just that should be a convention. Enforcing is a different question. It should be understood, and we should try to get it to be understood. If it really reaches the point where they are severely endangered people, then of course you have to do something about it. So if someone, uh, if smallpox turns out to uh, become rampant again and some people are insisting on thought they had a vaccine running around the public places where they might have smallpox well you've got to do something about it. it's a vaccine so and no. what he wants to do is have an authoritarian government isolate them from society now why is he wrong on that a hundred thousand percent well because as i told you uh, uh everyone's going to get it 
So you have to prepare for when you get it. And you're going to get it from an unvaccinated person or you're going to get it from a vaccinated person. Because as the science now shows, that vaccinated person, people also shed the virus. And that you can get the the coronavirus from a vaccinated person. In fact, the Harvard study I just did uh, a story on showed that the counties and countries with the highest vaccination rates have the highest transmission rates. So this idea that Chomsky has is anti-science. He's not a virologist. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just a scared old man. He's responding through fear. And how does he respond from fear? He wants to oppress someone else. He wants to become an authoritarian. And that's just an old man who's afraid. That's not science. That's not intellect. That's not logic. That's anti-science and anti-logic. We are all going to get the virus, so you have to prepare for when you get it. It's not going away. As the director, Joe Biden's director of COVID response, told us, So what Chomsky's saying here is incorrect, authoritarian, and a nightmare. And guess what? He doubled down on it. Here's from you, Matt. Here's Chomsky doubles down on his previous call to segregate. Listen to what he says this time. Um, When you talk about folks having the uh, freedom to separate if they don't want to abide by these vaccine mandates. By the way, can I just say, Saying we're going to separate you from society might not be the best way to get people to comply with your vaccine request. That's I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that's not good persuasion. OK, what would that look like on a practical level? Does that mean that folks uh, need to just stay home and have like groceries delivered to them? Does it mean like separated communities of folks who are unvaccinated or just, you know, how do you think this would practically play out same way as with people who say that i don't want to i don't want to accept traffic rules i suppose there were people who said it's an attack on my liberty to make me stop at a red light okay guess what a red light isn't an invasive medical procedure (laughs) how about that that's not what's sitting hey how many people get a heart inflammation from sitting at a red light do you know what this the study on that is zero how, how many people get tinnitus from sitting at how many? How many? What are the long term effects of sitting at a red light? Nothing. So this he trying to uh, he's conflating a, a medical procedure, a forced medical procedure with a traffic light, which is the dumbest thing in the world I've ever heard someone say wearing a beard. That is pretty dumb. <laughs> That's so dumb, I know it's dumb. That's not based on science. He's making a ridiculous analogy. He does. He's not a virologist. This is not how you're supposed to handle a pandemic. The guy who invented the mRNA technology, the vaccine technology, the guy who invented it, Dr. Malone, explained on this show that the way you handle an outbreak pandemic like this is you vaccinate the vulnerable And then you let it spread to the healthy, and then it becomes more contagious and less deadly. Chomsky doesn't know any of this. He hasn't listened to Dr. Malone. Who has he listened to, you think? You know who he's listening to? Dr. Fauci, who we just proved is a pathological liar and cannot be trusted about anything, and he's been shown to shift his medical advice depending on what the politics are of the moment. Who do you 
think he's listening to? Because I just quoted a Harvard study that said the, the communities with the highest vaccination rates also have the highest transmission rates. So who is he listening to? He, he cites no one. He cites absolutely no one. And listen to how ridiculous he sounds. I think Chomsky is a little demented. I think his brain is way older than he looks. And he looks old. So here we go. Listen to this. Government overreach. We don't want the state to have that power over my private life. Well, such people have to be, they should have the decency to remove themselves from the community. If they refuse to do that, then measures have to be taken to safeguard the community from them. <laughs> then comes the practice. So, again, you can, you're going to get it. It's going to become endemic. So he's making out like, oh, these people are killers. The unvaccinated are killers. Well, if you're vaccinated and you believe the vaccine helps, which the science shows it does, why are you afraid of getting it? It's supposed the vaccine keeps you from getting serious illness or death. That's why you get the vaccine, not because it prevents transmission. Or prevent you from getting it. Because we all know you can get it if you're vaccinated. And you can give it. You can also transmit it if you're vaccinated. So this is all anti-intellectual, anti-science, complete authoritarian nightmare, claptrap, scaremongering, propaganda. The guy who wrote Manufacturing Consent is now Manufacturing Consent for the Establishment Propaganda. He's Manufacturing Contempt. Oh, very nicely said, oh. manufacturing contempt. So let's listen to what the rest of what he has to say. The question that you ask, uh, how can we get food to them? Well, that's actually their problem. <laughs> how do we get food to the unvaccinated? He says that's actually their problem. He sounds like a scared old man, just like Keith Olbermann. They sound like this is what fear sounds like when you talk through fear. That's all he is. He's afraid of getting it because he knows he'll die if he catches COVID. Well, get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. And so that's all this is. That's a guy afraid of dying because he, he listens to Fauci. And he doesn't understand the science and he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And I'm the, the dumbest guy you'll ever see comment on him. And I know he's dumb. This is ridiculous. This is that this has got no logic behind it whatsoever. And uh, it doesn't seem like he cares. He seems to become now he's just a cranky old guy who wants to fucking punish people. Oh, by the way, he has health care. And if he really cared about people dying from COVID, do you know of the 600,000 people who died in the United States, 200,000 of them would be alive today if we had Medicare for all. But we had a plan to get Medicare for all, and Chomsky called it candy. You want Medicare for all? That's candy. That would have saved 200,000 people's lives. Why don't we isolate the, the government, the workers that won't give us health care? How about we isolate the politicians that won't give us health care 
because they're killing 200,000 people a year through COVID. Why don't you want to isolate those people? No, you just want to, Chomsky wants you to turn on your fucking neighbor. Chomsky wants you to blame a bus driver or a nurse's aide or a teacher. That's who Chomsky wants you to blame for fucking COVID and the deaths. No, Chomsky, I'm blaming the oligarchs and the establishment. Do you know we, the people who've given you health care for the last 60 fucking years and the, you know, the check that your retirement check you get from MIT that comes from the fucking government. They're, uh, they're how much money do they get from the CIA that? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to blame on my neighbor or a student or a bus driver or a worker or a grocery store. I'm going to blame the establishment for the shit storm that they created with this fucking COVID. First of all, it probably got invented at a fucking lab that got funded by them. And then they won't give us health care when it infects us. And you want us to fucking turn on our fellow human being, my citizen, my neighbor, a fucking worker. You're, you should be fucking isolated. Over to you, Max. <laughs> Pull it. Yeah. <clears throat> I was just looking up Chomsky's uh, Wikipedia page here, which, you know, it's ironic because he was kind of a anarchist. He was edgy. He spoke out against Marxism and Leninism, these sort of things. It was so trendy seems, to do that in the 70s. It was, and it was, it was trendy. Like, I remember um, many years ago, I saw a YouTube video like him and Michelle Foucault, I believe, doing some sort of like debate topic in France. Yeah, right here, Foucault. Yeah, he did, they did some. Yeah, they did it. Yeah. But he also was into symbolic logic of the mm -hmm. Wittgensteinian persuasion. Any oh, philosophical right. school, if you're accepted as a philosopher in mainstream academia, you've accepted Kant's postulates essentially so i can't you, believe <laughs> and once you've done that then everything becomes sort of a symbolic game he just he play. developed a disdain for authoritarian socialism what happened it must be the dementia right <laughs> so what's going on i guess so it's the same tired bro minds cliches i've been hearing since the beginning of the vaccine rollout it's like well you don't have the right to infect someone else uh, therefore you should self-isolate um i've when i've dealt mm. with this argument okay so first off different times so uh, let's role play that for a second tell me i don't have the right tell me you, you go ahead say that thing to me let's see how this works let me get off the history blueprint you don't have the right to infect someone with a deadly virus so you're in a position to tell me what my rights are this Apparently. is fascinating let me pull up a chair <laughs> You just have to give people uh, the, the response that they're not expecting. And it can be sarcastic and it can be tongue in cheek or cheeky, but it should be on point. Like you're not, you didn't make me like, unless you're God or you're my mom and dad, fuck off. Right. Cause you have no rights over me. I'm not your pawn. I'm not your chattel. I'm not your cattle. And those are fighting words where I come from to act as if you own somebody else. You better be able to substantiate that. Are you prepared to back up your intellectually bankrupt argument with some violence? Are you going to surprise me with that? Because this is pretty much the story of human history. This is what goes on. You call people out on their bullshit and they will resort to violence. Let me call some people with deadly force to come take care of you in one shape or another. Yeah, I mean, so, it's, yeah, I mean that's a great way of analyzing it. Um, another way is just to look at for example, um, it's an argument for the greater good. So you're willing to sacrifice my individual rights for this greater collective good of society. Have we ever seen that played out before in history? Um, but the, I'm one actually of the a things, member in the greater good. So again, fuck off. Yeah, you know, because these know. things are made up. 
these are these are well, the collect the idea of a collective being and like an embodied entity that we can look at and not made up of individuals you know that's right that's the only thing that really exists fallacy so we get back to things that exist actually there's a good book on that i have it here composition is fallacy of composition mm -hmm. so the one thing i wanted to, i don't want it to too much laudable i know it's late but there is i've been sitting on this book for a while while you get the book up oh yeah mm -hmm. um it's a good book logically david harriman about the inductive method being an objectivist, which they love at deduction. Um, David Harriman also did a fantastic series called The Philosophic Corruption of Physics, which for those that are interested, hit me up in the town hall and I'll give a... Peace I'll Revolution only... episode. Oh, yeah. We'll also tip you off to it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, I think it was one I actually recommend. Yeah, I call it a philosophical co corruption of reality because Harriman was... <laughs> on, he was just using a slice and then I use his premise to apply it to the meta. That's the way to do it. Philosophic That's, corruption of reality. Speaking of Herman, now he is an objectivist. Um, he's a mathematician, I believe. And uh, I got an email many, many, many weeks ago now. Um, I just don't listen to objectivists about spirituality. I listen yeah, to Russell, yeah, yeah, yeah. When it Russell comes, Brand or something, right? Yeah. Well, objectivism, they plus, trust me, every philosophy has their blind spots. Um, they're one of many good philosophies out there, though. They have candles but, of Ayn Rand, though. That's where I draw so, the line. I have a There's candle this, Fauci, and that's as far as I go. Yeah, you can like that candle, that throw pill. There's a two-minute video by Ayn Rand who refutes that argument, apparently, on vaccine mandates. I don't know if we want to first throw that in there against it. Chomsky said, if you went out and had the smallpox, I'm like, bro, we got, they, they have a vaccine for that. Why would smallpox be a threat to anybody? Everyone's vaccinated, right? So, like, even the arguments he's making inside the argument he's making don't make any sense. Well, he it must be like, he he's taking the Joe Biden school of rhetoric these days yeah i mean essentially it's the argument for the individual versus the collective it's all it boils down to and so like i remember back in 2015 there was an outbreak of like measles and there was a big news thing out in like it was disneyland in california and there's some kids there that didn't have that weren't vaccinated some that were some of the vaccinated kids got measles all of the unvaccinated kids got measles and so the argument that they use then is the measles vaccine is only like 70 to 80% effective over a certain time frame. So you don't have the right to go out unvaccinated and, you know, infect someone. I'm like, by you going out into public life, you take on a certain amount of uh, diagnosed risk. In other words, you're calculating what it is. Like I could go out. I don't have the right by to, a goddamn bus. Like, I mean, I don't Jesus have the Christ. right to do this thing that may or may not happen, but you definitely have the right to tell me what to do with injecting into my body. Am I clear? Basically, basically. You just have to restate their argument back. So it sounds as dumb as it is. <laughs> you know what I'm People saying? People act out of their own rational self-interest. This was, this had the same transmissibility, but this was Ebola. People would stay indoors just out of the fact they want to live. You won't need to mandate a lockdown. You don't need to mandate vaccines or anything. They just want the people have enough ra rationality, reason, and volitional choice, free will to make a decision for themselves. And in fact, when the government or when whatever authoritative body exists gives the individual the right to make their own decisions, individuals tend to take a little bit more responsibility upon themselves. Yeah, they take act more. Yeah, they start act instead of acting infantilized, which is what our culture has been obsessed about for a very long time, really through the Prussian education model and then building into this information age meme digital culture nonsense. But I wanted to follow, I mean, I don't, I don't, it's a two minute clip. It's um, might be worth playing in lieu of that, but I'm just going to put in the show notes in case uh, anyone's interested. Ayn Rand what? on mandatory vaccines and quarantines. The Alicia Rosenbaum clip. Alicia Rosenbaum. It's like a two minute and she like 
gives a good argument against any form of mandatory procedures. Let's hear back from let's hear her sexy accent. I actually haven't heard it, but it's apparently she gives a good argument for it. So I kind of want to hear it. They yeah, hear that nice Russian accent. Yeah. I was being facetious. She's a very sexy woman. You're reading the transcript. Oh. Closed captions. That was sarcasm. It's not a video, it's just audio. It's two minutes. Now, requiring inoculation against disease, should this be a, a job for the government? Most definitely not. And there is a very simple answer for it. If it is medically proved that a certain inoculation is in fact practical and desirable, those who want it will take that inoculation. Now, if some people do not see it that way, do not agree, or don't want to take it, they only they will be in danger. Since all the other people will be inoculated, those who do not go along, if they're wrong in this case, will merely catch the disease. They will not be in da uh, danger to anyone else. And nobody has the right to force them to do anything for their own good against their own judgment. Uh, they will merely be ill then, but they could not infect others. The next question in regard to quarantine is somewhat different because in the state of uh, sense of a quarantine, if someone has a contagious disease against which there is no inoculation, then the government would have the right to require quarantine. What is the principle here? It's to protect those people who are not ill to protect the people who, uh, to prevent the people who are ill from passing on their illness to others. Here you are dealing with a demonstrable physical damage. Remember that in all issues protecting someone from physical damage, before a government can properly act, there has to be a scientific objective demonstration of an actual physical danger. If it is demonstrated, then the government can act to protect uh, those who are not yet ill from contacting the disease. In other words, to uh, quarantine the people who are ill is not an interference with their rights. It is merely preventing them from doing physical damage to others. I took, <laughs> I took the uh, train of objectivism. I took the train of objectivism and I got off at the stop called libertarian philosophy because that whole thing she just said about the state having the right to do that. Yeah, she's wrong there. I mean, she's, I, could I, use, I could use her own objectivism she just said against her. That the state has the right to quarantine everyone with, for instance, something that they don't have a vaccine for HIV, right? So she, according to what she just said, advocates the government having the right to lock people with AIDS up in in quarantine camps and keep them separate from the rest of the population now they certainly did not do that they just gave those people azt with fauci back in the day before they had the dallas buyers club which ties into what would step from verstappen was talking about you're gonna have to go outside of their system in order to survive because their system is not there to keep you alive there did i make it rhyme for you maybe it'll stick in your brain a little bit okay so moving forward Thank you, Ayn Rand, for half of that offering, and part of it we have to reject. Sorry about that. Uh, Chomsky would understand back 
couple years ago. He'd probably understand a lot. Anyway, it was that for 1963. I actually hadn't listened to that, but yeah, first part was fantastic. Her conversation with Mike Wallace is one of Mike Wallace's best interviews. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mike Wallace actually, because he, you know, it's a historical thing. So he's in the middle of a bunch of interviews that are interesting to the future back then, not because he was great, but because he was on the Longines time hour without us Huxley and these guys back in the day. It's like Peter right. Robbins or Robinson, whatever his name is from um, Uncommon Knowledge, Hoover Institute. Sorry. Yeah. He, yeah, he yeah. does a good podcast, but it's like, you know, it's very sort of. So when we make fun of Chris Wallace these days, it's because we know his dad, Mike Wallace, actually did some stuff that's valuable and we check into still. Whereas I don't know if we're going to do that in 50 <laughs> years with Chris, Chris Wallace's work. All right. <laughs> we have a plethora of clips left to cover. Uh, which of the, let's hit the high value targets here uh, because some of these things are just, walkouts and protests and there's still yeah some... i would just say anything with gregory or john Bowen, just because one they fit a lot of information in three minutes and yeah i mean i don't they're... need to see the one on 666 showing up yeah no, these people no, are was... creepy creepy, creepy worshipers yeah. of the occult yes they're putting their symbols all around you right now because they're trying to freak people out get y'all scared of their nonsense greg uh, there's one by gregory talking about the um some of the grants that were awarded for trying to create these mRNA technologies and plants and things, edibles and things that we eat. It's kind of interesting. Kim Iverson's people sicker after lockdowns. Um, it's also a good one. Almost as if they're trying to make people sick, Tony. Pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, liberal media circus. One since John Bellin talking about everything vaccination, children. Anyways, those are good ones just for quick, it's, I mean, there's a lot of John Bowne every week. Um, Brett and Heather, a little... little uh, Jen Zaki tested positive for COVID-19. I hope she's all right. Yeah. She's probably one of the 200 Congress people that are taking the ivermectin. ivermectin. Just, not, just not saying anything to the constituents. But she was fully vaccinated, Rich. She had nothing to worry about. Well, I'm sure she doesn't have COVID then. I mean, because there's like contradictions. It's ADE. Which contradiction is it? She doesn't have it or she has it because she's a vaccine. Like there's too many contradictions. Uh, so we do have the intermission material. I'm just looking at, um, it's not too much left. We kind of hit some high, we hit most of the highlights, I think. Hey, YouTube's bragging about deleting over a million videos because of COVID disinformation. Only about half of the half a million of those are done by my colleagues. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say a cool 250,000 of those were Ryan Christian's videos. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Uh, let's see. How... Yeah, I can bring this up real quick. We can talk about it. Yeah, let's, uh, well, should we do the, uh, the Burmis can... Whitney web? Yeah, we can go to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, can... at this point, okay. like, yeah, my point, what is I'm saying is you got the 13 minute clip, which means that's the YouTube clip. And it's only at 13 minutes in the rock fin clip that it starts to get interesting. So okay. if, L- if LD can find the rock finnington clip, and we'll just jump in where YouTube would cut off because everyone else can see it on YouTube. That's not going to be deleted. They said safe stuff there. The unsafe stuff for YouTube is what we want to hear in this audience metaphor. And I watched several good Crowder clips this past week, but... uh, We don't have to include those in the show. A lot of things he said that was funny. He was dressed up uh, as uh, I'm not sure what his Halloween costume was. Yeah, I love Crowder. I usually watch him 
Oh, he was a female Daily. admiral. That's what it was. A female admiral, of course yeah. he would be. I have trouble watching him when he's in drag. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm sure you him know, or his father. When I meet his dad, I'd be like, dude, what's you know? He's like, yeah. I know I have, but it's his artistic humor. He also Certainly. did the bit with the skeletons on the, the day before the Thursday or whatever. <laughs> it's a little out of line. <laughs> I'm actually, I didn't, I know he's been. They used handled. it as cover so he could say whatever he wanted in a character's voice. And so he was able to get a lot of stuff through, even though I don't think they were on, oh, YouTube, they're, not on YouTube. They're just right practicing. Now, yeah, they're yeah. just practicing how to. How to pull JP Sears. Not be legally yeah. attributed or held responsible because it was the skeletons that said it. You know, it was, it was pretty funny. Yeah. All right. Did All right. we uh, rock? Yeah, it? I found, found it. it. It was hiding, but I found it. Here we go. Oh, we dug it up just for you. Here we go. Whitney Webb with Jason Burmans. An influence uh, policy. Uh, so it's pretty uh, a pretty important indicator that that's going on there. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, I think that's sort of an important, uh, I guess, overview of how these these different topics that uh, I wanted to touch on today, uh, my, my investigation into uh, Moderna and the sort of Facebook metaverse pivot, uh, they do sort of have some connection ultimately at the end of the day in terms of the networks that are enabling uh, both of these companies to do these things that are on separate ends of this. Um, DARPA, obviously DARPA, in DARPA. the case of Moderna, what you're having is a push to normalize, normalize um, the use of mRNA uh, vaccines and therapies that prior to COVID-19 were unable to be taken to market or, or federally approved uh, because of the regulatory frameworks that exist in the U.S. Um, and of course, uh, because of COVID-19, everything justified in the name of urgency of the crisis, those regulatory environments were completely uh, changed. And, uh, you know, all of these, what they say, were cutting corners and all of these things, skipping studies, conducting studies that should be done sequentially, uh, simultaneously, and all of that, um, all of that allowed these um, mRNA companies to actually get products on the market because before COVID-19, Moderna as well as, well as BioNTech, which of course is uh, marketed by Pfizer as the Pfizer vaccine, uh, they couldn't take products to market. So and let's just talk first... about that for a second. When you say regulatory, basically prior to 2019, when all this started to kick off, these things weren't really even considered quote unquote vaccines in the traditional sense. And that was a major hurdle for them to get by because they never had a weakened version of the virus in any of them. This was a completely new technology yeah. uh, in the sense that they had not really made it the V word. In other words, it was not defined as a vaccine ever. And it took really this emergency for all that uh, paperwork to go by the yes. wayside. Exactly. So in the case of emergency youth authorization, for example, they treated these mRNA uh, products as traditional vaccines, i.e. applying traditional criteria used to approve vaccines to uh, mRNA therapies. And obviously those criteria for traditional vaccines uh, can't really be applied. I mean, it doesn't really make sense to apply them to mRNA uh, therapies or, or products. Uh, because, you know, you don't have any criteria about the lipid nanoparticle delivery system, for example, because traditional vaccines um, don't use that, <laughs> right? Um, so, and, and, and in particular, as I point out in, in my series in Moderna, 
that lipid nanoparticle delivery system, uh, which uh, the patents of that are held for a, by a company called Arbutus uh, Biopharma, are in use in both the Moderna and BioNTech or Pfizer BioNTech uh, vaccines. Uh, though BioNTech has a license for that recognized by Arbutus, Moderna does not. So they've been in uh, a years, multi-year-long, uh, very bitter patent dispute with them about that. But ultimately. There have been problems for years with this uh, lipid nanoparticle delivery system that's based on these patents uh, to the point where Moderna was first forced to uh, essentially uh, discount all possibility of taking any product to market that would require more than one dose that was later expanded to two doses. And that's why in 2017, uh, Moderna pivoted away from producing uh, the therapies they had sold uh, to their investors that would be more profitable, i.e. requiring multiple doses over a person's lifetime, uh, to vaccines because per their definition of vaccines, that only need to be given once or twice and now what has happened is that we're talking about booster doses without talking about uh, this particular caveat uh, that came up from Moderna and also at the same technology and used by the Pfizer vaccine as well where if you are making this a multi-dose product um, major problems emerged that caused Moderna years before COVID-19 to abandon any sort of multi-dose therapy because of the extreme toxicity problem and so wait, humans, they couldn't even get it past animal trials so, um, with multi-dose therapies. So I just want to point this out to people. You're talking about things that happened five, six years ago as they 2017. start. 2017. Yeah, so four years ago. Um, even, even the trials. Like, all of this was in the works then. That's how... When guys like Bill Gates were getting up there and talking, they were already telling you three to five shots. I mean, they were pretty open about that stuff, but that's not what the media went with, of course. And you and I both knew that it wasn't going to be three, it's not going to be four, it's not even going to really be five because they start semi annual twice a year. Thank minimum. you. That was, yeah. the, that was the next move and pivot in the same speech with Gates three to five and then probably twice a year biannually. And this was never really, obviously, propagated to the American public. It was basically you were going to be fully vaccinated after your second shot or if you took the one dose, right? And now we're in total booster town. It's, it's here. And people are going with it, you know, but mostly only going with it in the concentrated areas where they've been able to get the key to slavery pass, right? The key to the city pass in New York. L.A. is now, um, you know, also putting that into place. I see a correlation with not only this, you know, basically getting rid of our infrastructure that we've known for automation in those big cities, the digital passports, the medical tyranny in those concentrated areas. For instance, even L.A. has now announced they're going to do the UBI program, right? I always warn the next step of this is the UBI automation nation. And obviously that area has been devastated, at least, you know, the more concentrated your city was, the more likely your small business really wasn't going to make it, right? Yeah. So now they're going to give that up. Will they be able to nationalize any of this in the next 18 months? Because obviously that's going to be the goal. And I believe as of today, it looks like the FDA is approving the Pfizer jab for five to 11 year olds. I believe a lot of that is going to come in school mandates. That's obviously the next step to me. Yeah. Um, so go ahead. In the US, I don't know how likely that is in the next 18 months because basically what, the, what they've been doing in the US up to this point is sort of a patchwork system uh, where they're doing it in the pockets of the country where this can be pushed through in terms of top-down policy. They are doing that, but obviously they're aware that the US is a divided nation. There's a lot of conservative areas 
or areas where the population is uh, explicitly opposed to these types of mandates and things like that, that it's going to be much harder for them to do this sort of top-down um, uh, approach. But I do want to point out the pilots for this um, aren't just Australia, it's also Chile, uh, where I live. So uh, basically in Chile, about 90% of the population ages 12 and up have had both doses of the vaccine, uh, and the vaccine passport is mandatory for people 12 and up for all activities that require um, uh, the vaccine passport. Um, they plan to expand uh, to lower that age oh, to Texas six because, to have the um, bullet for because in in September uh, they approved uh, the vaccine in use for uh, six and up and went to school by school around the country to uh, inject kids uh, six and up uh, throughout uh, Chile, obviously with the idea of lowering uh, the age even more for the mandatory use of the vaccine passport. Um, and they recently signaled in Chile, just like Israel did, I guess Israel you could add as another uh, main pilot in terms of the vaccine passport, I guess it would be Israel, Australia, and Chile then, um, that uh, your vaccine passport will now be annulled if you are if you do not get the booster dose and let's and, talk about that here because the cdc has already said i believe it's as of three days ago they might have to update it's not might guys they're going to update the status because if you bent the knee it is going to become your booster uh some people in this country are already on shot number four believe it or not uh whitney but the third rollout is now fully in effect and people have been now been doing it for the last couple of weeks in mass those that believe in it and there is no doubt they're going to update your status every time, is there? Yeah, well, there's there's another, uh, uh, I, I think, motive uh, to the announcement from the CDC about the changing of the definition of what fully vaccinated means. And that allows them uh, to have data to back up their claim that is currently easily proven false of this being a pandemic of the quote unquote unvaccinated. If you change the definition of fully vaccinated to be people with three doses, then people with two doses can be defined as unvaccinated. And so if the majority of people in hospitals for COVID-19, among other things, um, are vaccinated with two doses, you can define them as unvaccinated and thus say um, pandemic of the unvaccinated. And they already pulled this trick in the beginning because if you had one shot and you were in there, they wouldn't yes. even let you do that. And it wasn't like it was a VAERS report. And then in your second shot, it was actually 14 days with an asterisk next to it. So yeah. even though it was 14 days supposedly, there were people that would go in there 15, 16, 17 days later and still not be counted because it was up to the discretion of the hospitals and the doctors. And you'd point that out to the normies there and they would just deny it existed. You could literally type in definition of fully, and we did it on the show, fully unvaccinated on Google of all places. And right at the top, that little excerpt is there is that you're not considered until 14 days after your second dose with the asterisks. And you can read in the own CDC page, just like you can read on the CDC's own page that last year, uh, really, I believe it was during the end of the summer, they reclassified the flu and pneumonia as COVID. <laughs> and then suddenly the flu disappeared in the northern and southern they, hemispheres. They've been changing definitions this whole time. They changed the definition of herd immunity. They changed the definition of vaccine. Now they're changing the definition of vaccinated. They, they have taken a position where they will change the definition of words uh, whenever it benefits their particular narrative. It's amazing there's no pushback from this, from uh, even mainstream <laughs> uh, source. I mean, because it's just so clown world. It's really out of control. Um, 
But in the interest of time, I do want to point out some other things for my uh, Moderna investigation. So um, in addition to this lipid nanoparticle stuff, these uh, patent disputes that I mentioned earlier, um, Oh, oh, by the way, 2017, the year that Moderna pivoted away and, and became a vaccine company, essentially, because of this multi-dose issue, is when they formally began their partnership uh, with the NIH, with Fauci, and with Barney Graham. And Barney Graham is one of the key figures in part two of my series on Moderna. Um, and he really needs to be looked at, I think, as well, because he was saying as far, uh, uh, he visited Moderna's facilities in November 2019. In December 2019, he's emailing the head of the coronavirus lead at the vaccine research center he runs for the NIH saying, get ready for 2020, gonna be a big year. Coronavirus team lead when no one knew that a coronavirus mm -hmm. could possibly have been responsible um, for any of the news that at that point in time was trickling out of China. Um, uh, and then he, you know, goes on to have um, uh, some emails. We don't have the exact emails. We just know what uh, Moderna's CEO and what Barney Graham have said about them, um, deciding on January 6th or 7th uh, that they were going to pursue a vaccine because, uh, per Barney Graham, uh, we don't know what the virus is, but boy, we'll be ready if it's a coronavirus. Um, and that's before the sequence is even released and Moderna actually began producing their COVID-19 vaccine two days before that sequence was even published and people even knew it would be a coronavirus. Uh, but apparently Barney Graham knew uh, and conveniently it had to have been a coronavirus for Barney Graham to profit off of his uh, coronavirus spike protein patents that had been lying in wake since 2017 or in our, and are not just in use in the Moderna vaccine. Uh, but also, I believe the Johnson & Johnson, Novavax, CureVac, and uh, maybe the Pfizer one as well. I have to double check on that last one. Um, but, you know, <laughs> that's a considerable amount of money. But on the, on the Moderna side, Moderna was about to collapse. Uh, Moderna had never brought a product to market. They've been around for 10 years. Uh, companies described the former employees and investors uh, in the lead up to 2019, described them as basically being Theranos 2.0, um, said that this is an investment firm pretending to be a drug company uh, that's just raising money and has no scientific foundation or real basis to back it up. Other ones called it the emperor's new clothes. And after this problem in 2017, where they had to pivot to vaccines, um, they were saying, and even mainstream media, Moderna needs a Hail Mary sort of intervention uh, in order to continue to exist as a company. And of course, that miracle, that case of divine intervention does come uh, with COVID-19 and a lot of this uh, weird foreknowledge by Bancel, including uh, when uh, Stefan Bancel of Moderna, including his uh, 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 the purported role of the World Economic Forum in shaping Bunsell's uh, foresight into COVID-19, he mentions this himself, um, spending just one day <laughs> in, in Davos, Switzerland, he realizes before anyone else knows that um, it's going to be a biblical plague uh, and that he must start developing a vaccine at a time when the company is cutting funds from everything and their remaining investors are saying, don't put your money in a vaccine, especially not this one. So he's risking, he's gambling the entire company and risking alienating the few remaining investors of a company that's about to collapse um, on a vaccine that no one knows the world needs at the time. And uh, if you believe these guys. All right, I wanted to leave you guys good reason to go ahead and watch the rest of that interview. I think in the last three minutes of that,
you've heard some things. And now if you've watched any number of episodes of this podcast, especially the most recent ones, you're starting to put together that by 2017, these guys had this stuff on the shelf. And it also fit in with the pandemic, pandemic, uh, Pentagon pandemic planning influenza document that said they needed a novel coronavirus in order to have a worldwide shutdown. And that would allow them to bring in vaccine passports. And the only thing I see really playing in our favor right now from uh, their side that's playing against them is that they're saying it's endemic. And if it's endemic, we don't need vaccine passports. We can go back to living real life. And that uh, there's a chance we can squeak out of this without the future, everybody having QR codes for everything or worse, right? Because that's just external tracking. We know how they do the internal tracking. We've read their papers on this podcast many times on how they plan on uh, using internal. I mean, Klaus Schwab, Fourth Industrial Revolution, the appendix under deep shift. He says implantable technologies by 2025. This is where they're going with it. So they had a predefined conclusion, uh, a prescription, and then they went and backfilled. What do we need to make this prescription logical for everybody? And they needed a pandemic scenario to drive uh, the track trace database. Everybody gets a QR code or you can't leave home without it type of thing. They turned American Express into QR codes. That's clever. All right. So uh, the other things that, uh, so yeah, go to Rockfin, subscribe to Jason Burmis, get to see that interview, Whitney Webb, uh, Unlimited Hangout. Great work. And there's, like I said, the her her work on the foundations, like the Welcome Foundation, or, you know, mm-hmm. it used to be the Black Yeah, the Welcome Welcome Trust. Leap. I'm sorry, Welcome Leap. Yeah, it's this is an Anglo-American establishment operation. So there's things going on in America with NIH and Fauci and EcoHealth. He's a British guy, Peter Dazak. He's there's a there's a whole other side of this that, that we're not being shown and in Stephen our media. Stefan Bancel and Biomerieu and all these like these French connections. Yeah, like it's the people just, that paid to build Wuhan hmm. lab, they're not Chinese. You know, you know there's one of the Westerners on the boards of one of the they're one of the companies they own was what was the doctor that first came out? He's a French doctor in early 2020. Yeah. He's on the board too. We've sent a, has been sending me these connections one after another. I think that's more of an apothenia. It's more of a, well, they could have Didier Raoult just because of his name brings credence to it. So a lot of times people like him who might not understand the political or supranational, but then he's a scientist on the board sort of thing. Right. He's the, yeah. 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 So it was just interesting. It's like, oh, did he already? I was like, he's the one who came out. And of course he got silenced pretty quick. Or He did not. the hydroxychloroquine study. Yeah. That's why people started talking about it in the first place. So yep. Dr. Corey also prescribes that, I believe. Yeah, hydroxychloroquine is, has been and still used in various nations around the world um, for treating COVID. Uh, it's not obviously developed for treating COVID directly, but it does have a mechanism of action. It needs zinc, though. Yeah. It needs zinc to stop viral replication of any type of virus. And NIH and Fauci knew this because they did the studies and it's like 2004. They knew it was ivermectin too, even though the, de- the mechanism of action was different. They knew that one. Um, but we're going to have vaccines. They, they got vaccines. Got to get shot. Ostensibly, it always ends up back to the vaccine. I don't get why. You know, Before the genetic information is released, they're already These starting people, to work on a coronavirus vaccine. They got a fixation with penetration. That's why, Tony. It's like... Uh, is that all through the number illustrator for the neck, neck, necronomicon <laughs> back in the seventies, you know, the one that the alien universe is created off of where it's all about rape and penetration. Just saying people are a little obsessed with it. 
All right, so we're going to leave lots of good stuff for Liberty Radio to cover. Oh, it's already four in the morning. Later tonight, yeah, because it's four in the morning Monday right now. So later oh, wow. tonight on Monday, uh, they will pick up some of these other stories. And who do we have to thank and what do we have to do to be able to close out the show for this episode, LD? Oh, man. Uh, I think... Yeah, Sorry. You yeah. You double tapped it. You double We've tapped only done it. it a few times. Uh, I'll get the hang of it. <clears throat> right. Um, thank you. Oh, somebody with a date. I don't know. 229-2020. <laughs> Nicholas DM, MX Augustine, former VP Biden. Thank you. Dallas Avad, <laughs> Fabrizio, Laurie Quigley, T-Can. Dallas Avad again. Those are our Rockfin supporters and list your names on the website in the show notes i want to give a shout out to candace my wife who's been busting her butt working on this t-shirt store um show us some t-shirts oh yeah what do you got we've got um well you saw now is the site is the site live yet because i went there to try to buy some stuff and it it didn't look like it was live yet when i looked at it a couple days ago no, it's for it's. There's a password. If you're in the Grand Theft World, or you know, if you know how to get a hold of me, then maybe you can get the password. Uh, twenty percent, twenty percent subscriber. Yeah, or there's other ways. Twenty uh, percent off until no. There's launch. no other ways. Discord okay. chat, town hall, okay. Tuesday night for members. Got to be subscribers. Though. But yeah, yeah we're launching on the fifth of November, on Friday, and. Uh, yeah, there's some Grand Theft World shirts. It's not about the science. It's about compliance. Um, there's a beanie. It comes with more historical context than a Tim Pool beanie. <laughs> uh, That's what's needed for Christmas, for sure. Yeah. If the service is free, you are the product. <laughs> That's a good one. That is a good one, actually. That's very Thucydides good. quotation. Now I know, Rich, you brought it's it paraphrased. to my attention. Yeah, with yeah. a paraphrase, and then I I went ahead and looked it up. So literal translation from Greek is tough. So let's capture the ideas. It's very tough. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's a mouthful. Chronicler of the Peloponnesian like War, that Thucydides. Make them so. your examples and esteeming courage to be freedom and freedom to be happiness. Do not weigh too nicely the perils of war. So that's a got Grand Theft World on the front. Um, yeah, this one is popular. Yes. McAfee didn't Epstein himself, and it's we're working either, on getting a print either with, the with or Collins or anyone the bootleg logo on it. Right, Bill Gates right. at some point. Um, yeah. In the meantime, Post. if you wanna if you wanna buy this design, see yeah, if they print this. There's a little hangman. And then we're going to figure out how to make that nice one with the, the actual McAfee logo. So, yeah, there we go. It's all right. No one really knows what the McAfee logo looks like anyway. It's been so long. It's like Norton. I don't remember Norton's logo. Yeah, McAfee's These are things that we, spyware, we don't right, use. Viruses, yeah. Law. Yeah. State of mind. You have that on your desk. Some people commented on that tonight in the Rockman chat. So I think some asked that it was like for sale or something, which I don't think that's. It's not. It's, yeah. it's not. It's like, yeah. it's, it's old. It, it's almost like way. it's almost like they didn't want people to see that movie somehow. I don't know how it happened. I will was... put that on the people that were producing it before you guys were the 
Well, I would put it on like their co-producer Alex. Yeah. I think he yeah. made like fifty or sixty thousand copies, so it was for sale at one time. But a couple years ago, it was like even the guys who I worked with to make the film, they didn't have copies either. Wow. So it's almost okay. like a bootleg underground thing. I think it is part of the Grand Theft World membership, though, because we have the uh, the Info Wars where we went down to the studio and presented it and played it live and stuff like that. So we have that, that in, in twenty. 13. Oh, I think Joshua also added the writer's cut to the members area. So you can see oh, like, nice. <clears throat> Kevin and I did like a six hour cut of all the, the stuff that should have been the movie. It should have been like three, three episodes, but no one did that back then yet. So a lot, of, a lot of the best stuff I thought got cut out of the movie, not because you know of anything other than predetermined format before you know what the story is like we're going to tell it in 90 minutes and that's what we've told to everyone else and then we're going to collect yeah. thousands of hours of footage it was only 100. 40 it was only 40 they had 40 hours of interview footage that Kevin that's and I it? trans yeah we transcribed it and then oh, in the transcription then you could circle the passages the and that's how we pulled the clips to make the writers cut and then that turned into the final now, i remember the time stamping i remember that it's essential you got to make maps of the media to find your way through so state of mind if you're a member of the tragedy and hope community you would have access to it if you're a member of grand theft world community you would have access to it and uh i think ultimate history lessons probably also in there which is also out of stock i'm gonna have to get dvds made of that as well got lots to do lots to do and uh now's about the time to get to it i got other stuff to do on monday Tony, thank you for joining me once again tonight and LD for running the control room op center and Joshua for rounding up the guests and having Stefan on deck at the right time. So we could fit, a, fit his very important and uh, substantial, timely, timely, timely mess. Yeah, substantial. Cause it's substance-based. Like here's how to grow food, all that stuff that Chomsky wants to take away from you. Right. That's, that's your problem. Thinks? That's not my problem. That's your problem. You're not vaccinated. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not gonna give. Like, if he was younger and saying stuff like that, I'd yeah, if he was more it, with it, sure. He right now, yeah, he looks senile. I agree with Jimmy Dore. I mean, he always was sort of out there, but he doesn't seem like he's all there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that happens with people when they get to certain part of life, and that's sad. But uh, it doesn't mean that we should just let him say that and obey. Or let that manifest. That's why free speech exists. Or, he know, says he feels comfortable or... saying it because there's a lot of support on his side to make that happen. And they'll use totalitarian, despotic type of uh, activities to do that. So full speed ahead on mesh networks and creating parallel society. Outside like creating of, a V in uh, Outside of like the a... jurisdiction of their uh, imploding collapse. I see. Yeah. They got controlled demolition going on themselves. Let's step away from that. All right, everybody. Thank you for being on this ride. It's, uh, what is it? Seven hours. This is almost about a seven hour podcast. That's good. It's about an hour a day. And I challenge, if you listen to this an hour a day, it's probably healthier than listening to the hour than any of those other networks. What do you got to say, LD? Now, before you sign off, we'll just, we'll play out with just a minute of, uh, ah. some leaked footage. That's all. Awesome. Leaked footage. Uh, Southwest Airlines. Airlines, yeah, Southwest Airlines pilot uh, signed off a flight with Let's Go Brandon. So we'll just roll that before the end. I'll let you. That's a good off. way to let sign off this episode. Thank you all for tuning in and not dropping out. And now let's hear from this airline pilot talking about Let's Go Brandon.
Thanks, everyone. Have a good night or morning or afternoon or wherever you're at. Peace. Always a pleasure. Thanks for LD. Good night, guys. Ladies and gentlemen from the flight deck, this is your captain. Welcome to flight 315 from Houston to Albuquerque. Donald Trump is still the president. Uh, it is a reminder uh, to everybody here that we do have a federal mask mandate, which uh, uh, is for the uh, coronavirus, which does not exist. I am against it. And if you come up to the cockpit, which you can do because the door is open in violation of FAA guidelines, because I'm not afraid of nobody, uh, you'll see that I'm not wearing my mask. I encourage you to not wear your mask as well. We'll have you on the ground pretty early today. Ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, started our initial descent. Uh, Joe Biden is a communist Chinese puppet. Flight attendants, uh, please prepare the cabin for arrival. We live in hell. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Albuquerque. We're just waiting for the gate right now. We should have a gate uh, opening up pretty soon. Uh, uh, hopefully, I'll see you all at the Capitol, if you know what I mean. All right. God save the queen. <laughs> I, was in, I was suspicious that that wasn't a real clip. Cause I was I'd like, I don't know. The, the, the background sound is really consistent. It seems like he said these things at different times. They don't all fit together. But then I read the MSNBC. I'm sorry. I'm not on screen. I read the MSNBC like subtitle. It's like the dude got fired. Or he lost mm -hmm. his job over saying it. So he must've said it on air and I stand corrected. I'm still standing after 10 hours here at the desk. I'll let you guys all go. Thank you LD for playing that. And uh, we'll see you guys all next week, Sunday night live at 9 p.m. Eastern. Peace out. See everyone. Conspiracy is the story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at grandtheftworld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant yeah, community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there. It sounded like you accomplished something, then it sounded like maybe it didn't work. What happened?